This is the multi-voice text-to-speech podfic reading of Chain to the Moon by Ms. Alex W.P., composed by Burning Aurora. Chapter 1 Part 1 Sometimes it is a trifle to tell a bedtime story, a trick to lull young ones to sleep. Sometimes it is a warning, a reminder of the terrifying things that exist in the shadows, that lurk in darkness, and prowl at night. Mothers spin tales with children at their feet to remind them to stay close. To beware the sneaking elves, the crone of the forest, the mischievous hobgoblin. To not be hoodwinked by the glowing will-o'-the-wisp or the lantern man who wishes to lure you to your doom or, perhaps worse, take you as a changeling. Mothers murmur in their children's ears to beware the screech owl, the six crows perched above the house, the bees swarming the dead and decaying tree. But these are all shades, mysteries spoken of in whispers and suspicion. The werewolf has no such luxury. Werewolves are not granted hushed voices. To speak of werewolves is to shout and cry. They're monsters, rippers of flesh, boilers of blood, shredders of bone. They deserve screams and brandished weapons, bolted doors and silver bullets. No, when mothers tell of werewolves they hold their children close and speak in fearful tones that no child can mistake. They are the devil, these vile creatures, and hold no mercy in their hearts. Remus Lupin had a mother once, who held him close and rocked him in her arms, whose words were a healing balm and whose kisses meant safety and warmth. When she told bedtime stories they were always sweet and ended with happily ever afters and wishes come true. They were imbued with delicate magic and life-changing love. They were summoned from the stars and the flowers, spun in her fingers like silk and gold. Perhaps that is why, then, the werewolf found them so easily. Hope Lupin was a child of the moon, of the mother goddess, and when the moon was full, she collected early morning dew with her son to teach him the ways of her ancient magic. She went outside when the moon was still full-bellied in the sky before dawn. They left their shoes at home to connect with the earth and held hands as they walked through the meadow on silent feet. Remus loved these hushed mornings with his mother, whose skin glowed pearlescent in the moonlight, and never feared anything with hope's quiet magic glowing around them. But as we know, werewolves do not do with quiet. Hope dipped her hand into the damp blades of grass and summoned the powers of nature, but her magic was no match for the monster's brute evil. Neither was silver. That part, at least, was myth. Remus lived, but barely. It was their dog who found them in the field and alerted Lyle. Remus's father collapsed in agony over their bodies and nearly died of a broken heart himself. But he gathered his wits in his stomach and set his wife's body afloat on a raft in the river, as was the way of her people, and tended to Remus until he was healthy again. Healthy, but not whole. Never whole. Remus never heard another bedtime story. Instead, he became one. It was the great irony of Remus's life that he would grow up so sheltered. His father feared the people who feared him, and with good reason. Hope's true manner of death was kept secret, and Remus stayed home with Lyle, learning at his feet now, never venturing out at night and barely during the day. But Remus's education was rich and deep, and the boy sank into worlds that were not his own desperate for adventure and escape. He rode magnificent camel caravans across the desert and dove to the bottom of the sea. He flew to the heavens and ventured into the wild jungle. 
He longed for more than his tiny cottage and their too friendly and too nosy village who knew that the lupin boy was sweet but sick. The full moon still called to him but in a different way, now. Not with his mother's gentle magic but with a force that pulls tides and capsizes ships. It ripped his beautiful body open, broke it into pieces and reassembled it into something terrible, a curse and a scourge on himself and everything around him. And Remus's body was beautiful. Every bit of him was beautiful, although Remus didn't know it and Lyle would never tell him. No, the world destroyed beautiful things, reveled in their destruction, and Lyle knew firsthand how dangerous the world was for a beauty like his Remus's. Like hopes. Better that Remus didn't know, that no one knew how beautiful his son was. Lyle did not want to keep his son locked away from the world. But he did. He especially kept him locked away during his monthly transformation, in a magically sealed room that Remus thrashed in and destroyed, lonely and vicious and violent against himself. His father traded in uniques and oddities and had a shop in the village. Remus apprenticed and studied alongside his father, and soon, his knowledge grew greater than Lyle's. He learned the stories of found treasures and had a sixth sense about people and things. Soon, Lyle was taking Remus on buying trips through the country and onto the continent, venturing out for days and weeks at a time. Yet they always returned in time for the full moon. Remus came alive during those voyages. They met all kinds of folk rich and poor, clever and foolish, kind and cruel but most were good, honest people who were all too happy to talk about their treasures and maybe trade them for a bit of gold. Most people, Remus found, lived quiet interior lives much like he did, and it didn't take much prodding to get them to talk. A few caring questions and he was in their confidence. He wasn't a swindler, although he could have been, and someone with a darker heart who lived in his body might have taken that path. But Remus's beauty, like his mother's, lived inside him, as well as outside, and he made an honest living and many friends along the way. Yet for all his success, Lyle kept him on a short leash a leash tethered to Lyle's wrist and to the moon. When Remus came of age, Lyle allowed him to work at the shop, and even take short buying trips on his own. But he was tied to their home by a powerful blood magic, and had no hope of staying away for longer than even a few days. Remus knew that one day, his father would be gone. When that day came he would no longer keep himself locked away. He wouldn't act rashly but he wouldn't be treated like a hothouse flower, either. He wasn't foolish enough to wish for things that would always be out of his reach. There could be no marital love, no romance, no comfort of another body in his bed. No children, no promises to another. Still, though, his life would be his own. Lyle's illness came on abruptly in the autumn of Remus's twenty-fifth year when the skeletal trees stood stark against a slate-gray sky. His buying trips stopped abruptly, and when Remus wasn't alone in the shop, he was alone with Lyle, who grew exhausted walking even from his bed to the kitchen each morning. Let me, father, Remus would say gently, bringing Lyle his slippers and a bowl of soup, and his father kissed his boy on the head and thanked the gods that Remus's pure heart remained untouched by his curse. One afternoon, when the rain lashed against the shop window panes, Remus found himself alone, yet again. How cruel that someone who craved people so much should be fated to be lonely. His father was only an owl away, 
should he need anything, and Remus settled into the back workshop with a newly acquired object for their store. Remus waved his wand, conjuring a bright orb of light that illuminated the gold medallion on the workshop's scrubbed wood table. He ran a finger over the lion head crest, put on his wire-rimmed glasses, and dictated to a quill that stood poised over a piece of parchment. Gold mined in Mexico, approximately 100 AD, he said, and the quill copied down the words as he spoke. Ruby eyes, half a carat each. A bell tinkled from another room. Remus put the medallion back in its enchanted lockbox, stood from his wooden stool, and walked into the shop. Welcome to Lupin Antiques and Curiosities, can I help you? Remus's voice trailed off and his mouth went dry. In the doorway stood the most beautiful man he had ever seen. He was tall and broad-shouldered with thick black hair that was slightly gray at the temples and curled at the ends around his ears, blue-gray eyes, and alabaster-pale skin. He wore a dark plum velvet waistcoat that was exquisitely tailored to his V-shaped torso, tight black trousers, and tall, highly polished, black leather riding boots. Find anything, Remus finished in a strangled voice. The man's eyes dragged up and down Remus's body, and he smiled at him slowly as he pulled each finger out of his black leather gloves one by one. I think I've found exactly what I'm looking for, the man said, tucking the gloves into his pocket, and the tobacco smoke husk of his voice made Remus's insides shiver. Oh, Remus said, can I wrap it up for you then? The man huffed out a laugh. Actually, I was talking about you, he said. I was hoping to find someone who could tell me more about this. He pulled an ornate silver and emerald ring from his pocket and held it in his palm, but otherwise didn't move. Instead, he extended his arm toward Remus, beckoning him to take it from his outstretched hand. Remus stepped toward him and reached for the ring, curled his fingertips around it, and felt a shock of tingling warmth coil through his body as their skin touched. He looked up in surprise to find the man already watching him. Their eyes locked and the man's fingers curved upward, brushing his knuckles gently against Remus's hand before he pulled away. Remus took a step back but didn't break his gaze, and he had the strangest feeling of something more than the ring passing between them as he held the warm metal in his hand. I'll just, um, fetch some parchment, Remus said, so I can begin the initial appraisal. Wonderful, the man said watching Remus, who still hadn't moved. Thank you. It shouldn't take long, Remus assured him, his voice trembling slightly, but the man only inclined his head politely. I have all the time in the world for you, my boy. Remus nodded, then hurried away to find parchment and his quill. When he returned, he found the man perusing the shelves, leaning with his hands clasped behind his back to inspect a pocket watch that sat on a velvet cushion. This piece is lovely, the man said to Remus pointing to the watch. You have good taste, Remus said. That belonged to a French baron who enchanted it to count not only the seconds, minutes, and hours, but also the moon phases and the movement of the planets. See? Remus passed a slender hand over the watch, and its face dissolved from a clock to a tiny celestial map of the moving heavens. He waved his hand again, and the clock face returned. The man smiled at the watch and then at Remus looking him up and down curiously again, as though he was trying to figure something out. Shall we begin the appraisal? Remus asked, 
unsure of the weight of the man's stare. Certainly, the man nodded, and Remus gestured for him to follow him back into his workshop. Would you like a cup of tea? Remus asked. Please, the man said, as Remus waved his hand and summoned a shabby little tea service from a cupboard. He filled the teapot with wordless magic and snapped his fingers to make the water boil. Do you always do wordless magic? The man asked, watching him with interest. Usually, Remus admitted, feeling his cheeks flush a little. He'd been told that was unusual, but he often couldn't be bothered to fetch his wand every single time he wanted to perform a simple bit of magic. Did you study at Hogwarts? The man asked, frowning at him through a bemused smile. No, sir, Remus said. I was taught at home. I see. And what's your name then? Lupin, Remus Lupin. It's very nice to meet you, Remus Lupin, the man said, holding out a polite hand for Remus to shake. Remus took it and felt that same tingling warmth pass through him where their skin met. My name is Sirius Black. Lord Black. Remus said, unable to stop himself, but Mr. Black only laughed. No, that's my father, he said, although I suppose I will inherit that title one day. I'm so sorry, sir, I had no idea, Remus said. It's not proper for you to be back here. You should have sent a servant, or... Nonsense, Remus, Black said. I've no interest in sending servants out into the world in my stead. I want to live. What use am I rattling around an empty manor house when there are places to visit and people to meet? People like you. He inclined his head toward Remus whose face warmed again, although he wasn't sure why. That's very kind of you, Remus said. Oh no, it's very selfish of me, Black assured him. I enjoy it too much for it to be considered philanthropic in any way. Remus nodded and poured them each some tea, put on his glasses, and started the appraisal. Black watched him work, his quicksilver eyes darting between Remus's concentrated expression and the ring that sat illuminated underneath the conjured orb of light. This ring, Remus said once he'd finished, seems to date from about the year 1000. I'd place its origins in the Scottish Highlands, perhaps further north than Inverness. It was surely forged there, although its materials are from elsewhere. The silver was likely mined in Cornwall, while the emeralds are from Egypt. It's also got a number of enchantments placed upon it, including one to reveal deception that's many centuries old. A useful spell during an appraisal, certainly. I'd value it at about 15,000 galleons. Is it something you wanted to sell? Oh, gods, no, Black said. I'm simply interested in its provenance. There are many stories surrounding the Black family relics, as you might imagine and I'm interested in learning more about them. Well, I can certainly do a more in-depth appraisal, Mr. Black, Remus replied. Objects carry stories inside them, as I'm sure you know. I'd have to get underneath the enchantments that it carries, and it would take a few days. Maybe longer with an item like this. But it can be done. I can see that you're a very talented young man, Remus, Black said. I do not doubt your abilities. Is this your shop, then? No, it's my father's shop, Remus told him, and his voice betrayed a bit of bitterness that he hadn't realized had been lingering in the back of his throat. Ah, Black said. And do you enjoy your work? I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy history and stories, Remus said, running his finger back and forth along the cracked leather spine of a book sitting next to him on his desk.
but I'd much rather be in the field, hunting for treasure. However, my father's been unwell, and... I'd love to show you some more of the items in my home, Remus, Black said, sipping his tea. I thought you didn't want to sell, Mr. Black, Remus said. Oh, I have no intention of selling anything, Black said, a devilishly handsome smile curling his lips and his silvery blue eyes twinkling with a mischief that made Remus's stomach swoop. I simply thought you'd be interested from an academic perspective. As someone who appreciates history and who's feeling frustrated within the confines of this shop. Their eyes met across the workbench and Remus's skin prickled. Black held his gaze, waiting. I think I'd like that very much, Mr. Black. Wonderful, Black said. I'll leave the ring with you and be back in a few days. Then we'll arrange a visit. Remus walked him back into the front of the shop. Black took Remus's hand and kissed it gently, letting his lips linger on his skin for a moment. Until next time, my boy, Black said with the tip of his head, and he walked back into the pounding rain, leaving only the tinkling bell above the door and Remus holding his breath behind him. Chapter 2 Remus never defied his father's wishes until the day he met Sirius Black. Black's ring in his hand and the promise of the man's return set Remus's mind alight, and Remus found himself consumed by a strange desire to please him. The moment Black left the shop Remus got to work, and only when his stomach rumbled with hunger much later that evening did he realize it was well past nightfall. Remus, where have you been? Even in his ill and weakened state, Lyle's sharp worry cut through his words like a dagger when Remus arrived home. He sat just where Remus had left him that morning, in a wooden rocking chair with a heavy quilt draped across his legs and a book in his hand. Only the placement of his bookmark had changed. I'm sorry, father, I lost track of time, Remus said, hurrying to warm a bowl of soup and a crust of bread for Lyle, who surely hadn't eaten much, if anything, since Remus left that morning. We had the most interesting object arrive into the shop today and... Whatever it is, it's not going anywhere. Lyle cut in abruptly. I've told you enough times that you're not to wander the village at night, especially now, with the full moon this week. Yes, father, Remus said, and the subject was closed. But the ring had gone somewhere. It had gone home with Remus. In fact, it sat snugly in his pocket as he ladled Lyle's soup into a bowl, as he helped Lyle into his dressing gown and as he kissed Lyle on the forehead and left his dark bedchamber for the night. Lyle strictly forbade Remus from bringing items home from the shop, which had specialized wards to protect it from any curses or enchantments attached to their wares. Yet Remus could not bear to leave the ring, such was his desire to complete the task that Black set him. Remus had long ago outmatched his father's expertise in their trade, and knew he'd successfully removed any of the ring's dangerous enchantments so he wrapped it in a piece of white silk and smuggled it home. For three tedious days, as the full moon grew closer and Black's absence grew longer, Remus's stomach swooped any time the bell on the shop door tinkled, and for three sleepless nights, he learned all he could of the ring's secrets. He wasn't sure why he was so eager for Black's return. But eager he was, and a strange sensation rippled up Remus's thighs whenever he remembered Black's broad shoulders and the feeling of his large hand enclosing Remus's smaller one. Finally, when the bell sounded on the fourth day, the morning of the full moon, Remus knew, 
without looking, who was at the door. Still, the sight of Sirius Black's dashing figure standing tall and imposing in his little shop made Remus's breath catch in his chest. Remus quickly pocketed his dusting cloth and hastened to smooth his roughly spun shirt, which looked poor and plain next to Black's fine clothing. They looked at each other across the shop for a heartbeat before Black flashed that devilishly handsome grin of his and closed the space between them in two powerful strides. Hello, Remus, he said, and Remus's heartbeat quickened as Black's smooth, deep voice rolled across his skin like rich, dark velvet. It's wonderful to see you. Hello, Mr. Black, Remus replied, more quietly than he'd intended, as he looked up into Black's beautiful face. Have you been well? Quite well, thank you, Black said, once again taking Remus's hand and drawing it to his lips for a kiss. And even better now. I trust you have some news for me? Remus nodded. Yes, he said, the excitement creeping into his voice despite his efforts to keep it steady and calm. Your ring is fascinating. I can't wait for you to tell me its stories, Black said, a hint of amusement dancing across his face. Perhaps over tea again? Of course, Remus said. He flicked his wrist to turn the open sign on the shop door to close so they wouldn't be disturbed, then motioned for Black to follow him into the back room, where he once again prepared tea with only a few snaps of his fingers. Black watched him, delighted, as he sat down next to Remus at his workbench. You and your wandless magic, you clever thing, Black said, shaking his head in awe. You're a wonder, Remus. Remus did not know what to say to this, so he said nothing, only smiled politely and placed the ring on a black satin cushion between them. Black sipped his tea and listened intently while Remus described his discoveries. The top layers of spells, which guarded against thievery and deception, were easy to remove. But the second and third layers were trickier. There was an eye for an eye curse that issued a sevenfold retribution upon anyone who committed a crime against a member of the Black family, and a hex to turn fingers to stone for wearing the ring without explicit permission. There was a sleep deprivation spell for lazy house elves, and an enchantment to summon shades of the dead for rituals so dark they made Remus's skin crawl to describe them. And then there's the ring itself, Remus gushed. It carried within it the dark energy of all its previous owners, like Arcturus Black, who led witch hunts during the Middle Ages to eliminate his enemies, Hesper Black, who exploded the heart of her unfaithful husband, who was also her cousin, and Phineas Nigelis Black, who encouraged corporal punishment for muggle-born students during his tenure as Hogwarts headmaster. Remarkable, Black said, as Remus handed the ring back to him. Black held it up to the light and spun it between his fingers. Amazing how much history and magic can be crammed into a single object. And those are only the most powerful stories, Remus added. There are countless more that we'll never know. Centuries worth. Your passion is inspiring, Remus, Black said, sitting back in his chair and gazing at Remus appreciatively. And your skills are absolutely unmatched. Tell me, how much do I owe you for your ingenious work? Normally, a simple appraisal costs only a few sickles, but this one was far from simple and required advanced spell work, so Remus squared his shoulders and told Black the price he'd settled on that morning. He hoped that Black would realize the fee was quite fair and wouldn't haggle for a lesser number. Remus wasn't sure he'd be able to refuse him if he did. One galleon, sir, Remus said as firmly as he could.
Black frowned at him, but did not try to haggle. That doesn't seem nearly enough, Black said, reaching into his purse for a handful of gold and stacking it neatly on the table. Remus's eyes widened at what must have been at least twenty galleons there in front of him. That was often more than the shop made in a month. Oh, no, Mr. Black, that's far too much, Remus stammered. Please, sir, one galleon is a very fair price. Remus began to push the gold away, but Black's large hand stopped him, his strong fingers curling around Remus's wrist in a way that felt commanding and decisive, making Remus's heart beat quicken for reasons he could not explain. I disagree, Black said calmly, without relinquishing his grip on Remus's wrist. The price is very unfair to someone with talents like yours. You should know your worth, Remus. I'm not sure I have much worth, sir. The words escaped Remus's lips before he realized they'd even formed in his brain, and his humiliating honesty made his face flush a hot, blotchy red. In Remus's darkest moments, the futility of his life threatened to suffocate him. His lycanthropy faded him to the ragged edges of humanity, and his existence was of no consequence, except for threatening the existence of others. These thoughts pushed their way to the surface of Remus's mind far more often than he'd like to admit but he had never spoken them out loud before now. Remus felt the thick fingers around his wrist loosen and slide downward into his hand, and Black gently ran his thumb across the soft skin of Remus's slender fingers. Perhaps I can convince you otherwise, Black said softly. An odd feeling stirred in Remus's heart, and he thought inexplicably of his mother. Hope died when Remus was only five, and his memories seemed shrouded in a thick, silver mist but glimmers of her shone through, often when he least expected it. The way her long, silvery-gold hair swished across her back and caught the early morning sunlight, the soft warmth of her lap, her sweet voice singing the moon songs of her people. But mostly Remus remembered how his mother made him feel, safe, cherished, and loved. When was the last time he'd felt that way? When was the last time he thought of himself as anything other than a dangerous burden? And how dare he feel any of those things ever again? He couldn't. So he pushed the curious feeling away and withdrew his trembling hand from Black's grasp. One galleon, Remus repeated, but Black's lips curved into a wry smile. You drive a very hard bargain, Remus, Black said and removed two galleons from the pile. Fine. I shall settle for eighteen galleons. Four galleons, Remus negotiated back, trying and failing not to smile in return. Seventeen, and that's my final offer, Black replied decisively. Please, Remus, allow me to show you what you're worth. What you're worth? A werewolf hide is worth fifty galleons on the black market. A handful of werewolf teeth is worth another ten. A pint of a werewolf's blood, if taken during the January wolf moon, is worth one hundred galleons, thanks to its usefulness in dark rites and potions. Remus's body transformed, dead, and disassembled would bring a handsome price on the black market. What you're worth? Black watched him, waiting for an answer. Remus swallowed hard as the edges of his vision blurred. Thank you, sir, he choked out. There was nothing more to say. He needed to get out of that room. He needed to get outside to see the sky. 
He needed to feel small and forgotten and insignificant again. He stood up quickly and felt the blood rush from his head. The room faded in and out of focus and he gripped the edge of the table, but his sweat-slick hand slipped and he swayed and stumbled and everything went dark. He opened his eyes in a familiar, dew-covered meadow under a dusty gray sky, where the full moon glowed, strong and powerful above his head, despite the early morning sunlight just starting to crack around the rim of the earth. A wisp of gray cloud passed across the moon's silvery face, and the wind whispered a forgotten melody in his ear. Child of the moon, chained to the moon, she makes you, breaks you, reshapes you, answer the call, restore the balance. Do not be afraid. There has never been another like you. Remus. Remus. Remus's body felt warm and safe, engulfed by a pair of strong arms that held him close. A hand across his forehead brushed away his sweaty hair, then traced down his cheek and jaw, settling on the back of his neck. Remus, the voice said again, and Remus felt it radiate through his body, soothing him like a calming draft. Remus's eyes fluttered open, and Sirius Black's face swam into view. Oh no. Remus groaned, trying to sit up, but Black's large hand on the back of his neck stilled him with a gentle squeeze. Black knelt on the floor, cradling Remus in his arms. Hush, don't try to move. You fainted, darling, Black said, his voice impossibly soft and gentle. He waved his wand and conjured a small cup of water which he held to Remus's lips, and Remus drank obediently. Are you all right? Remus nodded and closed his eyes pressing a hand to his forehead. Yes, thank you, Remus said, his breathing still a little shallow. Does this happen often? Black asked, his eyebrows drawn together and his voice laced with concern as he pushed his fingers into Remus's hair and started gently massaging the nape of his neck. Remus's eyes fluttered shut for a moment and a gentle sigh whispered out of him before he answered. No, sir, I mean, sometimes. I sometimes feel ill, he said lamely. But I'm fine, really. Please. How could he explain his illness to Mr. Black? No one, apart from his father, knew about his affliction, and no one ever could. Moreover, it was impossible to predict how each full moon would make him feel, only that it would make him feel something. Something that crept under his skin and swam through his blood to remind him that his body was not fully his own. Sometimes he felt weak and exhausted, as though he could sleep for a fortnight. Other times, he was irrationally irritated and unbalanced, accidentally breaking things just by looking at them. And still other times, his earthly passions growled awake in his chest, and he retreated to his room to wrap a hand around himself and relieve the burning heat and want that blazed inside him. He never fainted before, though. Never had a vision before. He didn't know what to think. All he knew was that he felt far too comfortable here, tucked between Black's knees and nestled to his chest. He had to sit up. He tried to move, but once again, Black's arms tightened around him, holding him still. Remus, he chided softly. Give yourself a minute. You're still very pale. I'm afraid you'll faint again if you stand up. Now, tell me. Who takes care of you when you feel like this? It was such an odd question that Remus wasn't sure, at first, how to respond. 
He supposed the logical answer might be his father, who built the magically sealed room in the woods behind their cottage where Remus completed his monthly transformations. But his father long ago stopped meeting him at sunup when he awoke the morning after the moon, leaving Remus alone to tend to his injuries himself. And whether Lyle noticed how his son's moods and demeanor shifted like the tides with each lunar cycle, Remus did not know. I take care of myself, Remus said, a touch defiantly, and Black's face darkened with worry. That will not do, Black muttered to himself, staring at the floor, before looking back at Remus. What if you had been here alone? Then what would have happened? I would have stumbled, and perhaps fallen, and gotten back up using my own strength. Remus replied, finally finding his voice. That's what life is all about. You can't count on someone to be there to cushion your falls all the time. If I waited for that I would never do anything. And I want to do things. I'm tired of. Remus stopped himself, feeling hot tears welling in his eyes. I want to live. He finished. You can live wildly and passionately and be cared for at the same time, Remus. Black said, now moving his fingers in gentle circles against the soft hollows of Remus's throat. It felt lovely, Black's words and his fingers, and it awoke strange feelings in his stomach and between his legs. And that, finally, spurred Remus to pull away and stand up. This was a path he could never tread. He stumbled backwards a little, trying to put space between them. With all due respect, sir, Remus replied breathlessly, looking at his feet. I don't think I believe you. Black slowly got to his feet, too, and took a step toward him. He pressed one large hand to the small of Remus's back, nearly covering it completely, then gripped Remus's chin with his thumb and forefinger, tilting it upward so they looked each other in the face. Remus's knees weakened under him. Perhaps someday you will. Far away, in craggy sea caves and soft beds of heather, in misty meadows and ancient, creaking forests, the moon mother called to her children, who'd been waiting these twenty-five long years. They blinked open their pretty eyes, stretched their willowy limbs, and shook out their long, silvery gold hair. He had awoken. And even further away, in a terrible fortress that rose from the cracked earth like a horrific, blackened flower, Fenrir Greyback sniffed the air and waited for moonrise, hungry, eager, and ready to pounce. Chapter 3 Where is your head, Sirius? Sirius looked down the long banquet table laden with breads, cold meats, cheeses, and tea, at his brother, Regulus, who watched him irritably. His brother was astute, as always. Sirius's mind was not here at breakfast in this godforsaken house, but at a small antiques and oddities shop in the village near his country manor where a brilliant, and beautiful young man fainted into his arms the day before. Our father is on his deathbed, and I've scarcely been able to keep your attention for a single moment, Regulus said. Our father has been on and off his deathbed for twenty years, Reg, Sirius replied, sitting in his high-backed wooden chair and sipping his tea. I'd rather he just get on with it. I've got things to do today and didn't expect to be summoned back to this hellhole before I'd even had my tea. He sighed and looked around the imposing dining room with its high ceilings, dark mahogany walls, heavy silver candelabras, dark green velvet curtains, and portraits of sneering ancestors in gilded frames. He hated coming back to Twelve Grimald Place and avoided it at all costs, 
preferring instead the bucolic quiet of his country manor or even his small apartment in Mayfair. So would I, truth be told, Regulus replied. He tapped one long finger on the highly polished table to summon Creature, the family's elderly and decrepit house-elf, who answered most readily to Regulus. Fetch another pot of tea, please, Regulus asked the elf, motioning to the silver pot with a wave of his hand. This one's gone cold. Yes, sir. Creature croaked and disappeared with a sharp crack. I do have a feeling this deathbed visit will be the lucky one, Regulus said of their father. When I saw him last night he looked positively green. Must have looked a right sight better than he normally does, then, Sirius said, spreading marmalade on a piece of toast. You're not wrong, there, Regulus agreed. Pass me the... But what Regulus wanted Sirius to pass him, he never said, because suddenly, a violent, throat-shredding scream rang through the house, followed by a cacophony of crashes and shattering glass. The brothers' eyes snapped to each other in alarm for a half-second before pushing their heavy chairs backwards and rushing from the dining room into the cavernous foyer. They looked up to see their mother tearing across the top landing in a vicious rage, screaming and pointing her wand at anything in her line of sight. Her silvery eyes sparked with insanity, and wild strands of graying black hair escaped her bun as she shrieked and raged. Vases exploded, sconces flew off the walls, and decorative bowls careened into the ceiling, while house elves cowered in fear. Sirius grabbed Regulus by the collar and yanked him down to the floor just as a suit of armor came hurtling over the banister toward them, narrowly missing their heads and skidding across the ground behind them with a clang of metal against stone. That's quite enough, Sirius said over his mother's raging, and wordlessly pointed his wand at her. She hit the floor like a sack of stones as Sirius's full-body bind curse hit her squarely in the chest. Sirius and Regulus climbed the grand staircase and stood over her impassively as her seething eyes darted between them. Mother, Sirius said coolly, looking down at her body laid out on the handsome dark green rug at his feet. We cannot have you behaving like a rabid animal. I shall unbind you, but you must promise to refrain from this tasteless conduct. Blink once if you agree, Regulus sighed sounding vaguely bored and slinging a hand into his pocket. While Berga Black blinked once, Sirius flicked his wand lazily, and she immediately scrambled to her knees and resumed her screaming. Oh, for Merlin's sake, you vile woman, Sirius muttered. He flicked his wand so she froze again and turned to look at his brother with a shrug. Creature, Regulus called, and Creature appeared at their knees with a crack. Yes, master. What's got her bloomers in a twist? Regulus asked the elf. Your father. Creature sniffed, wiping his eyes with the corner of the tea towel he wore slung around his waist. He is dead, sir. I say, I didn't think the old man had it in him. Sirius said thoughtfully. I thought he'd live forever out of sheer spite. Creature turned to Sirius and bowed so low that his long nose brushed the top of Sirius's shiny black boot. I am your faithful servant. Lord Black, Creature said, and Sirius inclined his head politely in acknowledgement of the old elf. At this, Walburga screamed again, her powerful fury breaking through Sirius's full-body bind curse. She got to her feet. Filth, vile blood traitor, sullying the name of... She screamed until Regulus cut her off. What are you on about, you hateful old hag? Regulus demanded. Him. Walburga screeched, pointing at Sirius. He'll banish me now that he's Lord Black. 
Well, I wasn't going to, but now that you mention it, Sirius said, twirling his wand idly between his fingers. Banishment would suit you. Where would you like to go? Antarctica? Siberia? The Amazon jungle? Name your favorite harsh climate, and I shall send you there, mother. Why you ungrateful, horrid, piece of? All right, that's quite enough. Sirius sighed. He waved his wand once more, and his mother vanished. Where did you send her? Regulus asked, more out of curiosity than anything else. Only the attic, Sirius said. I'll think of somewhere more suitable in due course. She certainly can't stay here, not if we plan to rehabilitate this place. We need to start cleaning out the rubbish, and that includes her. He waved his wand again, and every item that Walberga had exploded in her rage came flying back together, landing in their original spots, including an ugly 12th century wood carving hanging on the wall next to Sirius's head depicting the Black Family Crest and its motto, Toujours Pure. On second thought, Sirius said, looking at it with a tilt of his head. He waved his wand again, and the wood carving disintegrated in a puff of black smoke. Much better, Sirius nodded, admiring the newly blank stretch of wall. Sirius, as tempting as it may be, you can't just go blowing things up and throwing everything away now that father's finally gone, Regulus said. There are valuable relics in this house that are very historically important. Sirius turned and led them back down the wide staircase running his hand thoughtfully down the highly polished serpentine banister. I'm well aware of that, Reg, Sirius said, which is why I've already found us an appraiser. Let me guess, Regulus said, young, handsome, and eager. Sirius bristled at this but chose to take the high road. He happens to be an expert in his field. I've never seen anything like it, actually, Sirius replied. You found an expert, Regulus snorted. In what? Cocksucking. Sirius had Regulus against the wall before he even realized he'd moved. He towered over his younger brother and pinned him still with one strong hand shoved to his shoulder. You'll take care to watch your mouth, Regulus, Sirius said in a low voice, pressing his brother's chin upward with the tip of his wand. When that boy is in this house, you will show him nothing but respect, do you understand me? Oh my, Lord Black, Regulus laughed. In deep, aren't we? Sirius felt a touch of the rage and madness that ran through his family's veins as he thought about how easy it would be to simply tie his brother's tongue to the roof of his mouth like he used to when they were children. Instead, he gave Regulus one more hard shove and relinquished his grip, taking a step back but not looking away. I asked if you understood me, he said quietly, and the smile faded from his brother's face. Yes. Good. Sirius said lightly. Now, shall we discuss arrangements for the corpse? Orion Black's body hadn't fully gone cold before the doorbell rang at twelve Grimald Place to reveal Sirius's cousins, Andromeda, Bellatrix, and Narcissa. They were as beautiful as they were arrogant and swanned into the house past creature, as though the battered old elf weren't even there. Good news travels fast, I see, Sirius said as they walked in adjusting his reading glasses without looking up from the estate's legal and financial papers he was reviewing in the drawing room. The weird sisters have arrived. You should be grateful, this isn't really a Shakespearean play, cousin. Bellatrix said, flinging her long, black curls over her shoulder haughtily. Otherwise, I'd be plotting to marry Regulus, murder you, and take my rightful place as Lady Black. You say that as though you haven't already suggested it. 
Regulus said, coming in from the dining room with a bottle of brandy and five crystal glasses levitating through the air in front of him. He swished his wand and they landed neatly onto the parlor table. Creature swooped in, filled them, and handed one to each of the black cousins. Regulus had to goad Sirius out of his seat, but eventually he stood and took a glass of brandy, too. To the new Lord Black, Regulus said, lifting his glass toward his brother. Long may he live. Sirius looked over at Bellatrix, who rolled her eyes, but made a great show out of toasting Sirius's name anyhow. Are we finished? Sirius said, downing the last of his brandy in one swallow and sitting back down with his papers. Well, my lord, Narcissa said with as much irony as she could muster. I do have a suggestion for your first order of business. Oh, and what's that? Sirius muttered, frowning at the chaotic state of his father's bank ledgers. Someone needs to face the werewolf problem head on, Narcissa said. Werewolf problem? Sirius said absently. What do you mean? Haven't you heard? Andromeda asked. There was another attack last night. A terrible one. A mother was killed and her little girl was bitten, too. Of the three sisters, only Andromeda had anything resembling a heart or a conscience, and her soft voice rang with sorrow and pity. It was horrific, serious, Andromeda said. That poor little girl. She's only five. Not much older than Nymphadora. She's at St. Mungo's. She'll live, but... Someone should put the little brat out of her misery. Bellatrix spat, lounging back on the chaise and staring up at the ceiling with one elegant arm flung carelessly over her head. She let her shoes drop off of her feet and snapped her fingers, holding out her glass for a refill from Creature. Bella, Andromeda said. It's a child. Not anymore. Bellatrix sniffed. It's a monster. They're evil and spread evil. Why are they bothering to save its life? Why not snuff it out now while they can? Werewolves are not inherently evil, Sirius said. Evil requires malintent. When werewolves are transformed, they're simply operating on instinct, like any other creature. But when they're human, which is most of the time, they're good, evil, and everything in between, just like everyone else. Ah, you're going to be a terrible Lord Black, Bellatrix scoffed. The people want action, Sirius. Narcissa agreed. This is the third attack in as many moons. What are you suggesting? Sirius asked. Torches and pitchforks? We should round them up. Bellatrix said in a low voice that had a little too much relish in it for Sirius's liking. And exterminate them. You sound deranged. Sirius snapped. Enough of this. I know why you're here. Just go. Thank you, cousin. Bellatrix exclaimed jumping up and kissing Sirius on the cheek. He winced as she flounced away. And when I wear grandmother's diadem, I shall think of you and not fantasize at all about killing you. And she grabbed each of her sister's hands, pulled them out of the drawing room, and ran upstairs. Vultures. Sirius grumbled, pouring himself another brandy. Father's been dead forty-five minutes and they're already here cleaning out his wardrobe to scrounge for grandmother's jewels. Hey, perhaps we'll get lucky and they'll find a cursed locket or something. Regulus said brightly and looked at his watch. The undertaker should be here any minute. Want to get one last look at the old bastard before they take him away? Not particularly, Sirius said, now attempting to sort the papers by subject and date. He'd get through this mess eventually. It's a wonder we have any money at all. 
the accounts look like they were managed by a mountain troll. Rent is a wondrous thing, brother, Regulus said. It keeps idiotic nobles afloat. By that afternoon, their father's corpse was on its way to the Black family vault, while Berga Black was still raging in the magically sealed attic, and Sirius had gotten the majority of his father's papers and accounts in some order. He was exhausted, but still thinking about Remus and wondering if he was all right, so he stopped in the village on his way home from London to check on him. But when he arrived at the shop, it was empty, the shades drawn, the door locked, and the little wooden sign flipped to closed. Sirius's stomach dropped, and his heart filled with worry. What if Remus was still ill? What if he was alone with a sick father and unconscious on the floor? Or worse? Excuse me, Sirius said to a woman hurrying by with a basket of bread on her arm. Does the young man who runs this shop live here in the village? Ah, the Lupin boy, she asked in a rough tongue, and Sirius nodded. She pointed down the street. They live about a mile hence. Right at the edge of the wood. Not too friendly, the father. Remus is a sweet boy, though. Quiet as anything, of course. Ill, you know. Yes, I know. Sirius said, his heartbeat quickening. Thank you. She nodded him on his way, and Sirius rushed down the street, which got wilder and thicker with trees the further on he walked. Finally, he arrived at a neat little cottage with a wooden rail fence and a riot of colorful wildflowers blooming all around it. They were redolent with sweet smells and buzzed and fluttered with fat honeybees, butterflies, and hummingbirds, despite the mid-autumn chill and falling leaves elsewhere. But Sirius barely spared a thought to wonder at this. Instead, he hurried to the wooden door and knocked three times with his heart in his throat. It took nearly a full minute but finally the door swung slowly open to reveal the most beautiful person Sirius had ever seen. It was now the third time he'd laid eyes on Remus, and yet the effect was the same as the first, incredulous wonder that a human being could be so ethereal. It radiated out of him like moonlight made into human flesh. But this time, Remus looked impossibly tired and sick, too, as though each of his limbs and even his eyelids were as heavy as lead. And even worse, he had a terrible gash across the top of his left collarbone, exposed by the too-big dressing gown that slipped down his lovely, slender shoulder. Remus, Sirius breathed. Mr. Black, Remus croaked, clearly confused. He gripped the door frame with white knuckles and his knees shook. What are you doing here? I came to check on you, Sirius said. I wanted to make sure you were all right after you fainted yesterday, but your shop was empty so I asked someone in the village where you lived. Sirius leaned his head to one side to look past Remus into his little cottage, but there was no one else there. Even the fireplace was empty and cold. Are you all by yourself? Sirius asked, unable to hide his concern. My father, Remus said weakly. My father is here, but he's very... Remus broke down crying and Sirius felt his heart cleave in two at the sight of his sweet face and so much pain. He's very sick, Remus finished, as though he, too, wasn't very sick. And so are you, Sirius said softly, putting a hand to Remus's cheek. I'm fine, Remus said, shaking his head and looking at the floor, but the tears still shone on his cheeks in the dying afternoon sunlight. Remus, may I please come in? Sirius asked. Why? Remus lifted his head slowly, frowning up at Sirius. 
so I can help you. I don't need your help, Remus said fiercely, his voice shaking as tears continued to streak down his pretty cheeks. Sirius took a step forward and took Remus's face in his hands, wiping away the tears with his thumbs and tilting Remus's head up to look at him. I didn't say you needed it, darling, Sirius said, gently but firmly. Sometimes it's simply nice to have. Remus drew in a shaking breath, and Sirius wanted nothing more than to draw him to his chest, scoop him into his arms, and carry him straight home, away from this lonely place and into Sirius's own warm bed, where he could hold him all night, protect him, and dote on him properly. But that would have to wait. Right now, Remus needed him here. Why? Remus asked again, searching Sirius's face and that question alone sent Sirius's heart ricocheting around his chest. Because you deserve it. And because I want to. Please, Sirius said, sliding his large hands so they cradled the back of Remus's neck. Let me take care of you. Remus's amber eyes blinked slowly shut as he leaned his head back into Sirius's hands, and he nodded twice before opening his eyes again, his full, pink lips parted slightly. Merlin, he was beautiful. All right, Remus finally agreed. That's a good lad, Sirius said, brushing his hair out of his face. Come along, then. He fit Remus's small hand into his and led him back into the chilly house. He found Remus's bedroom and settled him into bed, pulling the covers up around him snugly. He lit a fire in the grate in the sitting room and conjured another fireplace in Remus's bedroom to warm him there, too. He made tea and encouraged Remus to drink then found a stack of rough linen cloths and transfigured them into fluffy, soft cotton ones. He wet one of them with water from his wand, charmed it to stay cool, and folded it onto Remus's feverish forehead as he dozed. Then, he called for Creature, who appeared at the foot of Remus's bed with a crack. Yes, Lord Black, Creature said, bowing low. Bring me the heartiest soup you can find. And bread, ale, pheasant, and cheese. And dried fruit. Plenty of it, Sirius asked. Bring it all back here, please. Creature nodded, bowed again, then disapparated. Lord. Remus was sitting up in bed and frowning at Sirius. Yes, Sirius said. I suppose so. So that means, your father, Remus said, his face crumpling in concern. Sirius nodded. This morning, he said. Oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. I mean, Lord. Lord Black, Remus stammered. Please, Remus, call me Sirius. But Remus shook his head, making his silvery gold curls bounce around his tired face. That doesn't feel proper, Remus said, his cheeks turning pink. Neither does being called Lord Black after a lifetime of hearing people address my father as such, Sirius said. Please. All right, Remus replied quietly. A small smile formed on his face, and Sirius's heart soared to see it. I'm very sorry for your loss, Sirius. Thank you, Sirius said, not feeling very sorry himself, but touched by the sentiment all the same. It was time. A blessing, then, Remus said sweetly. You could say that, Sirius sighed. Remus's dressing gown had slipped down over his shoulder again as he sat up in bed and Sirius's eyes traveled from Remus's face to the gash there. May I heal that? Remus pulled the bedclothes around him more tightly and adjusted the collar of his dressing gown. He hesitated for a heartbeat, 
but nodded shyly. Sirius sat on the edge of his bed, took the roughly spun cloth of the dressing gown in his hand, and pulled it aside to reveal the cut, which was deep and angry, and looked so violently wrong against Remus's glowing skin. He was so beautiful that Sirius couldn't help himself. He ran the tips of his fingers gently down the delicate curve of Remus's neck and across his shoulder, and Remus inhaled sharply at his touch. Sirius briefly worried that he was in pain until their eyes met. Desire stirred in his stomach at the sight of Remus's darkened pupils staring back at him, at his parted, shining lips, half-lidded eyes, and heaving chest. He wondered whether Remus had ever been touched before, whether he'd ever been kissed, whether he'd ever known the kind of pleasure that Sirius was quite practiced at giving. But he forced those thoughts out of his mind. This won't hurt. Sirius said, ignoring the stirring in his trousers as he imagined Remus's lithe body underneath his. He touched the tip of his wand to the cut and muttered the incantation. The wound stitched back together, but was not fully healed as it should have been. Instead, a thin scar, pink and still fresh-looking, was left, marring Remus's otherwise perfect expanse of skin. If Sirius didn't know better, he'd think it was a cursed wound, and frowned down at it curiously. He ran his thumb over the newly formed scar and his attention was snapped back to Remus, who let out a desperate little sigh as their skin brushed together. Feel better, then? Sirius asked, and Remus nodded once more. Yes, sir, he whispered. Thank you. Remus's eyelids drooped again, as though the healing process had completely sapped his energy away, and Sirius ran a hand across his forehead. Sleep, darling he said, trying to gently guide Remus's head back onto his pillow. Remus laid back and nestled down into the bed, closing his eyes for a second before dragging them open once more. But my father, he mumbled, half asleep already. Don't worry, Sirius said, stroking his hair until his eyes fell shut again. I'll tend to everything. It didn't take long for Remus's breathing to become slow and steady in the warm room with the magically crackling fire. Sirius looked down at his sweet, sleeping face, kissed his forehead gently, and conjured himself a chair, his glasses, and a book, and settled in to sit with him for the night. Chapter 4 Sirius woke the next morning with a gentle hand on his shoulder and a soft voice in his ear. My lord, Sirius. He opened his eyes to see Remus standing over him fully dressed and holding a cup of tea. Remus looked remarkably better than he had the night before. Still a bit tired, perhaps, but a dewy pink blush had returned to his cheeks, and his eyes were bright and lively. Would you like some tea, sir? Remus asked, offering the cup with a soft smile. Sirius ran a hand through his hair and unfolded himself from the chair where he'd spent the night curled awkwardly at Remus's bedside. His neck and shoulders were stiff and sore, and he stretched gingerly as he sat up and accepted the tea. He wished he'd thought to add a few more cushions to the chair when he'd conjured it. Thank you, Sirius said blearily, taking a sip of the hot, pleasantly sweet tea. How are you feeling? I'm feeling much better, thank you, Remus said, and even his voice sounded spirited and cheerful. He sat on the edge of his small, wooden bed across from Sirius and put his hands on his knees. He looked down at his feet for a moment before meeting Sirius's eyes, and again Sirius was struck not only by his radiant beauty, 
but by the vitality and magic that seemed to glow from within him. I don't know how to thank you for last night, Remus said gazing at him fondly. How can I ever repay you? There is no need for repayment, Remus, Sirius said, and hoped Remus believed it. He sipped his tea again and felt a sense of contentment wash over him. He looked down into his cup, where a few flower petals, soft yellow and delicate, floated on top of the pink-hued liquid. What kind of tea is this? Sirius asked. I can't place the flavor. It's a blend that I created, Remus said, sitting up straighter, and his voice rang with the same shy excitement as when he told Sirius about the ring. It contains shisandra and rosemary for energy, and I also added rose hips and linden to soothe your grief for your father. A soft O was all Sirius could manage at first, and he stared at Remus, trying to fully appreciate and understand him. Sirius was not typically struck speechless, but found himself overwhelmed by Remus's loving consideration of Orion's death and his curious, empathic magic, which seemed to come more from instinct than any formal instruction. Is it all right? Remus asked nervously, his eyes wide. Oh, yes. Sirius assured him. The tea is wonderful. It's simply that you amaze me, Remus. Your magic is unlike anything I've ever seen. Remus nodded and looked down at his hands. I know it's a bit unusual, he said, sounding embarrassed. But... I meant that it's beautiful, Sirius cut in. At this, Remus looked up at him in surprise. His cheeks colored a charming rose petal pink, and he smiled, a full, radiant smile, almost despite himself. Thank you, he said, and paused, now looking at Sirius with as much wonder as Sirius felt toward him. Why are you so kind? How could Sirius answer that question? Was he truly kind? He was surely kinder than the rest of his family, and he was determined to finally bring a bit of benevolence and tolerance to the title of Lord Black. But whether he possessed true kindness, the sort that comes from being pure of heart, Sirius did not know. He suspected not. The kindness he felt toward Remus was born of many things. Some of them, perhaps, were superficial, just as Regulus had suspected. Sirius loved looking at Remus, and who could blame him? He loved watching his clever magic and listening to him speak. But more than anything else, Sirius felt an overwhelming urge to protect him and to give him things he'd never had before. He felt that, somehow, Remus had within him a caged creature that never had a chance to be free. Sirius wanted to open the world to him, to throw his arms wide, and say, This, this is all for you. He looked into Remus's earnest, amber eyes, and saw a pure kindness there that Sirius himself surely lacked. Because I enjoy being kind to you, Sirius said, which was the truest explanation he could think of. And because I appreciate your company. You do, Remus asked. Very much, Sirius replied. Remus took a deep breath and answered quietly when he spoke again. I very much appreciate your company as well, Sirius, Remus said, and Sirius loved the way his name sounded on Remus's lips. I'm quite glad of that, Remus, because I was hoping to retain your services on a more regular basis, Sirius said. He went on to describe in as little detail as possible his desire to clean out his ancestral home. I need an expert, and you are the best, he said. I think you probably know my family's reputation for the dark arts. 
I'd like to rid 12 Grimald Place of anything dangerous or distasteful, while also preserving what should be preserved. I envision us going room by room to do so. I realize this is demanding and would take you away from your shop, so I'd pay you 50 galleons a day for your work. 50 galleons a day? Remus sputtered. Yes. Sirius nodded. Of course, I'm open to negotiation should you find the challenging nature of the work demands a higher fee. Higher than 50 galleons a day? Remus laughed nervously. I already told you Remus, I'm eager to show you what you're worth. Sirius said. And frankly 50 galleons a day is nowhere near close. Remus didn't answer, only looked slightly stricken, so Sirius put his teacup on the floor and moved to sit on the edge of the bed next to him. He brushed one soft curl behind Remus's ear, then traced his jaw with the tip of his thumb. He put a finger under Remus's chin and lifted it until their eyes met. Remus gazed up at him with a sweet innocence, and Sirius wished that Remus could live, cozy and safe, in his breast pocket, right over his heart. As far as I am concerned, Sirius said, you are priceless. And he leaned down and gently kissed Remus's cheek. His skin was soft under his lips, and Sirius could feel Remus's hand trembling against his thigh. When Sirius pulled away, Remus's eyes were closed and his breathing was shaky, and he couldn't help thinking that if a kiss on the cheek could make Remus nearly come undone, what would other things do to him? Open your eyes, darling. Sirius whispered, and Remus obeyed. He looked soft and pliant, like warm wax in Sirius's hands. You're not going to faint on me again, are you? Sirius asked with a teasing smile, and ran a finger along the underside of Remus's chin. No, Remus replied with a tremulous smile of his own. That's a relief, Sirius said. I'm not sure my heart could handle it if you did. I nearly took you home with me that day, truth be told. Sirius watched him carefully, looking for signs that he'd crossed the line. Sirius knew Remus was intensely proud and longed for independence, and wondered if he'd balk at the idea of being whisked away. But to Sirius's surprise, he felt Remus's muscles relax, as though his body was melting into Sirius's, and he sighed, a sweet, dreamy little thing. That's very kind of you, Remus said. You should be safe, and happy, and cared for. Sirius replied, all the time. I thought I should, perhaps, do it myself. He wanted to say more. He wanted to draw Remus into his lap, fold him into his arms, and kiss every worry from his heart. But he wasn't sure Remus wanted that. So instead, Sirius took his hand and let the words hang between them like an offering that Remus could take any time he liked. Remus clung to Sirius's hand, but frowned at him, disbelieving. You say it like it's such a simple thing, Remus said sadly. It could be a simple thing if you let it, Sirius said, but Remus only shook his head. No, he said, and there was a resigned definitiveness in his voice that broke Sirius's heart to hear. I don't think so. There are things you don't understand. Things that will always stand in the way. You could help me understand them, Sirius said, putting his other hand to Remus's cheek and gently caressing his skin. You do not always have to do everything alone, my angel. Remus looked down at their joined hands. There are some things I have to do alone, Remus said, and let out a harsh little laugh. And I am no angel. Sirius drew their hands to his lips and pressed a slow kiss to the tender skin on the inside of Remus's wrist. Maybe it was only his imagination, 
but Sirius thought Remus's skin tasted like sweet, wildflower honey, gathered under the warm sun on a summer's day. You are in good company, then, Sirius said with a cheeky smile, for I am no angel, either. If you told me otherwise, I would believe you, Remus said softly, his eyelids heavy as he looked at Sirius. You feel like an angel to me. If anyone could make me into one, it would be you, my darling. Sirius replied, rubbing soft circles against Remus's palm and running each of Remus's fingers between his own. They stared at each other, the energy between them heavy and intense, and Sirius could feel a million unsaid things swirling around them. Remus tightened his grip on their joined fingers, and Sirius imagined how their clasped hands would feel sliding against the sheets in Sirius's bed. Crack. Lord Black, sir. Creature croaked, bowing low at Sirius's feet. Remus's father is awake. Thank you, Creature, Sirius said. You are dismissed. I shall see you at Twelve Grimold Place soon. Creature bowed again and disapparated with a sharp crack. Remus looked at Sirius questioningly. Our house elf, Creature, monitored your father last night while under a disillusionment charm. Sirius told him. I wanted you to get a good night's rest, and I promised you I would tend to everything. Oh, Sirius, Remus whispered, a single tear falling down his cheek. Thank you. It was truly my pleasure, Sirius replied, brushing the tear away. In truth, he'd like nothing more than to tend to everything for Remus, and the fact that Remus kept him at arm's length, despite his obvious desires, made Sirius want him even more. Sirius had known more than his fair share of lovers, and each of them seemed to have some kind of ulterior motive, whether it was money, land, access to ancient dark magic, or simply the cash of having bagged the handsome and well-endowed Sirius Black, whose carnal skills and reputation preceded him. Normally, Sirius did not particularly care what drew someone into his bed, because he never let them stay very long anyhow. But now, he was determined to show Remus what it meant to be cherished, and eventually, he hoped, what it meant for Sirius to take him apart, piece by piece. Remus. Lyle's weak voice rang across the hall, and Remus turned his body toward the rough wooden door to answer him. Coming, father, he called in reply. I should go to him, Remus said reluctantly, turning back to Sirius. How can I ever thank you? Countless answers ran through Sirius's mind, each more improper than the last. Seeing you well looked after is thanks enough, Sirius said, cupping Remus's cheek. Although if you'd consent to work for me, I'd be delighted. Remus looked conflicted as his amber eyes darted between Sirius's gray ones. My father does not like me spending time away, he said, speaking more to himself than to Sirius. But he can hardly protest fifty galleons a day and he does not monitor my whereabouts when he believes me to be in the shop. Let it be our secret, then, Sirius offered. For now. And once he's seen that you are safe with me and continuing to provide for him he may welcome the change. Remus's brow furrowed, and his eyes went unfocused as he became lost in thought. Finally, he nodded and looked at Sirius decisively. Yes, Sirius, I would be honored to work for you and the noble and most ancient house of Black, he said, and Sirius laughed without meaning to. We are noble in title only, Sirius said, shaking his head. We're scoundrels, Remus, the lot of us. Surely not you, Remus said, wide-eyed, and Sirius laughed again. 
Me worst of all, I assure you, Sirius said. I don't believe that for a second, Remus replied, raising his chin defiantly, and Sirius smiled at him indulgently. All right, darling, if you'd like me to be noble, then I will be for the rest of my days. Sirius promised, and Remus beamed at him. The sight of Remus's unguarded smile was enough to make Sirius renounce his family's wicked ways forever. Now, are you feeling up for visiting me later today? Yes, I'm feeling fine. Better than fine, Remus insisted. Shall I come around noontide? By flu. That's perfect. I can't wait. He kissed Remus's hand, bid him goodbye, and started out the door of the little cottage when Remus stopped him. Sirius, wait, he said, rushing up behind him. Here. Remus handed him a small glass jar filled with a thick green, gelatinous substance flecked with little bits of red. Sirius looked at it curiously. It's a healing salve, Remus told him. I noticed that your neck seemed sore when you woke this morning. And did you make this, too, my sweet, clever boy? Sirius asked, and Remus nodded. It will work wonders, I promise, Remus said. It contains cayenne pepper and bee venom, among other things. Thank you, Sirius said, and he felt the gratitude deep in his bones. It was something true, and pure, and real. And unlike everyone else, Remus asked for nothing in return. Which made Sirius long to give him everything. Sirius left the house, closing the little wooden door behind him, and was just about to apparate away when Remus's front garden caught his eye. Like yesterday, the garden was filled with summertime blooms, when everything around it was wilted and sleeping as it should be in autumn. And there were even more brightly colored flowers, hummingbirds, and butterflies. Sirius stared at it with wonder and considered knocking on the door again to ask Remus about it. But he knew Remus was tending to his father, so he shrugged and apparated back to twelve Grimmauld Place to eagerly wait for Remus's arrival. I'm going to eat him for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and pudding, cousin. Bellatrix's eyes followed Remus hungrily as he walked around the library at twelve Grimmauld Place with a piece of parchment, and his quill enchanted to take notes as he took inventory of the large, mahogany-walled room with its floor-to-ceiling bookshelves filled with wicked trinkets and tome after tome dedicated to the darkest of arts. Over my dead body, Bella. Sirius hissed at her. He grabbed her by the wrist and gave her a little shake. I'll take him against the wall right, after I step over your dead body. She laughed and pointed her wand at Sirius, shooting a fiery hot spark to his ankle and making him jump in pain. Ah, oh, fuck, Bellatrix. He swore at her through gritted teeth as her curse continued to sting his skin. Why the hell are you here? My sisters and I decided that you're not to be trusted with our family relics. She sniffed. So I thought I'd keep an eye on you and your little rent boy. Little did I know I'd encounter such a delicious-looking man, who would someday leave me twice widowed. She gazed at Remus with a sigh of undisguised longing. Unless you want me to banish you to the attic with your dear Auntie Wally, you'll get the hell out of this house now, Bella. Sirius warned. Bellatrix just gave him an evil smile and bit her lower lip with wicked relish. Oh, Remus, darling. She called, her voice so honeyed that Sirius fought the urge to be sick on her leather shoes. Yes, Mrs. Lestrange. Remus asked, turning his head away from a blood-stained copy of Magic Most Evil to look at Bellatrix expectantly. 
Call me Bella, please. She purred, and Sirius's stomach turned as he wondered whether he himself had sounded this sickening when he asked Remus to call him Sirius. My husband is tragically dead, and calling me Mrs. Lestrange wounds my poor heart. Remus's eyes softened, and he looked at Bellatrix with great pity. Sirius wanted to curse her into next week. Of course, Bella, Remus said. I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, you know, she said airily. Death is a part of life. No harm done. I wanted to ask you. And she wrapped an arm around Remus's waist to lean in close to speak to him. Don't you think we should host a ball? To honor the new Lord Black? She asked into his ear, giving Sirius a twisted grin. Remus looked across the room at Sirius questioningly while Sirius tried not to lunge at Bella and strangle her with a cursed tapestry. We do not need a ball, Sirius growled. Don't you love a party? Bellatrix simpered at Remus, ignoring Sirius and hanging on Remus's arm. Sirius watched her fingers trace little circles along his bicep and bit the inside of his cheek in angry frustration. If Remus hadn't been there, he would have already hexed Bellatrix's hair off. But Sirius had to say something stupid, like promising to be noble for the rest of his days. I've never been to a party, Remus confessed, and Bellatrix gasped dramatically, throwing a hand to her heart and casting a simpering, desperate look at her cousin, who stood fuming across the room. Never been to a party. Sirius, did you hear? It's tragic. She turned back to Remus and put a hand on each of his arms. Would you like to go to one, darling? She cooed. They are very amusing. There's fantastic food and music and dancing. And people from all over the world apparate in for the night. Yes, I'd love to go to a party, Remus said. It sounds wonderful. It's settled then, she said. We shall host a ball Saturday next. And since I insist upon always having the most handsome escort, you can be mine. Ah? Sirius couldn't take it anymore and sent a stinging jinx right to the side of Bellatrix's neck, making it swell unpleasantly as she shrieked in pain. She slapped a hand to the angry red mark that bloomed on her skin. You stupid, fucking. Bellatrix snarled, lunging toward Sirius with her wand clutched in her fist like a dagger. But Sirius only flicked his own wand languidly and sent Bellatrix skidding on her heels out the front door, which slammed shut and locked behind her. My apologies, Remus, Sirius said, hurrying over to him. Remus looked slightly shell-shocked, and Sirius put a calming hand on his wrist. She's a terrible person, and I'm almost certain she murdered her first husband. Oh, Remus gasped. That's horrible. Yes, why? I suppose a ball is out of the question then. Remus laughed nervously, turning back to his parchment and quill, but Sirius thought he heard a tone of disappointment in his voice. Would you really like to go to a ball? Sirius asked, and Remus looked back at him, his eyes bright. Oh, yes, someday, I hope, Remus replied, and Sirius pictured him in a perfectly tailored suit that accentuated every cut and curve of his beautiful body, and Sirius's large hands roaming said body during a Viennese waltz. Well then, my darling, Sirius said, taking Remus's face in his hands, a ball you shall have. Chapter 5 It's been a while since you've done any deflowering, Padfoot. 
Bet you're looking forward to this one. I know I would be. James Potter had an appreciative glint in his eye as he leaned across the banister on the upper landing at 12 Grimald Place and tracked Remus walking around the foyer below. This one is different, Sirius said quietly, slinging one hand into his pocket and resting the other on the banister next to James. He, too, watched Remus walk slowly around the foyer, cataloging the art on the walls. Even here, in the dark gloom of 12 Grimald Place, Remus seemed to emit an otherworldly, golden glow. If you don't have your sights on him, does that mean he's up for grabs? James asked eagerly, running a hand through his messy black hair. I'm sure Reg and I could make excellent use of him. Keep such thoughts to yourself, Potter, Sirius said coolly, his eyes not leaving Remus. Unless you fancy having your balls hexed off. James and Sirius were more akin to brothers than best friends, and had been since their first year at Hogwarts despite being sorted into different houses. In fact, being in Gryffindor and Slytherin, respectively, and the heirs to two of the wizarding world's most important pure-blood families simply made them a more formidable duo, and by their fifth year, no one, not even the teachers, would have dared cross them. When James married Regulus, Sirius was thrilled that his best friend was finally, truly one of his family. No, I'm quite fond of my balls, thank you, and so is your brother. James laughed. It would just be such a shame to let someone so exquisite go to waste. I've no plans to let him go to waste, I assure you, Sirius said. But I'm moving with careful intention. His virtue will be the last one I take. Meaning what? James asked, looking at him curiously through his wire-rimmed glasses. Meaning that my heart will be his, Sirius replied. Forever. It likely already is. I find that hard to believe, James snorted. Your reputation precedes you, Lord Black. You haven't even bedded the boy yet. He could be terrible at fucking, and then what will you do? Sirius didn't reply, but knew that when he finally took Remus to bed it would be anything but terrible. Remus's lithe body responded like kindling to fire whenever they were near each other, and his skin heated and breath quickened at even the merest touch. No, this was a boy who was eager and willing to learn, and oh, the things Sirius could teach him. Believe it, James. He's ensnared me, Sirius said. I can't fully explain it. But I plan to spoil him rotten once he lets me. He'll be the most pampered creature in England. But James only looked at him with an expression that was half impressed, half concerned. He's not used dark magic on you, has he? James asked, now eyeing Remus suspiciously, but Sirius only laughed. As though anyone could use dark magic on me and get away with it. Sirius replied. Did it ever occur to you that I could simply be in love? Now it was James's turn to laugh. You? In love? He asked, incredulous. No, actually, that never did occur to me. A strange expression crossed James's face, and he stood up straight from where he was leaning over the banister, fixing Sirius with a disbelieving look. Oh, for fuck's sake, Sirius, is that why you've agreed to give this godforsaken ball? That's precisely why, Sirius said, without an ounce of embarrassment or self-consciousness. He said he'd never been to one and dearly wishes to go. And if my darling boy wants a ball, I shall give him one. It will be distastefully extravagant, and you and your husband will be there with a smile. Yes, Lord Black. Of course, Lord Black. Anything you command, Lord Black. James replied with a smirk, leaning back onto the banister to continue watching Remus, 
who was now sitting cross-legged on the floor to write, his head bowed over his parchment intently, and quickly scribbling across the page with his quill. Sirius recognized the look of pure concentration and thoughtfulness in Remus's furrowed brow, and pride swelled in his heart that Remus's intellect matched his stunning beauty. Oh, my poor darling, Sirius frowned to himself. He must be uncomfortable there on the floor. James rolled his eyes. God help us, Sirius. Only you would fall in love so dramatically. But Sirius ignored him and waved his wand to conjure a handsome, plush, green velvet wing chair, which appeared in the foyer at Remus's knees with a little pop. Remus jumped in surprise at its sudden arrival. He looked around for its source and smiled up at Sirius. Hello, sir, he said brightly, his smile lighting up his face and indeed, the entire room. Sirius glanced over at James, whose eyebrows raised in surprise at this new facet of Remus's incandescent splendor. I didn't know you were there. Simply enjoying the view, Sirius said leaning his elbow on the banister and resting his chin on the heel of his hand. It's such a pretty one. But I don't wish to bother you. I'm sorry if we did. I merely hope to check in. Remus's cheeks flushed a lovely shade of coral pink at this praise, and he smiled softly to himself as he looked down at his parchment. It was a gesture that Sirius would normally interpret as manipulative coquettishness designed to entrap a powerful man. Sirius had no patience for trembling swains and viewed them with distrust. He'd much prefer honest enthusiasm, as tawdry as that may be, over false coyness. But from Remus, he knew the reaction was genuine. You could never bother me, Remus replied, looking back up at Sirius. It's I who should worry about bothering you. I hope I'm not taking you away from your work by being here. Work, James said, letting out a delighted laugh. Oh yes, Lord Black's diary is full of important engagements. Why just today he had to confront the emergency of being fitted for a new top hat? I don't know how he copes with the stress. Sirius and James walked down the stairs and reached the bottom landing as Remus stood up to face them. James put out his hand in greeting, and Remus shook it. James Potter, he said with a jovial grin, the brother Sirius never had. Remus looked bemusedly between Sirius and James. Remus had, in fact, met Regulus that very morning. It's very nice to meet you, Mr. Potter, Remus replied. Mr. Potter? Oh no, please don't tell me this wanker makes you call him Lord Black. James guffawed, throwing a heavy arm over Sirius's shoulder and attempting to pull him into a headlock. You must forgive James, Sirius grunted, trying to wrestle James off him while maintaining a shred of dignity. Insanity runs in his family. You mean the family I married into? James laughed. Sirius threw James off with an elbow to the ribs and shoved him into the newly conjured wing chair. It skidded backwards and collided with the wall, sending a lit candle toppling off a heavy silver sconce and straight toward James's head. Before Sirius or James even realized what happened, Remus flicked his hand and transfigured the candle into a shower of yellow flower petals, which fell harmlessly onto James's shoulders and lap. That was some trick, mate, James said wide-eyed. Well, Remus said with an easy shrug, I couldn't let you get covered in hot wax. Not during the day, anyway, James said with a wicked grin and a wink, and Sirius groaned internally, while Remus simply looked confused. 
Sirius took Remus gently by the elbow and drew him close, tucking him into his side and threading an arm around his waist. Like always, he felt Remus melt into him and lean in closer. Remus is one of the most gifted wizards I've ever met, Sirius told James, looking down at Remus adoringly. His magic is intuitive, and the control he wields over it is like nothing I've ever seen. Remus looked back up at him with just as much affection and laced his fingers through the one Sirius had around his waist, seemingly without even thinking about. It felt so natural and easy, the way their bodies sought each other out and slotted together. You're too sweet to me, Sirius, Remus blushed. No such thing, Sirius replied. He leaned down and kissed him on the cheek, and Remus hummed contently, tilting his head against Sirius's shoulder. You sound like quite the catch, Remus, James said, leaning back in the chair regally and crossing one leg over the other. At James's words, Remus seemed to startle back to himself. He let go of Sirius's hand and adopted a more formal countenance, stiffening slightly in Sirius's embrace. I'm very fortunate to have an employer as kind as Lord Black, Remus said, and James shot Sirius a questioning look. Sirius shook his head imperceptibly but James could plainly see the disappointment all over his face. You know, Remus, I was only speaking in jest about Sirius's personal commitments, James said lightly. As the new Lord Black, he's already shown himself to be a capable and compassionate leader. In fact, he began his morning with a meeting of local parish councils to address the werewolf issue head-on. Sirius gave his best friend a grateful smile. Good old James, he thought, always talking him up. Werewolf issue, Remus asked in a small, quavering voice, his face suddenly white and awash with fear. He must be terrified of such a thing, Sirius thought, and pulled him closer, even as Remus's body trembled, and his breathing became shallow. No need to be frightened, my darling, Sirius assured Remus, giving him a comforting squeeze. We're taking care of it. Ha, how? Remus asked. In light of the recent attacks, I'm going to arrange a summit with one of their more visible, leaders, for lack of a better word. Sirius told him. I'd like to open a dialogue first. What do you mean, first? Remus asked. Well, Sirius said thoughtfully. I, unlike some of my family, don't believe that werewolves are any different than you or I they simply suffer from a condition over which they have no control. I envision establishing safe rooms at the ministry, as well as nature preserves that are carefully warded and designated especially for full moons. But if talks were to break down, he paused, trying to think of how to phrase Bellatrix's distasteful, round them up, suggestion in a way that wouldn't sound barbaric, but stopped himself when he saw the look of horror on Remus's face. I suppose we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, Sirius finished, trying to sound reassuring. No need to talk about it now. Oh, Remus mumbled and looked at the floor. Sirius grasped his chin with his thumb and forefinger and lifted it so he and Remus looked into each other's faces. You've nothing to fear about werewolves or anything else, Sirius said. I'd never let any harm come to you. Remus nodded, but appeared unconvinced. Why don't we talk about something more pleasant? James piped up. How are plans coming for the ball? I've no idea, Sirius admitted. I trust my staff to handle that. Will the ball be here at Grimold Place? Remus asked, his voice stronger now, but still a bit tremulous. No, Sirius replied. It will be at the manor, in the countryside, just outside your village, actually. 
Yes, I know where Black Manor is, Remus said. Everyone in the village does. Naturally, Sirius thought, annoyed with himself. Half of the villagers have worked on the manor's grounds, in one way or another. He really needed to stop putting his foot in it if he had any chance of Remus not shying away from him all the time. I should get back to work, Remus said shortly, crouching down to pick up his parchment and quill. I need to be home soon, and I want to start on the drawing room before I leave. Oh, Sirius said, a bit surprised by Remus's sudden shift in mood. Yes, please, don't let us keep you from your work. Say goodbye before you go? Of course, sir. Remus replied tightly. He looked at James. It was very nice to meet you, Mr. Potter. It was nice meeting you too, Remus, James said, standing up, and his confused expression mirrored how Sirius felt. I look forward to seeing you at the ball. Yes, sir, me too, Remus nodded, and quickly strode from the room. Sirius and James watched him walk out of the foyer and round the corner, listening as his footsteps faded away. James turned to Sirius with an amused expression. So, will you be engraving your wedding invitations today, or? James said. Very funny, Sirius said. He positively ran from you, James laughed. He's very hard to read and sometimes quite mysterious, Sirius admitted. I get the feeling that he's holding something back. I'm determined to win him over, though. I could make him very happy. James's face softened as he listened to Sirius. I'm just taking the mickey, Padfoot. It's clear that he's good and won over already. He seems to genuinely care for you, James conceded. He just got a little jumpy over the werewolf thing. And who can blame him, really? They're terrifying. Sirius considered this. Remus had lived quite a sheltered life under his father's thumb and likely had never encountered something as horrifying as a werewolf outside the confines of a storybook. Yes, I suppose you're right, Sirius said. All the more reason to get the issue under control. I still can't believe you planned to seek a meeting with Greyback, James said, shuddering. I hated him before he was bitten. He was such a slimy, entitled git at Hogwarts. His family is well-respected and one of the largest landowners in their county. He's in line for a lordship himself, as you well know, Sirius said. Plus, he's one of the only werewolves who lives with his condition publicly. It makes sense to start with him. Perhaps it can generate a bit of respectability for the larger cause. Money does not make you respectable, Padfoot, you of all people should know that, James said, gesturing around at their surroundings. No, it doesn't, Sirius bristled. But unfortunately, wealth and status still carry a great deal of weight with most people. I can't ignore that. James gripped Sirius's shoulder and fixed him with a steady stare. All I'm saying is to be careful who you choose to get into bed with. Remus moved through the rest of his day in a clouded haze of anxiety. He'd been so swept away by Sirius's words, his touch, his loving soul that he'd forgotten himself, and who and what he was. He'd been foolish and reckless with his own heart, ignoring the voice in his head reminding him that he could never have the kind of life Sirius seemed to want to give him. And even if he somehow thought he could, Sirius would no longer want him if he knew the truth. He gripped the parchment and tried to focus on the task Sirius had set him, but found himself staring straight through the paintings, books, and trinkets that littered the drawing room in Grimald Place. 
In fact, he'd been paying so little attention to his surroundings that he'd allowed himself to be bitten by a cursed snuffbox that was hiding in a writing desk drawer. When it sunk its little metal teeth into Remus's hand, he cried out in pain and shock. He shook the thing off, but not before it put a bloody gash into his skin, which quickly bloomed green around the wound. Remus? Sirius ran into the drawing room, looking around for him, then rushed to his side and gripped his bleeding hand. You're hurt, he said, staring down at the injury. It's fine, Remus said, pulling away and attempting to laugh it off, but it really did hurt quite a lot, and he winced in pain. It just took me by surprise, that's all. I can heal it. It's dangerous to heal yourself, Sirius said. Let me. Sirius put out a tentative hand, as though trying not to scare Remus away, and Remus's heart broke a little more at the sight of the caring gesture and the softness on his face. If Sirius only knew how much he wanted to run into his arms and stay there, sheltered from the world. But he couldn't. Still, though, Sirius was right about the wound. Healing oneself was always risky, even for someone with magic as powerful as Remus's. The curse made things even dodgier. Remus reluctantly returned his hand to Sirius's and allowed him to fuss over it. There's a curse on it, too, Remus told him. So it'll need more than the usual wound knitting spells. Try anti-anathema, or if that doesn't work, prohibir devotio. Sirius nodded and got to work. Remus watched him gently grip his wrist while he expertly healed the wound and easily removed the curse. Again, he felt himself falling, falling into Sirius. Good as new, Sirius said, kissing the spot where the wound had been only seconds before. I'm so sorry about that. I hate this damn house. You don't need to apologize, Sirius. We knew there would be dangerous objects hidden here, and it won't be the last one I find. It's my own fault, my mind was elsewhere. It was with you, he wanted to add, but of course, held his tongue. Still, perhaps you shouldn't be alone while you work. Sirius fretted, but Remus only laughed. He lived his entire life alone. Sirius could scarcely imagine the things he regularly dealt with by himself. I'm perfectly capable of working without a chaperone, Sirius, he said. You're more than capable, Sirius said, surprised. But why do things alone if you don't have to? This knocked Remus back on his heels perhaps more than anything else Sirius had yet said to him. He supposed Sirius was right, in theory. Just because you could do something alone, it doesn't mean help wouldn't be welcome occasionally. But what Sirius didn't understand was that Remus did have to do things alone. He told him as much, even if Sirius didn't seem to believe him. Besides, Sirius continued still holding his hand, Where's the harm in letting me follow you around like a puppy if doing so makes me happy and keeps you safe? Why, why did he have to say things like that? Remus wondered. He found himself agreeing despite knowing better, and he and Sirius spent the next hour carefully emptying the rest of the writing desk. Remus showed him how to properly destroy cursed objects, and Sirius caught on quickly, mastering the spells and techniques that Remus taught him with ease. We really would have made a good team. Remus thought sadly. When the large grandfather clock struck five o'clock, Remus stood. I should be going, he said, snapping his fingers to neatly stack the items they hadn't yet sorted on top of the desk. 
May I escort you back to your cottage? Sirius asked, standing up too. You're very kind, but no, Remus said. My father. His voice trailed away, but Sirius nodded in understanding. I shall see you tomorrow, then. Sirius asked, stepping closer and taking his hand. Yes, tomorrow, Remus said, but didn't move and didn't pull his hand away. He held his breath as Sirius took a step still closer. Sirius was captivating, bewitching. His hand was warm and strong, and Remus couldn't look away if he tried. I'll think of you until then, Sirius said, placing his other hand softly against Remus's cheek. Remus tried valiantly to calm his racing heart, but it was no use. He closed his eyes at Sirius's touch and softened against him. Has anyone ever kissed you, Remus? Sirius asked quietly and Remus opened his eyes, only to get immediately lost in Sirius's. They looked like a storm at sea, beautiful and dangerous. No, Remus replied, and his voice shook with desire. Sirius moved his fingers in delicate strokes against his skin. May I? And against his better judgment, Remus whispered his reply. Yes. Chapter 6 there had been another boy. Once. Romania was beautiful in summer, with warm, floral-scented air and sharply cut valleys that dipped and plunged through the Carpathian Mountains. Remus was nineteen when he and Lyle stayed for two weeks in a magical village outside Bran, where the lively inn had a brightly painted blue door, freely flowing Fidiasca Negra wine, and musicians playing the violin, panpipe, and accordion in the inn's downstairs tavern all night long. Remus was used to people watching him wherever he went. His father said it was because his hair was an unusual shade of gold and silvery brown, and Remus didn't question that explanation until many years later. But the boy who watched him on this night was different. His eyes found Remus, but Remus's eyes found him, too. He was handsome, in his way, with black hair and nearly black eyes, and a smile that curved up a little to the right showing a mouthful of charmingly crooked teeth. Their eyes met across the room in the inn's tavern, and they did not stop glancing at each other all night. Each time Remus met the boy's gaze, his stomach swooped in a way that felt strange, but not unpleasant, and he found himself wishing they could speak to one another. We must get to bed, Remus, his father said on that first night, and Remus reluctantly left that tavern, looking over his shoulder at the boy as they climbed the stairs to their room. The boy waved and smiled, and Remus felt his neck flush as he waved and smiled back. They saw each other again the next night, and the night after that, too. The boy, it seemed, worked in the tavern with a woman who may have been his mother. He brought their food and drinks, lingering at the edge of the table to give Remus a little grin or say a cute hello in thick, heavily accented English. Lyle looked suspiciously between them, but said nothing only dragged Remus to bed each night before he and the boy had a chance to say more than good evening or good night to each other. Finally on the fourth night, Lyle became ill after lunch and retreated to their room early to rest, leaving Remus alone in the tavern. Dragos was twenty-two and dreamed of starting a sanctuary for dragon rescue, rehabilitation, and study. He talked with his hands all big gestures and passionate movements and his voice was enchanting the way it lilted up when he was excited about something. He laughed loudly and easily. Remus thought he could listen to him speak all day and night about anything and everything. 
He called Remus Remus with a richly rolling R, and asked him all about his life in England and what it was like to work in the shop with such unusual objects. He asked question after question and really listened to the answers, tilting his head in interest or nodding in passionate understanding as Remus spoke. Remus told him of his wish to see the whole world and meet everyone there was to meet. Drago said he believed that Remus would surely live such a life one day. It was wonderful to be in his company. Remus found reasons to slip away from his father often over the next several days, escaping with Dragos to the place in the forest where he wanted to open his dragon sanctuary, to Brand Castle with its imposing gothic turrets, and even to a lonely stretch of beach on the Black Sea. Remus was smitten, and so, too was Dragos, even shyly holding Remus's hand as they walked through the village together one afternoon just before the sun dipped below the craggy mountains. It felt like a dream. A week later, sitting on a blanket in a meadow thick with wild flowers behind the inn, Dragos took Remus's hand and kissed it. Perhaps, he asked, his black eyes eager and sweet, you stay. The word yes, hopeful and joyous tried to bubble up out of Remus's throat. But he and Lyle had a port key to catch in the morning and the full moon was only three nights away. Remus thought of all the things that Dragos wanted, all the dreams he had and how none of them could come true if Remus stayed in his life. He was just about to fabricate a story about why he had to leave, when Lyle's voice, sharp and angry, rang through the air. Remus, what the hell are you doing? He demanded, storming through the field toward them and crushing the delicate flowers under his feet. I'm talking with a friend, Remus said, quickly dropping Dragos's hand. Don't worry, I've finished all my work for the day, and some of yours for tomorrow, too. You know full well I'm not talking about work, Lyle said, wrapping a strong hand tightly around Remus's forearm and yanking him roughly to his feet. Drago stood, too, looking outraged. The not touching that way, he said, stepping closer to Lyle, but Lyle pulled out his wand and pointed it at Drago's chest. You stay away from him, Lyle said. Remus, get inside. We're leaving today. But father... No. Remus couldn't help the tears that fell, both from the bruises his father left on his arm and from the broken-hearted and bewildered expression on Dragos's face. Lyle dragged Remus across the meadow, but he managed to turn to look at Dragos one last time before his father jerked him by the arm and his eyes fell to the ground. Remus didn't see the wild flowers shooting up out of the grass to delicately tendril around Dragos's fingers or the butterflies landing on his shoulders to offer soft comfort. He didn't hear the bees buzzing a strange, soft melody or Dragos's shocked gasp at the mysteries blooming all around him. Instead, Remus saw his things being thrown into a suitcase and heard his father's angry, terrified warnings about trusting strangers. Your mother trusted everyone, he said, pointing his shaking wand at his own sock and turning it into an illegal port key that glowed around the edges in his hand. And look where it got us. Remus felt a jerk behind his navel, and the next second, they were home. Back in their tiny village, their tiny cottage, their tiny world. But now, with Sirius's lips on his, the world felt infinite again. It was everything and nothing like Remus expected a kiss to be. Sirius kept one hand on Remus's cheek, and the other, touched lightly against his lower back. He moved slowly and gently, barely brushing their lips together at first. 
Remus's heart thudded wildly against his ribs. He leaned closer, as though by instinct, and allowed his lips to part against Sirius's. They slid together, soft and silky, and Remus let out a little whimper when Sirius's tongue grazed against his mouth. Sirius pulled him nearer, with a strong hand closing around his waist, and Remus let his own tongue brush Sirius's. The sensation of their tongues touching sent little embers of want cascading across his skin, and he wrapped his arms around Sirius's neck. Sirius deepened the kiss, and Remus gasped as their hips rubbed together, and he felt Sirius's substantial hardness pushing through his trousers. It pressed against his own and felt so good Remus thought he would faint. His body reacted faster than his mind could stop him, and he obeyed his strange urge to take Sirius's plush lower lip between his teeth. Now it was Sirius's turn to moan in surprise. Remus, he breathed against his cheek. Are you sure you've never done this before? Remus didn't answer, just pulled Sirius down into another kiss. They stood in the drawing room, moving desperately against each other, until the grandfather clock struck a single chime to mark the quarter hour. Remus pulled away, breathless and less drunk. His mind felt fuzzy as he tilted his head back and looked into Sirius's darkened eyes. His strong, muscular arms were still threaded around Remus's waist, and Remus longed to stay in them all night. He never felt safer or more alive than he had right then. I, I have to go, Remus panted. Sirius nodded, but dipped down to kiss him once more, and Remus allowed himself to sink into him again. Sirius was so easy to get lost in. They kissed for another minute until this time. It was Sirius who pulled away. Go, my darling, he said, peppering Remus's neck with kisses. And return to me tomorrow. Remus couldn't believe he managed to step into the drawing room fireplace and said, Lupin Antiques and Curiosities, with a clear enough voice and mind to actually arrive safely. But he did. He looked around the little shop in a daze. It felt both totally familiar and completely foreign. How could everything look exactly as it always had when Remus's whole world had shifted and flipped upside down? He took a moment to steady himself, resting his hand against one of the shelves. His lips were kiss-bitten and swollen, and his pulse raced. He closed his eyes and could still feel Sirius's fingers pressing into his hips, and the mere memory of it made his softening erection begin to stiffen again. He needed to get control of himself before he went home so he filled a basin with cool water to splash on his face. When his breathing and heart rate finally slowed, Remus left the shop and started his walk home. But when he arrived there, what he saw in the garden took his breath away. It was filled with new plants and blooms, just starting to grow orchids, pomegranate, tuberose, and quinsan. For the first time, he felt grateful that his father was housebound. He stepped into their quiet cottage where his father sat reading in the rocking chair with a blanket across his lap. Hello, father, Remus said, his voice sounding strange to his own ears. He was so sure that Lyle would take one look at him and recognize that his son was profoundly different than when he left that morning. But Lyle merely glanced at him and smiled, put out a gnarled hand for Remus to grasp, and asked how the day went. Oh, fine, Remus said. I sold the obsidian cameo brooch this morning. Finally, Lyle replied. Did you need to lower the price because of the hiccuping? No, Remus told him. I was able to remove the jinx. Really, 
Lyle frowned in surprise. But I'd been trying to remove the jinx for months. I had to ask her first, Remus told him. Ask who? The woman in the cameo carving, Remus said, as though this was the most logical answer in the world. She'd put up a very strong shield charm around herself. I assured her that all I wanted to do was help her stop hiccuping, so she lowered it while I removed the jinx. I also promised that I wouldn't sell her to anyone who would keep her locked away in a box all the time. She wants to be worn, and I don't blame her. Lyle listened to him in amazement, nodding along slowly as Remus explained what he considered to be a very simple and straightforward jinx removal. Can I get you anything, father? Remus asked. Sirius had filled their larder without him knowing it the day after the full moon, and Remus was still finding things that creature had put there. Just the night before he discovered a sweet wrapped in brown paper called chocolate that he never had, but loved the moment it melted on his tongue. Would you mind making me a cup of tea, please? Lyle asked. Of course, Remus answered. Do you need me to add the white willow bark tonight? If you don't mind, Lyle said. My joints are aching badly. No surprise, rain is coming tomorrow, Remus muttered, as he busied himself in the kitchen, nodding his chin or flicking his fingers to summon the herbs from the shelf. And a cold snap, too. I'll put some turmeric in as well. Remus. Lyle chided. Where is your wand? Remus sighed. His father never liked it when he used wandless magic. He said it drew needless attention. What's the harm in not using it at home? Remus asked without turning around. It's a bad habit to get into, Lyle said. And it draws needless. But Remus cut him off. Fine, father, he said shortly, pulling his wand out of the little leather holster on his hip. As you wish. They ate dinner in silence an hour later, and after, sat reading by the crackling fire. Remus stared at the book in his hands, but didn't read any of the words on the page. His mind was still filled with Sirius and their kiss blazed in his mind's eye, burning so brightly that it blinded him to everything else that had happened that day. But other things did happen that day, things Remus couldn't ignore. Sirius was not just Sirius. He was Lord Black, and he was confronting the werewolf problem. And he was doing so while unknowingly welcoming one of those vile creatures into his own home. One of the creatures the Black family and everyone else wanted to subdue and snuff out. Even if Remus gave in to his bodily desires and ignored every warning that rang in his mind, in his father's voice, he realized, he knew that even his presence in Grimald Place risked ruin and violence against Sirius. Remus made reckless decisions whenever they were next to each other, and he could not continue to put Sirius in such danger. Remus made his choice, and cried himself to sleep with it. Remus was eating his lunch alone in the shop's back room the next day when a sharp knock pounded against the door. He ignored it. He'd already flipped the sign outside to close and was not beholden to anyone to open the door. But the knocking didn't stop, and a voice joined it. Remus? Remus, I know you're there. Please let me in. Sirius called, and it broke Remus's heart to hear it. Perhaps Remus had been cowardly to only send an owl that morning saying he was very sorry, but he couldn't work at Grimald Place anymore. He knew what Sirius did to him, though, how weak he made Remus when they were together, and he saw no other choice. He thought he was only hurting himself. Surely, he reasoned, 
Lord Sirius Black, the richest, cleverest, and handsomest man in England, would move on quickly to the next young lad who caught his fancy. Remus truly did not expect him to show up at his door, begging to be let in. He would just have to tell him face to face. Hello, Lord Black, Remus said, and Sirius winced at the formal title. I trust you received my owl. Yes, I received it, Sirius replied, his eyes not leaving Remus's face. Why did you send it? I cannot work for you anymore, Remus said stubbornly, and Sirius sighed in frustration. But you gave no reason, and I am here to ask you for one, he said. At the very least, as your employer I should. I should know. Remus was shocked to see Sirius holding back tears. I can't tell you, Remus said, and he too tried not to cry. Why not? Sirius asked, taking both of Remus's hands in his. Sirius's fingers were cold, and Remus wanted nothing more than to warm them against his own skin. After only seconds, he began to feel that blissful surrender that touching Sirius brought. Please, Remus, don't close yourself off to me. I'm very sorry, but it has to be this way, Remus said in a trembling voice. When I'm with you, I, I act foolishly. It is not foolish to fall in love, Remus, Sirius said, stepping closer. Love, Remus asked, astonished. Perhaps I am only speaking for myself, Sirius said. But yes, love. I've never felt it before, but so far, it's how the poets described. No, Remus whispered to himself, shaking his head. He had never considered that Sirius might love him, and that made all of this a million times worse. Love blinds you to threats, seduces you into ignoring warnings. Makes you believe that you and your little boy will be safe in the loving moonlight. I can't risk you, Remus said in a panic. It's too dangerous. Sirius's expression turned stormy. Is there someone who wishes to hurt you? He asked urgently, and Remus let out a bitter laugh. In a manner of speaking, Remus mumbled. He could never explain that it was he who sought to hurt himself. Whoever it is, I will end them, Sirius said in a low and dangerous voice that brought Remus back to himself. He squeezed Sirius's hands and looked up at him intently. Sirius, please, there isn't anyone. I cannot say more than this, but you must trust me, Remus begged. It has to be this way. I can't carry on with you like this. When I am with you, I want you. Have me, then, Sirius said simply. All of me. I offer myself to you. Remus. But Remus only shook his head. There are things about me, he said, his voice breaking as it trailed away, unsure how to continue. He hung his head, but Sirius cupped his cheeks in his hands and lifted his face. I know everything I need to know about you, Sirius said, his eyes sparkling in earnest. I know your beautiful mind, and your kind heart, and your pure, powerful magic. All of those things say more about you and your good soul than you realize. Remus. And I know that there is nothing you can tell me that will make me not want to be with you. But if I am not what you really want, I shall not force myself upon you. Please do not allow my feelings for you to drive you from my employ. If you consent to keep working for me, then I shall stay away. I promise. Remus stared at the silver buttons on Sirius's topcoat as he considered this. He loved his work at Grimald Place. It was exciting, interesting, and dangerous. Sirius's family was funny and more than a little frightening, and Remus loved watching them and listening to their treacherous banter. 
and then there was the matter of fifty galleons a day. Remus swallowed and stared up at Sirius for a long moment before finally nodding his assent. All right, Remus agreed, pushing away the nagging voice in the back of his mind telling him that no matter where Sirius was in the house, or in England, or in the world, he'd never be able to stay away. Chapter 7 Ridiculous, ridiculous, ridic. Baugarts were simple, laughably simple. But this one was not. Remus heard it rattling around in an ornately carved ebony highboy in a study at Twelve Grimold Place, where he'd been sorting through a large cache of Egyptian canopic jars, most of which still contained the mummified organs of the dead whose tombs they'd been raided from. He'd actually spent the early afternoon in this room with Regulus who, unlike his brother, had a deep affinity for many of the objects in the house and sat with Remus for more than an hour telling him about their great-grandfather, Antares Black, who traveled to Egypt ahead of Napoleon's army to investigate the tombs of ancient Egyptian wizards. Instead of sticking to that task, though, he came home with a trunk full of relics and the ghost of an angry priest who haunted him until his dying day. Your great-grandfather sounds fascinating, Remus said, and Regulus nodded. He was, Regulus agreed, fascinating, evil, and infuriating in equal measure, and he certainly deserved to be haunted. Remus laughed, and began magically marking each of the canopic jars with the coordinates of the tomb to which they should be returned. Regulus watched him with interest. You're very good at this, he said. Thank you, Remus replied. I've had many years of study. You know, when my brother said he was bringing home an expert appraiser, I was quite skeptical, Regulus said eyeing Remus closely. But he spoke very highly of you, and he was correct about your skills and knowledge. I'm happy to have been proven wrong. Remus simply nodded politely and kept his head down, trying to look as though his only concern were the hieroglyphs carved onto the sides of the jars. My husband was quite taken with you as well, Regulus continued. I enjoyed making Mr. Potter's acquaintance, Remus said, still not looking up from his work. Now that the conversation had switched to Sirius, however distantly, he was finding it harder to focus. He'd already lost track of which jars contained which organs and had to start his inventory again. James even said you saved him from being hurt, Regulus continued. My spell was merely the first to reach him, Remus said. I'm sure Lord Black would have acted quickly had I not been there. Of course, Regulus said. Sirius loves James very much. My brother does not love often or easily, but when he does love, he loves fiercely. To this, Remus had no reply. He could not talk about Sirius, or even think about him, without betraying some kind of emotion. As it was, he'd spent the past four nights crying alone in his bed. It was remarkable how, after only a few weeks, Sirius occupied such an enormous spot in Remus's heart. Sirius had been true to his word and not set foot in either Remus's shop or Grimald Place since they'd last spoken. He made sure Remus got paid, though, making daily deposits into his Gringotts account. In fact, Sirius had been overpaying him by quite a large margin, something Remus would have to address sooner or later. When Remus didn't answer, Regulus pressed on. Have you spoken to Sirius lately? He asked. No. Well, that certainly explains a few things, Regulus said. Oh, 
Remus asked, trying hard not to reveal his desperate interest in what Regulus meant. He's not been himself over the last few days, Regulus said, and Remus finally looked up. Regulus was like a dialed-down version of his older brother. Handsome but not as handsome, tall but not as tall. Whereas Sirius was dashing and roguish, Regulus was reserved and practical. Yet they were equally clever and observant, and Regulus was especially good at reading people. Is he all right? Remus asked, his heart pounding in his throat. Physically, he's as healthy as they come, Regulus said, an interested expression crossing his face as he took in Remus's worried countenance. And a more powerful wizard you'll never meet. But a broken heart shows no outer wounds, and I suspect that is what's plaguing him. It's hard for me to judge, though, you see, he's never had one before. Remus only nodded and looked at the floor, and soon after, Regulus said his goodbyes. Only a few minutes later, Remus heard the agitated racket of a bogart clattering around in the high boy tucked into the corner. He put down a jar containing a mummified heart, pulled his wand out of the little leather strap at his hip, and flicked his hand to make the high boy drawers fly open. The bogart immediately took the shape of the full moon, and seeing it hanging, yellow and foreboding, over his head sent a chill down Remus's spine, despite knowing of the creature's deception. Riddick. But before Remus could even finish the spell, the moon transformed into something new and terrible. Remus's eyes widened in horror, and his muscles stiffened and shook at the sight of Sirius being pursued by the wolf. Remus was frozen to the spot as Sirius ran as fast as he could, sweat dripping down his terror-stricken face. But he was no match for the beast, who overcame him with a violent tearing of claws upon flesh. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Riddick. It was no use. Sirius hit the floor with a sickening smash and the werewolf lunged upon him, clamping its jaws around his throat. A choked cry escaped Remus as the monster tore Sirius apart until he lay, dead and mutilated, at Remus's feet. No, Remus wailed. He fell to his knees and watched in horror as the wolf reared back, his ugly yellow teeth bloodied and bared, and howled in triumph at the full moon, which glowed like a menacing beacon in the dark sky. Serious. No. Ridiculous. A strong voice behind Remus boomed the spell into the room, and the scene dissolved as the Balgart vanished. Remus. Regulus rushed over to where Remus was curled on the floor. Serious. Serious. I'm so sorry. Remus sobbed. Hush, it's all right, Regulus said. Remus felt a hesitant hand on his shoulder, and seconds later Regulus pulled him into a hug. I killed him, Remus cried. I killed him. It was only a bogart, Regulus whispered, softly rubbing Remus's back. It took several minutes for him to stop crying. He let out a few shuddering gasps as Regulus pulled away and looked at him closely. Sirius is not here. Regulus said. He is safe. That wasn't real. Remus buried his face in his hands. I know. Of course, I know. He breathed, his chest still heaving. He took another moment to calm himself, then looked at Regulus. Remus's face was red and blotchy from crying, and he felt racked with fear and shame. He shook his head in disgust with himself. You must think I'm so stupid. Remus chided. Falling apart over a silly bogart. No, Regulus replied, shaking his head while keeping a comforting hand on Remus's shoulder. 
I think my brother is a very lucky man to be cared for so deeply that seeing him hurt is your greatest fear. Remus looked up at him, and Regulus gave him a small smile. Regulus hesitated a moment before speaking again. And I believe you have greatly underestimated him, he said gently, and the kind of man he is. And with that, Regulus left Remus to his work and to his thoughts. The next several days passed in a flurry of activity. Although the ball was being held at Black Manor in the country, people passed in and out of twelve Grimald Place regularly as they prepared for the party, including Bellatrix, Narcissa, and Andromeda, who apparently had not raided enough of the family's jewels the day Orion died and came back to search for more baubles to wear to the ball. Remus, you must show me the most expensive piece we own, Bellatrix informed him the afternoon before the ball. She linked arms with him as she guided them into Walburga's dressing room. Now that Sirius had banished his mother to the worst place he could think of, the swamps of Florida in America, the Black Sisters considered her entire wardrobe up for grabs. I want to be an absolute showstopper at the ball. I'm not sure how much you'll like the most expensive piece you own, Remus said, but Bellatrix only laughed. Let me be the judge of that, you delectable thing she replied, giving his arse a painful squeeze that made him jump as he opened the jewelry cabinet. When he turned around with the piece in his hands, though, she gasped in horror. Remus held a heavy gold chain with a huge, hideous gold pendant the size of his fist. It was shaped like an ugly human head, with black pearl eyes and a grotesquely open mouth. A long, emerald-encrusted snake with ruby eyes and a forked, diamond-covered tongue protruded from between its lips. It was technically a necklace, but must have weighed about twenty pounds. It's dreadful, Bellatrix cried. It's an ancient ceremonial piece, Remus explained. It's really not meant to be worn except, except during ritualistic human sacrifices. Ah, perfect for a black family ball then, a voice laughed behind them. Remus and Bellatrix turned around to see James leaning in the doorway watching them with his hands in his pockets. Remus couldn't help but smile at the sight of James, with his affable, impish grin, messy black hair, and warm brown eyes that gazed merrily from behind wire-rimmed glasses. Like Sirius and Regulus, James was also impossibly handsome, although his attractiveness veered more toward boyishness than the other two. What are you doing here? Bellatrix spat, a look of pure distaste further marring her already sour expression. Nothing to do with you, you harpy. James told Bellatrix, striding into the room and slinging an arm over Remus's shoulder. I'm here to fetch this handsome fellow, he said, gazing fondly down at Remus. Remus, I have come to whisk you away to get fitted for your suit for the ball. My suit? Remus asked in surprise. He wasn't even sure if he was still invited to the ball, and if he was, he planned to wear his own, simple, yet clean and pressed, shirt and trousers that he saved for buying trips. James just ruffled his hair. You really are adorable, aren't you? James laughed. Come along. James steered Remus out of the room, but not before pointing his wand at the jewelry cabinet and snapping it shut. Ark, you caught my fingers, you piece of shit. Bellatrix screeched at him. That'll teach you to keep your grubby, greedy fingers where they belong. James called over his shoulder. James led Remus into another dressing room across the hall where a wispy old house-elf stood with a tape measure slung around his neck. The room was lined with mirrors on one wall, 
A small platform stood in the middle of the room next to a tufted footstool, and facing the platform sat two dark green velvet chairs. Master James? The elf bowed as they entered the room. Hello, Abby, James said. This is Remus. A pleasure, sir. The elf bowed toward Remus, and Remus nodded hello. James strode over to a suit-clad mannequin and waved his wand. Instantly, the mannequin was bare, and the suit hung on a hanger in James's hand. He gave it to Remus and gestured toward a black velvet curtain that hid a dressing stall. How about you try it on? He said. There are shoes in there, too. James sat on one of the velvet chairs, smoking a pipe with one ankle resting on his knee. He immediately sat up and gave Remus an appreciative once-over when he emerged a few minutes later. Remus pulled self-consciously at the frock coat. There were more buttons on this single garment than Remus had ever buttoned in his life. Damn, serious, you've got an eye for measurements, James said to himself as he stood up and walked slowly around Remus. Here, step up. Remus took James's offered hand and stepped onto the small platform. James sat back down to let Habby do his work. The little elf measured Remus all over, then snapped his fingers. Immediately, Remus felt the slightly too long sleeves and trousers shorten and the waistcoat nip in around his middle. Turn around, James said, and Remus obeyed. Take in the trousers a bit more, Habby, James said, and Remus felt them tighten around his bottom. A little more. More. A touch more. Yes. Excellent. Merlin and Cersei, Remus, you have the most perfect arse I've ever seen. Remus had never given his arse much thought before and was unsure how to respond. Thank you, he said, his cheeks turning pink. On the contrary, it is the world who should be thanking you, James said, then leaned forward with his elbows on his knees, looking at Remus very seriously. Now, do you know how to dance? A woman in Bavaria taught me the shoeplatler once, Remus replied, and James shook his head. That's not what I meant. It's fine, though. I'll teach you, James replied, standing up. Sirius is an excellent dancer. All you have to do is let him lead. Every step he takes, you take the same step backwards. But Remus shook his head. I cannot dance with Sirius, he said, but James stood and gripped Remus's arms with a manic look on his face. Yes, you can. You have to, James said in a frantic voice. He's driving me mad. He's being very brooding and Lord Blackish over you. It's as though he's a character in some Shakespearean tragedy. You must put a stop to it. Remus considered James's near panic and Regulus's words about him underestimating Sirius. Remus had been half expecting Regulus to turn him out of the house all week, ever since he saw Remus's Balgart. But Regulus hadn't turned him out, and he apparently hadn't breathed a word of what he saw to either Sirius or his own husband. Remus's mind also wandered back to Sirius defending werewolves, calling them no different than anyone else. Perhaps Regulus was right. Perhaps Remus had underestimated Sirius. He took a deep breath and smiled cautiously at James. How do I learn to dance? Remus asked. A huge grin broke across James's face. He let go of Remus's arms and slapped him across the back in happiness making Remus stumble forward and trip off the platform. Oh, for fuck's sake. Sirius would kill me if I broke you, 
James said, catching Remus before he tumbled to the floor. Are you all right? Remus nodded. James laughed nervously and pushed his messy hair out of his eyes before waving his wand. The furniture disappeared, replaced by a shiny wooden dance floor. Another wand wave conjured a symphony's worth of miniature instruments on a bookshelf. A third wave commanded them to play, and the small room filled with the sound of the Viennese waltz. James stood in front of Remus, took his right hand in his own, and raised it into the air next to them. Then, he put his other hand on Remus's waist. Put your left hand on the back of my shoulder, James instructed. That's right. Now, listen to the music. One, two, three, one, two, three. Do you hear the rhythm? Remus nodded. Good. We're going to take steps and move in circles to that rhythm, James said. Remember, just follow me. If I step backward, you step forward. If I step forward, you step back. Easy, right? Remus nodded, but didn't really think it sounded very easy at all. Excellent, James said. Ready? One, two, three, one, two, three. Habby jumped aside as they turned about the little dressing room. It felt awkward at first, and Remus tripped more than a few times, treading on James's toes, but James never seemed to mind. He simply kept saying, That's all right, just keep dancing, in his happy, easygoing voice. So Remus did, and soon, he stopped needing to count the steps. It became simple and fun as he let James spin him around the room. You're a natural, James said after their fourth dance. I dare say, Lord Black will scarcely know what hit him. At this Remus took a step back and looked down at his hands. James, Remus began hesitantly. Do you really think? Yes, James said, and Remus laughed. You didn't even let me finish, Remus said. That's because whatever you're worried about, the answer is yes. James said simply. Does Sirius really love you? Yes. Does he really want to be with you? Yes. Is he making me want to slowly drip fire whiskey into my own eyes because of his incessant moping that you won't see him? Yes. Very. Much. Yes. I could have been about to ask whether you wanted to snog a centaur. Remus teased. And the answer would have also been yes. James shrugged. Have you seen centaurs? They're quite fit. Remus laughed again. It was very hard to be worried about anything with James around. But still, doubt plagued him. James took a step toward him and put a steadying hand on his shoulder. Remus, Sirius is like a brother to me, and I know him better than he knows himself. James said. I've never seen him like this before. He deserves better than me. Remus said, finally giving voice to the thing he'd been thinking all along. I am poor and plain and not what he believes me to be. James put his large hands upon each of Remus's shoulders and spun him around so they were facing the mirror, then hooked his chin over Remus's shoulder. Look at yourself, James said, and Remus did. It had been a very long time since Remus had looked at himself properly. He and his father did not have mirrors in their house. Lyle believed they were a distraction from what was truly important in life and Remus had gotten used to not seeing his own reflection unless it was something distorted and blurred in a piece of metal or rippling antique glass. Sirius believes you're the most beautiful creature he's ever laid eyes on, James said, speaking to Remus's reflection. But that is not why he loves you. 
he loves your mind, and your heart, and your wit. How long must I make you stare at yourself before you start to see what he does? Remus barely recognized the person in the elegant, tailored suit who stared back at him with wide, hopeful eyes. Both him and the man in the mirror were crying silent tears though. James reached around and wiped the tears from Remus's cheeks, then poked him playfully. If you really want to cry, he said with a wink, turn around and look at that ass. The next night, Remus trembled nearly uncontrollably as he prepared tea and supper for his father. He tried to keep his voice steady as he asked whether Lyle wanted calendula or chamomile tonight, peppermint, or lemon balm. He feigned interest in the book Lyle was reading, and solicitously refilled his soup bowl without being asked. And finally, just before the clock struck 6.30, Remus grasped his own wrist to prevent his hand from shaking as he added three drops of somnum potsia to Lyle's nighttime tea, a powerful potion to keep his father fast asleep for eighteen hours. When Lyle was good and sleeping, Remus levitated him carefully to his bed, covered him gently with a blanket, and cast a complex series of charms that would immediately alert him to any emergencies in the house. Then, he quickly dressed in his new suit and shoes, kissed his father on the forehead with a silent apology, and apparated to the doorstep of Black Manor. Before he could even place his hand upon the serpent-shaped knocker, however, the large oak front door swung open, and Remus's breath caught in his throat. Hello, my darling. Sirius offered Remus his hand, and Remus took it. Chapter 8 It was a dazzling, shimmering world, and at its center was the brightest star. Sirius He shone like the sun and held court like a king, with the whole world moving around him. Everyone wanted a bit of him, to congratulate the new Lord Black, to shake his hand and move in his powerful orbit. Yet he had eyes for only one person amidst all the splendor. You look wonderful, Remus, Sirius said, raising Remus's hand to his lips, and Remus shivered remembering the blissful, heady feeling of those lips against his. I'm so happy you came tonight. This is all for you. Remus looked around the grand ballroom bedecked in opulent grandeur. He'd never seen anything so rich and decadent in his life. Crystal chandeliers sparkled and twinkled in the candlelight, towering topiaries of blossoming white roses and fluttering, iridescent fairies encircled the room. An orchestra played a soaring melody as dancers floated and spun around the dance floor, and black-clad waiters passed champagne and hors d'oeuvres on wide silver platters. The ballroom was a glorious sea of silk, satin, organza, and jewels, and the guests glittered as much as their lavish surroundings. All for you, he murmured again, touching Remus's face with a silken caress and gazing upon him as though the beauty of the ballroom was no match for the young man standing before him. But then, a shadow brief, but there crossed Sirius's face and he lowered his hand. In a flash, the shadow was gone, replaced by Sirius's dazzling smile but still Remus sensed a small barrier between them. It was, Remus realized, a barrier he had forced Sirius to erect, and his heart ached with it. Shall we? Sirius asked, offering his arm gallantly to Remus, who took it and allowed Sirius to lead him into the very heart of the party. Immediately, they found James and Regulus, who had just left the dance floor hand in hand. I told you, Reg, 
James said with a jovial grin as they approached Sirius and Remus. Look at the ass on this kid. He took Remus's hand and spun him around, making Remus laugh and blush. Good lord, James, have you no shame? Regulus asked, shaking his head. His voice was stern but he was unable to hide his smile. You know better than anyone that shame and I are unacquainted. James said, dropping Remus's hand and pulling Regulus into a filthy kiss. My best friend and brother, paragons of blood purity and every other kind of purity there is, Sirius said with a laugh. Is it too soon to hope that father is rolling in his grave at the sight of you being manhandled at a formal ball, Reg? He and mother would be losing their shit, wouldn't they? Regulus agreed joyfully as James moved behind him and wrapped his arms around Reg's waist. Perhaps we can persuade the musicians into playing a polka and set off a true scandal. Or even worse, the can-can, James said, sucking a bruise into Regulus's neck. I'd like to see you in pantalettes, sugar plum. Ugh, will you two please get a room? Remus, Sirius, James, and Regulus looked up to see Bellatrix approaching them. She flounced across the room imperiously with her dark green taffeta gown tied around her cinched waist and her breasts spilling out of the low-cut neckline. Remus recognized Walburga's diamond and emerald diadem perched atop her head, surrounded by a cascade of black curls. She looked beautiful and frightening, and dragged a man behind her who looked even younger than Remus and positively terrified to find himself the object of Bellatrix's affections. You're scaring Alcyonius. Bellatrix scolded James and Regulus, yanking the young man toward her and wrapping herself around his arm. Alcyonius is Lucius's cousin. He's visiting from Copenhagen. Isn't he just the dreamiest? He's been hanging on my every word all evening. I take it he doesn't speak English, then? James snorted, and Regulus and Sirius dissolved into laughter. I'd tell you to go fuck yourself, Potter, but my cousin fucks you enough already. You horny ratbag. Bellatrix spat before her eyes found Remus. Hello, you. She purred at Remus, looking him up and down greedily. If the esteemed Lord Black fails to satisfy you. That's enough, Bella. Sirius cut her off, pointing his wand at the diadem and sending an electric shock to her head. She squawked in pain, but quickly laughed it off. Remus found that Bella's laughter did not make her more likable, however. On the contrary, the hairs on the back of his neck rose at the sound of it. I'll leave you to your depravity, you fiends, she said, pulling Alcyonius roughly by the wrist, but not before leaning close to Remus and taking his earlobe between her teeth. I can do things to you that he never dreamed of, she hissed and strutted away. James and Regulus roared with laughter, but Sirius looked murderous, watching her walk away with his jaw clenched. Oh, relax, Padfoot, James said, slapping a hand on Sirius's shoulder. Remus has better taste than that, don't you old boy? She scares the ever-loving shit out of me. Remus assured them, and this time, Sirius joined James and Regulus in their laughter. You'll fit in well around here, James said, slinging an appreciative arm around Remus's shoulders before looking at his husband. Come on, Reg, James said. I'm starving. Let's see if we can get the house elves to make us sandwiches. Sandwiches, Sirius exclaimed. But the chefs have been slaving for days. James and Regulus only ignored him and walked off arm in arm. I swear my family will be the death of me, Sirius said, turning to Remus with a laugh. Remus stared up at him, 
transfixed. Sirius had never looked handsomer, in a trimly tailored dark gray suit that set off the gray-blue of his eyes, and his shiny black hair framing his face. He was a head taller than nearly everyone else in the room and carried himself with a powerful, regal elegance that commanded the attention of each person who walked past. He looked every inch the lord of the manor, and Remus shivered with desire at the thought of it. Sirius hesitated for a moment, watching Remus watch him, before speaking again. Would you like to dance? He asked, and his low voice made Remus want to melt against him. I would love to, Remus answered. Sirius took his hand and led Remus to the center of the dance floor, where Sirius wrapped an arm around his waist and spun him into a waltz. It was nothing like dancing with James, who taught him the steps, but not the soul of the dance. In Sirius's arms, Remus felt like he was floating as they orbited effortlessly around each other like the moon and stars. They carried on like this for a long time, lost in each other, their bodies in perfect harmony. Remus felt as though they were the only two people in the world, despite the lively party. Finally, after the fourth song ended, Sirius took Remus's hand and walked him to the banquet table where a sumptuous feast of pheasant, chestnut stuffing, venison pies, roasted potatoes, and every other delicious thing you could imagine was laid out. Remus had never seen so much food in his life. Are you hungry? Sirius asked, and at that moment, Remus realized he was very hungry. It was easy to forget things like food when Sirius was holding him. They were loading up plates, when a low voice spoke behind them. Hello, Lord Black. They turned around to see a man with long brown hair, dark eyes, and a snobbish, aristocratic expression standing behind them. He was as tall as Sirius, darkly handsome, and dressed in a beautiful blue wool suit. Despite his fine clothing, though, something about him felt strange and foreboding. Like Bellatrix, he had a very pale young man on his arm, but instead of wearing Alcyonius's confused and nervous expression, this young man looked vacant and almost dead-eyed. Fenrir, Sirius said, extending a hand to shake. Glad you could make it. It's quite the event, the man named Fenrir said, looking around the ballroom. You pulled the cream of society, Sirius. The one thing the name Black is good for, Sirius said with a hollow laugh. Who's your friend? Fenrir leered at Remus, who felt an unpleasant crawling across his skin at the predatory look the man gave him. This is Remus Lupin, Sirius said, placing a reassuring hand to the small of Remus's back. He's an expert in wizarding artifacts and has consented to lend his skill to our work cataloging the collection at Grimald Place. Remus, Fenrir Greyback is a very prominent member of Wizarding Society and a werewolf. Sirius explained as calmly as if he was telling Remus the time. He and I are working together on an agreement to better the lives of people living with lycanthropy. Remus tried to keep his composure, but nearly choked on air. A werewolf? At the party? Openly mixing with regular people and living among the creme de la creme of Wizarding Society? It's a pleasure. Remus managed to say as Fenrir shook his hand with a too firm grip. The pleasure is certainly mine, Fenrir replied with a nod of his head. He held on to Remus's hand for several moments too long and looked at him hungrily, not bothering to introduce the young man he was with. Remus pulled his hand away, but Fenrir kept his yellowish eyes on him. Lupin, is it? Fenrir asked, tilting his head to one side, his eyes raking over Remus's body. 
Have we met before, boy? I don't believe so, sir, Remus replied shakily. Yes, I suppose I'd remember someone like you, he said in his deep, almost growling voice. His eyes lingered on Remus for a second longer before finding Sirius and speaking to him as though Remus wasn't there. He's a pretty one, isn't he? A dark look crossed Sirius's face, and he pulled Remus closer, as though by instinct. In an instant, though, Sirius's face had regained its placid expression. Tell me, Fenrir, Sirius said, ignoring his question about Remus being pretty. Have you decided on a location for our meeting? Greyback Castle would be most convenient for me, Fenrir said, sipping his champagne lazily. Then I shall see you there, Sirius said, smiling and inclining his head. If you'll excuse us. Of course, Fenrir said, nodding back before grabbing Sirius by the upper arm. Remus noticed that unlike the rest of him, which looked every inch the aristocrat, Greyback's fingernails were long, dirty, and ragged. He leaned close to speak in Sirius's ear, pretending to whisper, but speaking loudly enough to make sure Remus heard him. If you ever want to lend him out, let me know, Fenrir said, his eyes finding Remus's with a terrible smirk. Remus does not get lent out, Greyback, Sirius said dangerously, not backing away from Fenrir's face and I'll thank you never to speak about him that way again. If I see you even looking in his direction, you will wish you'd never been born. Fenris stepped back and gave Sirius an unabashed smile. See you next week, Lord Black, Fenris said with an exaggerated bow, and walked away. They watched him go, and Remus was dumbfounded, unable to move or speak. A werewolf is at your party, he finally blurted out, and people know about it. Unfortunately, yes, Sirius said darkly. Fenrir is not a well-liked man. I'm very sorry for what he said. Of course he's not well-liked. He's a werewolf, Remus exclaimed, but Sirius only frowned at him. He is a werewolf, but that's not why he's disliked, Sirius said. He's a pretentious bully and a snob. No one in this room could give a rat's ass that he's a werewolf. In fact, I take 100 sweet werewolves over one of him without lycanthropy. You would? Remus asked, amazed. He stared up at Sirius as though he'd never seen anything like him before. He was talking about lycanthropy as though it was a head cold. A werewolf was openly mingling with guests at the ball. Remus's eyes found Fenrir's tall figure as he moved through the party, chatting with people who did not rear back in horror at the sight of him. On the contrary, people seemed to seek him out and enjoy his company. Remus felt as though his whole existence had been turned on its head. For as long as Remus could remember, Lyle kept him hidden away, kept his entire life a shameful secret. But now... I'm not hungry anymore, Remus said abruptly, looking up at Sirius with his heart in his throat. I'd like to dance again. Anything you wish, Remus, Sirius said easily, and took his hand. They waltzed until Remus's feet ached. He let himself get lost in the music, the movement, and Sirius himself, as he tried to reconcile everything he thought he knew against this brand new world where werewolves weren't hated or hunted. What else had he been wrong about? What else was there to know and learn? When they were pink-faced and breathless from hours of dancing, Sirius led Remus to a dim corner of the ballroom. Remus's body was pleasantly exhausted, and he had never felt lighter or freer in all his life. Tell me, how did you manage to slip away from home tonight? Sirius asked him, 
plucking two champagne flutes from a passing tray and handing one to Remus. Please do not think me a terrible person if I tell you, Remus said, leaning closer, a small smile creeping onto his face despite himself. Promise, Sirius said, his eyes sparkling mischievously. I put somnum potio in my father's tea, Remus confessed, and Sirius's face broke into that devilishly handsome grin of his. Remus Lupin, you naughty, naughty thing, he said, cocking an impressed eyebrow. I dare say, Grimald Place has been a bad influence on you. Remus's heart raced as he took a sip of champagne and looked up at Sirius. Sirius, the most beautiful man he'd ever laid eyes on, whose broad shoulders and strong hands held him tenderly and made his knees shake with desire. Sirius, whose smooth, deep voice vibrated through his body and warmed his skin like a licking flame. Sirius, whose crushed berry lips and clever tongue spoke sonnets of love and held the promise of lust. Sirius, who Remus wanted like he'd never wanted anything before in his life. Perhaps it was the champagne, or the violins, or the candlelight, or the spinning, joyful dancing. Perhaps it was the brand new realization that Remus's father had been wrong about so many things, and perhaps had even lied about them. But more likely it was simply Sirius himself that made Remus place a tentative hand on his forearm and stand on his tiptoes to whisper, letting his lips graze the shell of Sirius's ear, ever so slightly, as he did. On the contrary, Lord Black, he breathed, I think it's been an excellent influence on me. Sirius took a small step back and swallowed, staring down at Remus with darkened eyes and parted lips, looking every inch like a man torn between his conscience and his desires. Is that so? he asked, his voice husky and strained, and Remus stepped closer again, letting his trembling fingers close around Sirius's wrist. He drew Sirius's hand upward, turned it over, and slowly pressed his lips against his palm. Sirius's eyes dropped closed as he did. Very much so, Remus replied, dragging his lips up his hand and speaking against the soft skin on Sirius's inner wrist. Their eyes found each other once more, and understanding dawned across Sirius's face. He wound an arm around Remus's waist and drew him close, so their hips were flush. He ran his fingers delicately across Remus's jaw and down his neck. How I've missed you, my darling, he said. Remus felt something unlocked deep within him. He threw his arms around Sirius's neck and held him tightly, pressing his cheek against Sirius's firm chest. He smelled intoxicating, like spicy tobacco, rich vetiver, and the sharp, electric scent of powerful magic, and there, safe in his arms, Remus felt an overwhelming sense of having finally arrived home. Sirius wound his fingers into Remus's hair, making him sigh with pleasure. They embraced for a long time until Sirius pulled away, placing a hand beneath Remus's chin and gazing down at him intently. I want there to be no misunderstandings between us, Sirius said. What is it that you want, Remus? I want you, Remus replied instantly, the answer bubbling out of him as though it had been there all along. And only you. Then I am yours, Sirius said easily stroking the pad of his thumb over Remus's throat where his pulse pounded under the soft skin. It's that simple, then? Remus asked, his body already slackening under Sirius's touch. Yes, it always has been, Sirius answered. You need only ask, Remus, and I shall give you the world. 
There is something else, Remus whispered, and his mind began to go hazy at the mere thought of it. Anything, Sirius promised, running his wide palm across Remus's shoulder blades. I won't, Remus began, his voice shaking. He should say it. He should say exactly what he wants. His father was a liar, and Sirius, beautiful Sirius, loved him. Yes, Sirius asked again, waiting. I want you to take me to bed, Sirius. Remus felt Sirius's strong fingers flex against his back and a low moan rumble through his chest, pulsating against his body. Is that what you truly want? Sirius asked hoarsely, and Remus nodded feverishly, his yearning pricking at his skin. I have never known another's touch. Remus continued, pressing his hands to Sirius's back. And I long for yours. Sirius stared at Remus for a heartbeat longer, then pulled him into a fevered kiss that was very different than the one they shared the week before. This was no gentle brush of lips or hesitant swipe of tongue. This kiss was forged in fire and made of molten gold. Remus's shoulders hit the ballroom wall as Sirius backed him against it, running his hands down Remus's waist and gripping his hips. Remus sighed into Sirius's mouth, reveling in the feeling of being consumed by something someone so powerful. He was used to being chained to the moon and helpless against it, but this kind of dominance was designed for something different, something wonderful. He allowed his body to rule over his mind and canted his hips forward fervently. Sirius ran his hands down his arse in reply, pulling them closer and pressing them together. Remus moaned a hungry, desperate sound and tipped his head back against the wall. Sirius's lips and tongue found his exposed throat instantly, and Remus writhed beneath him as he kissed and sucked at the delicate skin. Sirius pushed his thigh between Remus's legs and caged him against the wall with his forearms resting on either side of his head. He pressed one more bruising kiss against Remus's lips before pulling back. Remus whined at the loss and chased another kiss until Sirius spoke into his ear. Come to my bed before I take you right here, he said. My brother will make our excuses. Remus nodded then dove in for another breathless kiss. He hadn't realized he was starving until he got a taste. Sirius snapped his fingers as Remus licked into his mouth, and a sharp crack sounded at their feet. Yes, my lord. Tell Regulus that he is the bull's host for the rest of the night. Sirius told Creature as Remus struggled to regain his breath underneath him. And that I shall see him in the morning. Of course, my lord. The elf replied with a bow, and disapparated away with another crack. Sirius kissed down Remus's neck, groaning with frustration when he reached the Fakot's stiff collar, then took Remus's hand and pulled him out of the ballroom. They barely made it to the staircase before Sirius was pulling Remus into another kiss, roving his hands all over his body. Remus walked backwards up the stairs between kisses, and Sirius pushed him against the banister, as though every second they weren't touching was a mortal sin. Remus clutched the polished wood behind him, and Sirius brought a firm hand to his lower back, making him arch upward, breathless and desperate. By the time they reached the top landing, Remus was so delirious with want, he could barely take another step. Sirius consumed every one of his senses, and Remus clutched at his collar, pulling him down and kissing him hungrily. Remus gasped as Sirius picked him up as though he weighed nothing, pressing his strong fingers into the muscles under Remus's thighs. 
he wrapped his legs around Sirius's waist, draped his arms over his shoulders, and buried his face in his neck, inhaling his heady scent and kissing behind his ear. Sirius kicked a half-shut door open and walked into an enormous bedchamber, which was the size of Remus's entire cottage. Remus barely took in his sumptuous surroundings, so consumed he was by Sirius, who sat him at the edge of a wide four-poster bed and dropped to his knees between Remus's thighs. He reached his hands up to cup Remus's face, running his thumbs over his cheekbones and across his lips, gazing at him with a reverence and devotion usually reserved for deities. I can't believe I get to have you, Sirius said, his eyes raking over Remus's face. When everyone wants you. I am yours, Remus said, brushing his knuckles along Sirius's cheek. And yours alone. And I am your obedient and faithful servant, Sirius replied. He grasped Remus's hands and slowly kissed his palms and up and down each one of his fingers. He removed Remus's cufflinks and kissed the thin skin inside his wrists, grazing his lips and tongue along the tender veins. He raised himself higher on his knees, unbuttoned Remus's frock coat, pulled it off him, and tossed it aside, then untied the bow tie around his neck and dropped it onto the floor. His careful and nimble fingers found the buttons on Remus's shirt and started working them open. Remus watched him as though in a trance. Sirius opened the first button and gently kissed the newly revealed skin at Remus's throat. Another button, and Sirius kissed the hollow just above Remus's collarbone. The next button, and a kiss to the sternum. The next, and Sirius's lips and tongue found Remus's nipple, sending waves of pleasure through his body. Remus braced his hands behind him and gripped the silk bedclothes in his fists tipping his head back breathlessly. Two more buttons, and Sirius dragged his mouth even lower, his teeth scraping against the bottom of Ramus's ribs, his tongue swirling across the edge of his stomach. With the very last button, Sirius pushed the shirt off him completely, kissing Remus's hips along the edge of his trousers and dipping his fingers maddeningly, teasingly below the waistband. Remus's thighs clenched around Sirius's torso, and an unholy sound came from his throat as Sirius palmed Remus's cock that strained against his already too tight trousers. Sirius unbuttoned Remus's trousers next. He pulled them down and off, and his undergarments along with them, until he was completely naked on the bed. Sirius ran his hands up and down Remus's bare thighs, his fingers curling into the firm muscle, and kissed them again and again with an increasingly desperate veneration. Finally, Sirius stood up and took a step backwards, one hand steadying himself against the polished oak bedpost as he took in Remus's entire body. He looked upon him with an expression of helpless astonishment. My God, look at you, he said weakly. You are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. He was seemingly unable to tear his eyes away from Remus's face and body, yet strangely, this did not make Remus feel self-conscious. Instead, he felt loved. May I, may I see you too? Remus asked, and watched hungrily as Sirius quickly pulled off his own clothes, revealing a form more godlike than Remus could have possibly imagined. He looked like the drawings that Remus had studied as a boy in books about classical art, but even better. Those sketches could not compare to Sirius, and the way he moved, the graceful power of his limbs, the soft, dark hair that dusted over his skin the feeling of him pressed against Remus's body. 
Remus's hand trembled as he reached out to brush his fingertips along the firm muscles of Sirius's arms, chest, and stomach, which rippled under his hand. What are these? Remus asked, his fingers tracing black lines of pictures that decorated Sirius's chest as though inked into his skin with a quill. They're called tattoos, Sirius told him, his own fingers closing around Remus's wrist and following its movement across his chest. It's art for the body. I got them on a journey to Tahiti many years ago. They are very beautiful, Remus breathed. He pressed his entire palm against Sirius's chest and kissed along the fine black lines, his eyes falling shut at the feeling of strong muscles under his lips. Remus drew back again and his eyes found Sirius's thick cock that fell heavily between his legs. The sight of it stirred something primal within him, a rippling desire in his gut and Remus felt a strange and hungry urge to take it in his mouth, yet he wasn't sure if that was normal. He wanted to touch Sirius all over, kiss him everywhere, taste every part of him, but... I do not know what to do, Remus confessed in a small voice, dragging his eyes away from Sirius's beautiful length, and staring up into his face. Sirius only smiled, gentle and reassuring. He placed a hand to the back of Remus's neck ran his thumb across his Adam's apple, and kissed him deeply before answering. No need to worry, my darling, Sirius said. I'll teach you everything. Chapter 9 At first, Sirius thought it was his imagination run wild. But his senses did not lie. Remus was sugared and rich under his tongue, like sweet cream spooned over sun-ripened fruit. He tasted of warm vanilla and sharp quince, of tart pomegranate, cracked open and jewel-red, of raw honey, thick and dripping on sticky fingers. Sirius was on his knees, prostrate as though before a god, this most precious of idols, pressing kisses to the soft skin of Remus's inner thighs. Remus's fingers carted through Sirius's hair, and his breath came in heavy gasps as Sirius tasted high, verdant summer upon his skin. That he'd found his way to his knees once again came as no surprise to Sirius. How else to show his devotion, what better place from which to worship than between this nymph's life-giving legs? Yet it was an unfamiliar posture for him. It was usually Sirius who was looking down at the top of a bobbing head, with little care as to whose lips were wrapped around him as long as they provided tight, wet heat. When it came time for fucking, there was no tenderness in the act, no beauty. It was simply bending someone over a table or pressing them face down onto the bed, going until they finished, and sending them on their way. And so what Remus did not know was that with every honeyed kiss, every gentle whisper, every soft touch of trembling fingers, he was teaching Sirius, too. Remus was naked, pure and unselfconscious, when he confessed that he did not know the ways of being in someone's bed. Sirius sat next to him at the edge of the mattress, wrapped him into his arms, and murmured words of reassurance. He longed to give Remus everything, show him everything, pull delight and joy from his beautiful body. That Remus wished to do the same for him was a gift Sirius could scarcely believe he'd been given. I want to please you, Remus had whispered against his lips, unaware of the pleasure he drew from Sirius simply by being beside him, simply by allowing Sirius to look upon him and touch him. Will you show me how? Sirius almost laughed. Here was Eros himself, radiating life energy, pearlescent like the fertile full moon, 
alight on his bed, asking him, a mortal, about life and love. Sirius touched Remus's face to remind himself that this perfect creature was real, and so was he. That Remus wanted him, too. There are places on the body where senses are heightened, Sirius told him. Would you like me to show you? Yes. Remus nodded, drawing his lower lip between his teeth, where it reddened and swelled like ripe fruit. There's here. At the neck. Sirius whispered, dragging feather-light fingers down Remus's neck, the pad of his thumb passing across his throat, over the place his pulse pounded life through his veins. And here. He continued, running his fingers down Remus's lean chest and across the planes of his stomach, feeling the hard muscles contract as Remus drew in a sharp breath. Or here, Sirius said, his fingers wandering down Remus's leg and up his inner thigh. Remus's legs slid open of their own accord and he lowered his head into the crook of Sirius's shoulder, latching his mouth onto Sirius's neck. Instinct is a powerful thing, Sirius thought vaguely, as Remus's lips and tongue worked the sensitive skin and his fingernails pierced Sirius's bicep. There's also here. Sirius dragged his fingers between Remus's legs until they found his stiff cock, which was surprisingly big for his small frame. Sirius whispered his own wordless spell, and his hands slicked as he wrapped a loose fist around Remus and pumped slowly, his thumb running over the soft, silky head, just enough to taste, to tease. Sirius felt the edge of teeth against his neck. Oh my, Remus said, his voice ragged and strained. There are many ways to give pleasure, too. You can use your hands, Sirius said, continuing his lazy strokes and moving his own mouth to Remus's neck. Sirius heard Remus's weak whimper at the loss of something in his mouth and offered his fingers instead, which Remus drew between his lips with relish. And your tongue. At this, Sirius swirled his tongue behind Remus's ear. He sucked indolently at Remus's neck, drawing little whimpers from the back of his throat and licked across his collarbone. Or your teeth, he said with soft bites against Remus's golden, glowing chest, taking his nipple gently between his teeth and scraping only enough to tantalize, enough for Sirius to taste honey, but not to hurt, never to hurt. Sirius could not mar Remus's perfect flesh, no matter how powerful his feral urge to claim him and protect him against the world. He imagined monsters like Greyback cowering at the sight of Sirius's mark upon Remus's skin, imagined his own flinty want sparking when he saw the mottled spot that meant Remus was his. But another, more ancient voice in the back of his mind considered that Remus wasn't his, that he belonged to something else, something bigger than Sirius, with his trivial humanity. Sirius knew that being allowed a piece of this divine fruit was a privilege. He was a mortal permitted to taste the nectar of the gods, and he could not forget his place. You can use your mouth, too, Sirius told him. Everywhere. He dropped to his knees on the floor between Remus's thighs, kissing the tender skin, then licked up the side of Remus's length and plunged it into his mouth, squeezing his lips tightly around the head and down the shaft as he did. This taste was richer, like boiled honey, thick and dark at the bottom of the pot. Oh, Merlin, Remus cried, his thighs clenching under Sirius's palms. He could feel that Remus was close to spilling down his throat already, and Sirius pulled away after just a few plunges of his mouth. He kissed between Remus's thighs, licked across the skin and tasted more of that ecstatic sweetness bursting out of him. 
Sirius glanced up, and the look on Remus's face stole the breath from his lungs. There was no shaking or hesitation, only a ferocious craving in Remus's sparking amber eyes, wild and untamed. May I try that? Remus asked, and his voice did not waver. It was low and determined, pulled straight from his belly. Remus's gaze flicked hungrily between Sirius's face and his stiff, aching cock. Sirius didn't answer. He was struck silent, so Remus continued, his eyes cast downward and his fingers tracing hypnotic circles along Sirius's shoulders. I did not know that was something people did, he said, and Sirius watched his lips form around the words, those lips that wanted to be around him. But the minute I saw you, I longed to take you in my mouth. Oh fuck, Remus. Sirius groaned, pressing his forehead into the firm flesh of Remus's thigh. He wrapped a calming hand around the base of his cock to slow down the force of want that surged through him. He wished he hadn't uttered the coarse curse in Remus's presence, but some things cannot be helped. He closed his eyes against Remus's leg and felt Remus's gentle fingers brush aside the hair from the back of his neck. Then lips, plush and pillowy slick, slid across his skin. Please, Remus said, needs straining his vocal cords. I want to taste you everywhere, now that I know I can. Sirius allowed himself to stay lost in the feeling of Remus's lips on the back of his neck for a moment longer before answering. He lifted his head and cupped his hands around Remus's face. He looked like moonlight given shape, burst into vivid, rosy life. You can have anything, darling, Sirius said. Simply listen to your desires and speak them aloud. I shall do the same. If we are in agreement in our wants, we'll obey them together. Remus nodded, licked his lips, and pulled Sirius off his knees, his eyes as bright as the newly risen moon glowing across the sea. Sirius lay on his back on the bed and Remus crawled on top of him eagerly, moving lightly and settling astride his hips. He ran his hands reverently down Sirius's chest and dipped down to kiss him once, their lips meeting hard and, before kissing down his neck and rolling their hips together. I'll just, Remus breathed in his ear, I'll just do everything you did to me. Remus looked up at him at this question, as though waiting for permission, his eyes wide and wondering, and his innocent, open beauty was too much for Sirius's heart to take. Sirius pulled him into another deep kiss, which Remus answered readily. Sirius wrapped his arms around Remus's body and held him close. As ever, he felt Remus soften in his arms and melt against his skin. Remus hummed happily as their lips slid together, then laughed against Sirius's lips. How do you do that? Remus asked, peppering Sirius's lips with little kisses. Do what? Make me forget things when you kiss me and hold me, he said, burying his face in the crook of Sirius's neck and tightening his knees around Sirius's hips, clutching his arms, clinging to him, pressing their hard lengths together. I feel like I cannot get close enough to you, like I want you everywhere. It's as though I wish you were inside of me. Is that strange? Is that why I want to take you in my mouth? Sirius slid his fingers into Remus's soft, shimmering curls and stroked at his scalp, in awe of his body and his mind and his strong, precise need. There is another way that two people can come together. Do you know of it? He asked. He watched Remus's expression carefully as he looked up at him. I know how a woman becomes with child. Remus replied, his cheeks coloring sweetly at the words. 
It's like that, Sirius said gently. But we can do it differently. I would enter you here. And he slid his hand down the gentle slope of Remus's back, over the supple swell of his arse, and between his cheeks, touching his entrance with the lightest graze of his finger. Remus gasped, and his eyes widened at the touch, and Sirius felt his cock twitch against his own. Remus shivered and pressed their bodies closer together. Sirius could feel the thrill of anticipation zapping through Remus's body. Will you do that again? Remus breathed, rolling his hips and biting into Sirius's neck again. Sirius's back arched in surprise at Remus's sharp teeth and sharper eagerness, and he thought he might explode with desire. This is a cleaning spell and one to make things slippery, he said, and whispered both incantations. Remus whined a little at the sensations, and again when Sirius ran his finger along the outside of him, tracing and probing gently, but not pushing in. Remus keened and sucked at Sirius's throat, his body writhing atop Sirius's. Sirius used his other hand to feel Remus's firm body all over as it moved and flexed under his palm. When I'm inside of you, it will ignite you from within, Sirius promised. Now, Remus asked, his voice cracked with a jagged craving. No, darling, not now, Sirius said, his hands continuing to stroke. It will have to wait. Why, I want you now. Remus moaned, and his sparking pleas almost made Sirius forget himself. How he wished to push inside Remus's perfect, top body and feel him from the inside. If it was someone else doing the begging, he may have given in. But not with Remus. Because it will hurt you, my darling, Sirius replied. We will. I promise. But slowly. Remus hovered over him with darkened eyes and parted lips as Sirius continued to touch him but only for a moment more. Remus slid down Sirius's body, taking his cock in his hand, and plunging it into his mouth like he was starving. A satisfied moan vibrated up Remus's throat and around Sirius's length as he licked and sucked the sensitive head. Sirius had the vague thought to warn Remus to be careful with his teeth, but there didn't seem to be a need. Sirius felt only white-hot softness and the slickness of his lips and tongue as Remus desperately sought to taste him and feel Sirius in his mouth. Remus gagged a little in his enthusiasm, taking Sirius too far down his throat, but before Sirius had time to worry over it, he had more than recovered, and to his amazement, Sirius felt the crest of his orgasm swelling fast and hard. Remus, saw, he panted, stilling the boy with a hand to his shoulder. Am I doing something wrong? Remus asked, looking deliciously debauched with a spit-slicked chin and cock-swollen lips, but still worried. Far from it, darling. Sirius panted with his palm to Remus's cheek, trying desperately to retain a shred of control. I felt myself about to climax into your mouth. You might not like that. Or want it. Remus's eyes flashed with need again, and his hand tightened around Sirius's sex. He kissed and licked the head, as though it was physically difficult for him to keep his mouth away. What if I do want that? He asked quietly, licking the words against Sirius's cock before looking up at Sirius through thick, dark eyelashes. He laid on his stomach between Sirius's legs, looking as though he'd finally arrived somewhere he'd always wanted to be. What if I want it very badly? Sirius stared at him, amazed. He was a god of love, one who fell from the sky and forgot his true nature until now. I already told you. Sirius breathed, 
gripping the bedclothes like a virgin himself. I'll give you anything. Remus smiled, sweetly satisfied, and continued his devoted work, and when Sirius spilled into him it was with a sharp cry and pinpricks of celestial light behind his eyelids and Remus's name on his lips. Remus swallowed it down messily and licked him clean, kissing his thighs, stomach, hips, everywhere he could reach. Sirius shuddered under him, pressed his hands over his eyes, and laughed a little to himself. He was supposed to be teaching Remus the ways of sex, and instead, Remus took him apart within minutes, simply by being himself. What is it? Remus asked, pausing in his worship of Sirius's body with a small, unsure smile playing on his lips. You, Sirius said weakly, pulling Remus's curls hazily between his fingers. You're a miracle. Remus crawled up his body, pausing to drop kisses along the way, and when their lips met Sirius tasted himself on Remus's tongue. There was none of the sharp bitterness that sometimes accompanied the taste, only a light sweetness that Sirius guessed came from the boy himself. Remus's still hard cock was stiffer than ever, and in a single motion, Sirius flipped him onto his back and laved kisses along his stomach and hips. He took him into his mouth and Remus's hips jerked upward as a low moan vibrated through his chest. Sirius pressed one finger against Remus's entrance as he pumped his lips, wrapping a slippery hand around him, too. Then he licked straight down, not stopping until his tongue reached Remus's entrance. Oh, Sirius. Remus cried out as Sirius stroked and licked, pressing his tongue and swirling it around the tightly furled muscle and it took only a few more pulls before Remus was spilling over Sirius's hand, hot and slick and wet. Remus's body arched and tensed, and he reached behind himself to clutch at the headboard as though trying to stay tethered to this world. His release pulsed over his stomach as his body shuddered its ecstatic finish. Sirius tasted a burst of sweetness on his tongue, as real and intense as taking a bite out of a just-picked strawberry, and heard breaking glass behind him. They both sat up sharply and looked to the window, where a snaking vine had broken through, sending delicate green tendrils twisting into life, wrapping around the curtain rod, clinging to the windowpane, and exploding forth with blooming jasmine and orange blossoms, filling the bedchamber with the scent of flowers and gusts of chilly night air. Remus gasped at the sight, and Sirius turned around in time to see a silvery glow, opaline and heavenly shimmering off of Remus's skin like early morning mist upon the water. Their eyes met, and Remus worried his lip between his teeth and stared at him, unblinking, as though afraid Sirius would scold him for this uncontrolled burst of magic from his body. Oh, my sweet, darling miracle, Sirius said instead, pulling Remus into his arms and holding him tightly against his chest. Remus let out a relieved breath and curled into him wrapping his arms around Sirius's waist and pulling his knees to his stomach. He pressed his face into Sirius's chest and let himself relax as Sirius gently stroked his hair and neck. I'm sorry about your window, Remus mumbled into Sirius's shoulder. I can fix it. Remus sat up, about to perform a spell with a wave of his hand, but Sirius stilled his arm with a soft touch to his wrist. No. Leave it. I love it. Sirius said, running a thumb across Remus's cheek. It's beautiful. And it's you. Will you at least let me put up a charm to keep the cold air out? Remus asked, his cheeks turning pink at the praise as he smiled. If you must. Sirius conceded with a kiss. 
Remus waved a hand and instantly, rippling warmth enveloped them, as though he'd lit an invisible barrier of gently burning flame. A million questions rolled through Sirius's mind as he looked upon Remus, but he quieted each one. If Remus wanted to talk about his magic, he would in his own time. With a wave of Sirius's wand they were both cleaned and tidied, and the flickering candlelight around them dimmed to a soft glow as they pulled the blankets over themselves and settled into Sirius's bed. The bedchamber was sweetly perfumed, and Sirius didn't think he'd ever been happier than he was right then, with Remus next to him, tucked safely in his arms. What Sirius wouldn't give to keep him here all the time, protected and loved. He pulled Remus's small body closer so they were pressed together and Remus nestled his head against Sirius's chest with a contented sigh. His skin was soft and warm, and his fingers curled into Sirius's back as though trying to burrow deeper into him. Sirius pressed a kiss onto the top of Remus's head and breathed him in. He smelled as sweet as the jasmine blossoms. Sweeter really, since they came from him. I love you, Sirius whispered into Remus's hair. He'd never said those words before and his heart thudded hard in his chest as he gently rubbed the bare skin of Remus's back. Remus leaned his head back so they could look at each other in the dim light of the magically glowing flames, then kissed him slowly and deeply. I love you, Sirius, Remus replied, his voice thick with emotion. A single tear trickled down his cheek. It glowed and sparkled like a diamond in the firelight as it rolled across his skin. Sirius kissed it away and kissed the next one that fell, too. Thank you, Remus said, his eyelids heavy, for showing me what love can be. It's I who should be thanking you, Sirius replied, for showing me what love is. They clasped their hands and kissed once more, and fell together into an easy, dreamless sleep. Chapter 10 Fuck you, Sirius. Fuck you too, Reg, Sirius said cheerfully, not looking up at his brother, but instead keeping his arms wrapped tightly around Remus's waist and his mouth working firmly against the soft skin of Remus's neck, which tasted like black cherries this morning, juicy and saccharine, with a bright, brilliant tang. Remus sat entwined in Sirius's lap in the manor's large formal dining room the morning after the ball, where they ignored the breakfast feast that filled the long banquet table in front of them. They'd sat down next to each other in the high-backed wooden dining chairs and attempted to eat, but only lasted about two minutes before Sirius was pulling Remus onto his lap and drawing him into what must have been their hundredth kiss of the morning. Good morning, Regulus, James, Remus said, sitting up a little and grasping Sirius's arms around his waist. Sirius was happy to see how unwilling he seemed to be to put too much distance between them, even as his cheeks turned pink at having an audience. Sirius plucked a pitted cherry from a bowl and popped it into Remus's mouth with a kiss on his pretty lips. Thank you, Remus whispered through a smile that hadn't left his face since they woke up, pressing their foreheads together as James and Regulus took their seats across the banquet table from them. Remus gazed at Sirius with cheerful adoration as he moved to get up off his lap. Sirius let him go with a reluctant groan and dramatically outstretched arms. Remus laughed and grabbed his hand clasping it tightly as he settled into the seat next to him. Sirius brought Remus's hand to his lips for a kiss, then turned it over to kiss his palm. They shared a fiery look as Sirius grazed his teeth gently against Remus's soft inner wrist, and Regulus cleared his throat. Loudly, 
So, Reggie, Sirius said, tearing his gaze away from Remus's golden form to smile at his brother, who poured his tea with a sour look on his face. Why do I deserve such a crass greeting this fine morning? You know why, Regulus grumbled. You left me to the lions last night. Considering you're something of a viper yourself, I'm sure you held your own. Sirius laughed, lifting his fork to Remus's mouth and putting a finger under his chin to feed him a bite of sausage. Of course I did, that's not the point. Regulus replied, but Sirius wasn't really listening. He was twirling one of Remus's russet curls idly between his fingers with one hand, and running the pad of his thumb across Remus's lower lip with the other. The point is, Regulus continued loudly, clattering his spoon between the sugar bowl and his teacup with an unnecessary vigor that made both Sirius and Remus look up. Everyone was asking for the new Lord Black, and I had to think of a reason why you would have disappeared from your own ball. And what did you come up with, dear brother? Sirius asked, although he really couldn't have cared less. Instead, he scooped a bit of whipped cream out of a silver bowl with the tip of his finger and dabbed it onto Remus's lip for the sole purpose of kissing it off. I told them your spatagroid was acting up again. Regulus replied coolly, and James snorted a laugh. You didn't. Sirius said, and Remus bent his head against Sirius's shoulder to laugh, too. It would have served you right if I did. Regulus snapped. I had to endure Abraxas Malfoy's dragon breath and twenty minutes of his ludicrous conspiracy theories. Did you know he believes there's pro-Muggle propaganda hidden in the tales of Beedle the Bard? That sounds about right. Sirius laughed. We caught Bella about to put the imperious curse on Alcyoneus. Horace Slughorn tried to weasel his way into a meeting with you about loosening regulations for trading acromantula eggs, and don't even get me started on that awful greyback. Regulus continued. At this, Sirius's expression hardened and his head snapped toward his brother. What about greyback? he asked. Regulus appeared annoyed with himself, as though he hadn't meant to let slip that last bit about greyback. He traded an uncomfortable look with James, who turned to Sirius with a bracing expression. It's nothing, Padfoot, James assured him with a shake of his head, but Sirius didn't relent. I swear to Merlin, Potter. He asked after Remus a few times, mate, James told him quietly, his eyes flicking once to Remus as he told Sirius this. And what exactly did he ask? Sirius demanded through a clenched jaw feeling the gory tinge of madness that he fought so hard to resist clawing at the edges of his psyche. Sirius, don't worry about it, we. James started, but Sirius cut him off. What? He repeated, trying to keep his voice steady as he stared at his best friend. Did he say, James? He asked a few people if Remus lived nearby. And he asked if he only worked for you, or whether. James hesitated again. Whether? Sirius said looking at James expectantly. Whether you two were fucking. Regulus finished shortly. Sirius gripped Remus's leg reflexively as the chemical burn of adrenaline coursed through his limbs, heating his muscles with a furious rage. I'll kill him, Sirius said in a too quiet voice that fought to tear out of his chest like a rabid animal. Regulus and James both spoke at the same time, trying to reason with him but it was only Remus's soft voice that broke through the manic din that rang in his mind. Sirius, Remus said quietly, slipping his small hand into his and radiating a comforting warmth into his heart. He placed his other hand on Sirius's cheek, gently turning his face so they were looking at each other, 
and Sirius felt his breathing slow. Remus gave him a soft smile and a little kiss. I'm fine, Remus said, staring straight into his eyes. I can handle myself against Greyback or anyone else. Trust me. But he's... I know what he is, Remus said in a steely voice, but Sirius gripped his hand even harder. That's not what I was going to say, Sirius said. It doesn't matter a whit that he's a werewolf twelve nights out of the year. What matters is that he's a sadistic fuck every day. Then why are you working with him? Remus asked, his brow furrowing. An excellent question, Remus. James chimed in, giving Sirius a pointed look. Sirius was about to reply, when his brother spoke up instead. Because he has to, Regulus said crisply. He needs to broker a deal, and presenting a united front to the ministry is the only way to achieve any reforms. Sometimes, he broke off, fixing his husband with a quelling stare when James looked like he wanted to protest again. You must align yourself with unsavory sorts for the greater good. Make deals with the devil, you mean? James muttered, but Regulus plowed on, turning back to Sirius. You, of course, cannot kill him, Regulus said, barely suppressing an eye roll. You cannot even react to him. You must act as though nothing has changed. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, brother, but you seem to need reminding. If he lays a finger on him, Sirius started, but Regulus cut him off. Then by all means, tear him limb from limb. Regulus finished for him. His eyes, the exact shade of gunmetal blue as his brother's, didn't leave Sirius's. And I'll assist you, as you know. An understanding passed between the brothers that even James couldn't fully grasp, and Sirius nodded once. He gripped Remus's hand, bringing it to his lips for a fierce kiss. Over his dead body would Greyback dare touch Remus. The four of them finished their breakfast in relative silence, and soon, James and Regulus excused themselves to return to their London townhouse, leaving Remus and Sirius alone in the too quiet dining room. Are you all right? Remus asked, placing a gentle hand on Sirius's shoulder. Sirius covered Remus's hand with his own, then pulled Remus back onto his lap. He wrapped his arms around Remus's waist and held him close, nuzzling into his neck, which still smelled faintly of jasmine and orange blossoms from the night before. I'm all right as long as you are, Sirius said, leaning back to look into Remus's face and brush a few errant curls off his forehead. Of course I am. Remus said then poked him in the ribs. I'm tougher than I look, you know. He was smiling and clearly teasing, but Sirius did not miss the pride glinting in his eyes, reminding him of that night a few weeks ago when Remus was so ill, yet reluctant to take help from anyone. Remus might be young and sheltered, but Sirius knew that no one should miscalculate the powerful magic and shrewd mind hidden within his small frame. This was no helpless sprite sitting upon Sirius's knee and that quiet power was one of the many things Sirius loved about him. Believe me, darling, I know that, Sirius replied, and woe betide anyone who dares underestimate you. Yet can you blame me for endeavoring to keep you safe from the likes of Greyback? By gods, the thought of his hands on you. Sirius shivered and drew Remus closer. But what about you? Remus asked, putting a hand on each side of Sirius's face and looking at him somberly. Who'll keep you safe? Sirius stared into Remus's worried, wide-open visage and felt his heart break a little. Sirius knew Remus thought him noble, 
but he was more intimately acquainted with the dark arts than even he cared to admit. One does not survive the House of Black and rise to be its leader without a generous bit of malevolence in the blood. You need not worry about me, my love, he told Remus, who raised a skeptical eyebrow at him. Merlin, but he was beautifully defiant, and a strange part of Sirius looked forward to the day he'd get to see Remus properly angry. I'll worry about you as much as I please, Remus said tartly, and I don't think you should go to see Greyback alone. Take Reg, or James, or me, anyone, even Bella. Sirius laughed at the thought of Bellatrix and Greyback Castle. Oh yes, Bella and her insane ranting against filthy half-breeds will be very effective at keeping talks peaceful, he replied. You know what I mean, Remus frowned at him. If he's as dangerous as you believe him to be, you should have someone with you. But Sirius only shook his head. We agree to a one-on-one -on -one meeting, Sirius said. If I go back on that now, it'll end talks before they've even begun. I have to keep my word. That's assuming he'll keep his, Remus noted darkly, and Sirius sighed. He could not pretend he had not considered the very same, especially since Greyback chose his own fortress for their conference. I will not hesitate to defend myself should the situation call for it, Sirius assured him, but Remus looked unconvinced, so he continued on. How could I do anything that would take me from you? Sirius asked, running his hands across the narrow width of Remus's back. I'll hold you to that, Lord Black, Remus replied, and leaned in for a kiss. As ever, it was so much more than a simple kiss, and now that they were alone again, Sirius's burning desire simmered over within seconds. Sirius had welcomed far too many people into his bed over the past two decades, but had never experienced the kind of insatiable lust he now felt toward Remus. Usually, once the thrill of the chase had been satisfied, his interests waned quickly, but not now. He wondered whether it was because he was in love for the first time in his thirty-eight years. The first thing Sirius noticed when he woke that morning even before he opened his eyes, was how comfortable he was. The room smelled wonderful, and Remus's heating charm hadn't worn off, even after several hours. But it had changed. It burned more gently, as though the heat itself understood that a cooler room was better for sleeping. Its warmth was still as steady and strong as it had been the night before, buffering them against the cold October winds, but somehow burned at a lower temperature. Could Remus somehow have conjured a partially sentient heating charm? Sirius had never heard of such a thing, but if anyone could do so, it was the young man sleeping next to him. Sirius watched him as he slept. His angelic beauty took Sirius's breath away, and he was reminded of muggle fairy tales that told of virgins cast into enchanted slumbers that needed a true love's kiss to wake. Even as a boy he found such stories patently ridiculous. Why would anyone kiss a sleeping stranger? Muggles are fools. But as Sirius gazed upon his own sleeping virgin, with his ethereal, moonbright skin, silk-spun hair of silvery gold, bee-stung lips, and dark eyelashes that caressed the edges of his carved-by-the-gods cheekbones, he found those muggle legends much less far-fetched. He leaned over to kiss Remus gently on the lips, and just like in the fairy tales, his eyes fluttered open at their touch. Good morning, beautiful, Sirius said, and Remus sighed contentedly, rolling over and wrapping his bare arms around Sirius's chest and cuddling close. Good morning, 
he replied in a sleep-scratched voice that made Sirius want to stay in bed all day. How did you sleep, my love? Sirius asked, kissing the top of Remus's head and running his hands down his back and onto his thighs. Were you alright not being at home in your own bed? If wishes could come true, I'd never leave your bed again, Sirius. Remus replied, lifting his chin so they could look at each other. In the golden morning sunlight, Remus seemed to glow even more brightly. He closed his eyes and leaned in for a kiss, tracing along Sirius's jaw gently with the tips of his fingers. You feel more like home to me than anything ever has since, since my mother died. Sirius had heard Remus speak of his father many times, and always with a tone of bitterness and resentment, but Remus had never mentioned his mother before. Sirius cupped his face and ran a thumb along his cheekbone, not saying anything, just watching and waiting for Remus to continue if he wanted to. She's been gone twenty years, and even though I barely remember her, I think about her every day. What do you think about? Remus hummed and closed his eyes as Sirius pressed his fingers into Remus's hair and gently massaged the nape of his neck. I think about her voice, and her hair, and her magic, but mostly I think about the way she made me feel. Cared for, cherished, safe, loved. I thought I would never feel those things again. I thought it all died with her, but I feel them with you. Remus opened his eyes and looked upon Sirius with such radiant love that Sirius thought his heart would burst from his chest. He gripped Remus's hands under the blankets and drew them to his lips, covering them with kisses. My darling, I will cherish you for the rest of my days and longer, he promised. You'll want for nothing, and you'll never wonder how precious you are. Remus looked upon him with awe. I have said it before, Remus smiled. You're an angel, Sirius. Your angel, perhaps, Sirius said wryly. Most would disagree with you. They would be wrong, Remus replied unequivocally. You insist that you're a scoundrel, but I know your true nature. Oh, what is that, then? You, Lord Sirius Black, are as soft and sweet as a spring afternoon. At this, even Remus could not hold a straight face and burst out laughing, burying his face in Sirius's neck. What's so funny, my little nymph, I thought you said I was an angel, Sirius said, rolling Remus onto his back and climbing on top of him, feeling both of their interest in the other growing as their bodies pressed together. I'm offended. Remus wrapped his slender legs around Sirius's powerful thighs and tilted his hips upward keenly. As it turns out, I prefer my angels a little bit naughty, Remus said pulling Sirius closer and sinking into a messy kiss that soon turned into their hands and tongues everywhere, and ended with them deliriously spilling into each other's mouths. Now, with Remus's supple body on his lap, Sirius realized all he needed was Remus and an empty room for his mind and hands to wander to the point of no return. They kissed feverishly, gripping each other desperately through their clothes. Remus wore his suit from the night before, and Sirius could not ignore how the tightness of his trousers left very little to the imagination. He'd have to send James a honeyduke's hamper for that. I need you closer, Remus whined desperately, biting Sirius's lip. There it was again, Sirius thought, Remus's pure, untamed desire to feel Sirius everywhere, even from the inside. He must fulfill that need sooner than later, he realized and the thought of giving Remus a proper fucking nearly made him spill right then. Remus must have felt Sirius's surge of want, 
because in one agile movement, he swung a leg around to straddle Sirius on the high back dining room chair, planting his feet on the ground and rolling his hips hard. Sirius gripped Remus's arse and grinded against him, their lips and tongues sliding together perfectly. Sirius drew his hands between them, opened their trousers, and drew out both of their hard cocks, slicking his hand and grasping them together in his large fist. Gods, Sirius, yes. Remus moaned, watching Sirius stroke them both with his lower lip squeezed hard between his teeth, before drawing Sirius's other hand to his mouth and plunging three fingers over his tongue and down his throat. He licked like he was starving and sucked hard, biting down just above the knuckle. The sharp pains surged through Sirius, shooting straight to his groin. He tipped his head back and cried out his pulsing, blinding release, just as Remus did the same. Their cum mixing on Sirius's hands somehow made his finish last even longer, sending powerful aftershocks coursing through his stomach and thighs. Remus slumped forward onto Sirius's shoulder, panting against the fingers that were still buried in his mouth. He laved over them lazily with his tongue, and Sirius felt his cock give a feeble, oversensitive twitch at the feeling. Sirius rolled his head sideways to lavish Remus's neck with languid kisses, and felt Remus's throat vibrate a happy sigh under his lips. That Remus was already so adept at answering and acting upon his desires started out as a surprise for Sirius, but now that he considered it more readily, it made perfect sense. Remus seemed to have a deep, inborn connection with the natural world, so it would only follow that he be attuned to his own nature, too whether or not he even realized it. And there was nothing more natural than the passion they felt for each other. In the span of twelve hours, they'd had each other three times. Even now, with Remus in his arms and his warm mouth sucking at his fingers, Sirius could already feel his powerful need building again. Yet that need called out for more than the animal desire for release. It sought closeness and intimacy, feeling each other from the inside out being deeply within the other's body and bones and blood in a way that neither could explain but both felt down to their core, gnawing at their marrow. The large grandfather clock in the study struck 11.30 a.m., and Remus reluctantly lifted his head and released Sirius's fingers from his mouth with a kiss to the back of his hand. I need to get home, he said sadly, leaning their foreheads together. My father's potion wears off in an hour, and I want to be there when he wakes. Sirius vanished the sticky cum from his hand and pulled Remus into a tight embrace. I can't imagine leaving you now that I know what it means to have you, he said into Remus's flowery-scented curls. When can I see you again, my love? I'll open the shop as usual tomorrow, and hurry to your side as soon as I can get away, Remus promised. How I shall miss you sleeping next to me tonight, Sirius replied, already mourning the cold spot in his bed that Remus should occupy always and his mind reeled with thoughts of moving Remus and his father into the sprawling manor house, giving Mr. Lupin his own separate wing and a full-time caregiver, and allowing Remus to finally live the life he deserved. Perhaps it's time for me to meet your father, Sirius said cautiously, toying with the buttons on Remus's coat. Remus's face darkened with worry, but he quickly schooled it back into a smile. I'm sure that time will come soon, Remus replied noncommittally fastening both of their trousers and standing up crisply. Will you walk me out? Sirius stood too, looked down at him for a few seconds without answering, then nodded and took Remus's offered hand. 
Even with the night they'd shared, Sirius still felt that too familiar barrier between them. Of course, my love, he replied, and led Remus to the front door. Oh, do you want me to fix the window before I go? Remus asked, his eyes wide with concern. No, Sirius said. I need something to remember you by. I'll keep it as long as your heating charm holds, and when it wears off, I'll fix it myself. But Remus only smiled and shook his head. It won't wear off, he said with a small laugh. So if you insist on having a broken window and an indoor garden, you should probably put up another barrier to keep the animals out, too. Use Fenestra Invisibilis. It should do the trick. He leaned up one more time to kiss Sirius, whispered, Until tomorrow, and apparated away with a crack. Sirius looked at the spot where they'd been holding each other only seconds before, then retreated back into his empty manor house with a sigh. Dull. Colorless. Lifeless. It was back to usual at Remus's cottage. Everything was just as he'd left it. Lyle woke groggily at exactly 12.30, and Remus was at his side within seconds with a cup of tea and a bowl of porridge. You must have needed the rest, father, to have slept half the day away, Remus said. Lyle agreed with him, and that was that. Lyle could not see the lush garden that bloomed outside the cottage, the trees heavy with fat fruit, as though they spilled straight from Earth's fertile womb. Likewise, Lyle could not see the profound change in his son. It was true, of course, that Remus's finely tailored suit and the taste of venison and wine upon his tongue were long gone. Remus wore his usual simple, plain, roughly spun clothing. He bore not a single mark upon his skin. They supped upon their usual soup and rustic bread, and sat in silence by the fire in their two stiff chairs stuffed with itchy horsehair. But if Lyle had bothered to look closer, to search in Remus's eyes and actually see who he was beyond the boy who needed to be hidden away, he would have known his son was a different person than he'd been the day before. Remus felt as though his spirit had been unlocked and set free, and that Sirius not only held the key, but had thrown the key away forever. It was exhilarating and wonderful. Yet as always, Lyle remained ignorant, steadfastly ignoring and pushing away who his son truly was. But Sirius. Sirius saw him clearly. At last. The next morning, Remus vibrated with excitement at the thought of seeing Sirius again that afternoon, and he moved through the shop and his tasks as though walking upon a cloud. When the doorbell rang someone's arrival, his heart leapt at the thought that it might be Sirius coming to visit him with a good morning kiss. Hello, my boy. The words were deeply familiar. But the voice was not. It was harsh and rasping, spoken with a wicked and malicious mocking that perverted the word's lovely meaning. A chill ran up Remus's spine as he looked upon the hulking figure standing in the doorway. Don't you look pretty today? Fenra Greyback said. Chapter 11 Part 2 On the surface, Fenra Greyback and Sirius Black had much in common. They were both tall, broad-shouldered, and classically handsome. They both dressed and carried themselves like the nobles they were. They both had gentile speech, courtly manners, and even an affinity for the dark arts. And they had both arrived, unannounced, in Remus's shop when he was alone. 
But where Remus's heart immediately recognized Sirius as a beacon of safety and love, it hammered a clear and insistent warning at the sight of Fenrir Greyback. Remus's mind reeled before remembering what Regulus told Sirius. You cannot react to him. Remus took a deep, steadying breath and strode forward. He's any other customer. Hello, Mr. Greyback, he said pleasantly, squaring his shoulders and trying to keep the fear and surprise out of his voice. It's nice to see you again. He offered his hand to shake, and Greyback took it. It's nice to see you as well. Greyback replied slowly, fixing Remus with a predatory leer. As I said, so pretty, today, Remus. Remus gave him a tight smile. May I assist you with something? Remus asked, and his stomach clenched as he watched Greyback's hand move to his coat pocket, as though for his wand. Remus's own wand was in the back room. Not that he'd need it, but still. It was foolhardy not to have a backup weapon. But Greyback did not draw his wand. Yes, as a matter of fact, you can, Greyback replied, pulling a small linen bag from his pocket and holding it out between them. He dropped it into Remus's hand, where it landed with a substantial weight. Lord Black spoke so highly of you and your skills that I thought, perhaps, you could tell me more about this. Remus met Greyback's eyes briefly, and his stomach twisted at their rapacious gleam. Remus hesitated for a moment then pulled open the bag's drawstrings and tipped it upside down. A heavy pendant on a silver chain slid into his palm. It was a large moonstone, the largest Remus had ever seen. It protruded, fat and round, from a tarnished silver backing like a heavily pregnant belly. Remus drew it up slowly by the chain and held it in front of his face. It spun in the air and caught the light, shining with a rainbow-hued iridescence that left him mesmerized and breathless. It's beautiful, Remus murmured, momentarily forgetting about Greyback as he stared at the pendant. I hoped you could help me unlock its mysteries, Greyback said softly, watching Remus with a shrewd expression. I've had it in my possession for twenty years, and I've never quite understood it. Remus seemed to hear him only distantly as he lowered the pendant back into his palm and turned it over. Are those runes? Remus said, nearly to himself, as he squinted at the silver backing. There were carvings there, but they were obscured by the black tarnish. Remus rubbed his thumb over it, but the tarnish was thick and set. No, Greyback replied. I thought the same, but they're no runic symbols that I've ever seen. I wondered if you would recognize them. Not off the top of my head, no, Remus said, his eyes not leaving the incredible piece as though entranced. But I'm sure a bit of research and some spell work could yield some information. He turned the pendant over and over in his fingers, where it grew warm under his touch. It seemed to vibrate softly, and even radiated a soft glow that Remus hadn't seen when Greyback first handed it to him. Fascinating object, isn't it, my boy? Greyback asked, and Remus startled back to himself. He looked up and saw Greyback watching him hungrily. Yes, Remus agreed. He moved to give the pendant back, but Greyback raised a hand in protest. If you'll consent to examine it, I could come back for it Friday morning, Greyback said. But that's the day after the full moon, Remus exclaimed before he could stop himself, and Greyback barked out a little laugh. Indeed it is, Greyback said, with a nod of his head and a mocking smile. And the same day I plan to welcome Lord Black into my home. But won't you be, I mean, with your condition, 
Remus sputtered. What about my condition, boy? Greyback pushed, and Remus heard the taunting relish in his voice. I thought, I've heard that full moons makes lycanthropes ill, Remus said. Have you now? Greyback smirked, showing his teeth. Well, yes, Remus said. He not only had twenty years of lived experience, but heard his father tell countless stories and warnings about how sick the full moon made all werewolves. That Remus was not always unwell at the full moon, Lyle credited to Remus's loving home. Full moons only make ill those who fight what they are, Greyback said, taking a stalking step closer to Remus, and then another. But those of us who have come to accept it, or even take pleasure in it, enjoy good health always and even increased strength. The moon commands us, she wants her children to be strong and hearty. Greyback moved slowly until they were inches away from each other, so close that Remus could smell the stale tobacco on his breath, and something else, too. Something metallic and earthy. It took me several years to come into my power, Greyback said, his voice barely a low rasp now. But come into it I did. I had to learn, to hone myself, and eliminate those who sought to repress my nature. Eliminate. Remus breathed, and Greyback shrugged. You'll forgive the figure of speech, my boy, Greyback said. I only meant that I found my true family. He tilted his head and looked at Remus with a tender expression, then extended his hand and ran a single finger gently along Remus's cheek and down the delicate curve of his neck. It was almost like something serious would do. There is power in the things people fear, Greyback said. Remember that, love. The word love landed like a punch to Remus's chest. He took a halting step backwards and held out the pendant in his fist by the chain. The moonstone swung wildly in front of him as he tried to give it back. I'm sorry, sir, but I don't have time for this project, Remus said, his firm voice belying his terrified soul. My work is very taxing, and I'll pay you double whatever Black pays you. Greyback cut him off. He is your employer, is he not? Remus hesitated, but answered. He is. Remus agreed. Well, then, Greyback said, he does not own you, and there is no harm in freelancing a bit. That is what you do for him after all, isn't it, considering this shop is your primary business? Yes, but, unless you do a bit more for him, Greyback purred, offer other services. Remus's stomach churned as Greyback grinned at him, cruel and wicked. I should have known, he said when Remus didn't answer. Lord Black has certainly earned his reputation as a cad. He's left a long line of broken young men in his wake. Remus knew he was being baited, and when he didn't rise, Greyback continued. But for him to take advantage of a sweet boy like you, when you're beholden to him as your employer, he said, shaking his head. Despicable. He's lying, he's lying, he's lying, Remus thought. Perhaps he even told you he loved you, Greyback said with mockish pity. My poor darling. Remus bit his cheek and drove his fingernails into his palm. He held out the pendant again in his shaking hand. I'm sorry, sir, but I must refuse, Remus said, and Greyback's jaw clenched, making a vein in his forehead throb. Well, now, that's a shame, Greyback said, his tone changing from sympathy to coldness in an instant. I would hate for anything to go wrong with my so-called peace talks with Lord Black. Remus's heart dropped into his stomach. He could not jeopardize Sirius's safety or the peace agreement. What do you want? Remus asked quietly, 
and Greyback licked across his teeth and smiled triumphantly. I want you to find out what those symbols mean, he said in a voice as quiet as the grave. I want you to tell me what powers that stone holds, and I want you to do it by Friday morning, or your precious Lord Black will pay dearly. It had been not but thirty-six hours since Sirius had confessed his love, and already his association with Remus was threatening his life. Remus remembered the Balgart, and the cold grief that ripped at his soul at the sight of Sirius overcome by this evil that lived within both him and the man in front of him. But things were different now. Remus knew what it meant to love and be loved, and he felt buoyed by a strength he did not know he possessed. In choosing to love Sirius, he had also chosen to protect him from everything, including his curse. If I do this, do you swear that no harm will come to him? Remus asked. Of course, Greyback said easily. I'm a man of honor and of my word, and you'll have the satisfaction of knowing that you help bring about peace and safety for wizards and werewolves alike. Such a noble cause, championed by the noble Lord Black. Remus withdrew his hand and slid the pendant back into its linen bag. Fine, Remus agreed. That's a good lad, Greyback simpered, patting Remus's cheek and making bile rise in his throat. I'll leave you to it, then. Greyback took a step, and Remus thought he was about to leave. Instead, he closed the space between them in a flash. He towered over Remus, but leaned his head so low that his lips grazed the shell of Remus's ear as he spoke. Oh, and one more thing, love, Greyback said, gripping Remus's chin between his thumb and forefinger. Best not to mention a little business arrangement to your Lord Black. He strikes me as the possessive type. I'd hate for him to do something we'd all regret. Greyback stepped back a little so they were eye to eye and dragged his hand along the underside of Remus's chin, the ragged edge of a fingernail scratching at his skin. He took a few steps backwards, not letting Remus out of his sight, before turning around and striding out the door. When the door slammed shut, Remus ran to the window, watched Greyback apparate away, and let out a breath he didn't know he'd been holding. He turned around and slumped against the door, the pendant still clutched in his sweaty fist, and closed his eyes. Here was yet another secret he'd need to keep from the man he loved. But if it meant keeping Sirius safe, he'd do it forever. Remus moved through the rest of his day as though in a fog, and when he finally arrived at Grimwald Place just after lunchtime, he threw himself into Sirius's arms with desperate relief. Sirius pulled him close and let out a little laugh. Darling, what's wrong? he asked. Nothing, Remus lied, burying his face in Sirius's shoulder and breathing in his comforting scent. I just missed you. He hugged Sirius tighter, wrapping his arms around his waist and trying to get as close as he could, as though Sirius's strong body and protective embrace could somehow shield him from the rest of the world and drown out its wicked truths. I love you, Remus said into Sirius's chest. I love you too. Sirius replied, running his hands soothingly across Remus's back. He pulled away and looked at Remus closely. Are you sure you're all right? Was everything all right with your father after the potion wore off? Yes, he was fine, Remus said, happy to latch onto something to talk about, as Sirius led them into the drawing room and onto the settee. He woke up none the wiser. I thought, perhaps, I could use the potion again. Fewer drops so he'd sleep twelve hours instead of eighteen and wake at a normal hour. I would love to spend the entire night with you again. You know I'd love nothing more than to have you in my bed all night, every night. 
Sirius said. But does the potion have any ill effects? Only unusual dreams, Remus said. And my father dislikes anything out of the ordinary, so he'd never discuss them with me. Sirius nodded and considered Remus for another few seconds before answering. As I said, I'll take you any way I can get you, and if that means a more frequent regimen of Somnum Potio for your father, then so be it, he said, hesitating for a moment before continuing. But when you're ready, I would like to give you both a home with me. What do you mean? Remus asked. I mean, Black Manor is far too empty, Sirius replied with a soft smile. Live with you, Remus asked, and joy bubbled up in his chest. Of course. I want to live my whole life with you, Remus. Every day, Sirius said. I know you're dedicated to your father, and would never leave him. There's more than enough room for all of us to live comfortably at Black Manor. It's very close to your shop. And we could hire a matron to care for him so you could take buying trips if you'd like. Or you and I could travel together. Or we don't need to go anywhere. We could just stay home, and never leave our bed. Wherever you are is where I want to be. Remus stared into Sirius's adoring, sincere eyes in disbelief. What had Remus done to deserve to be loved by someone such as Sirius? The thought of waking up next to Sirius every morning and falling asleep in his arms every night was too wonderful to imagine. But imagine if he did. He imagined them holding each other all night, waking up with sleepy kisses, reading to each other by the fire, taking long walks through the garden, holidays by the seaside, exploring the world, having breakfast and lunch together every day. He imagined Valentine's Day and Easter, Christmas and birthdays, perhaps even children, and full moons. As always, Sirius made it easy, terrifyingly easy, for Remus's mind to run away with itself and forget what he was. Yet his life would always be defined and punctuated by the moon, looming in and out of sight but forever there, chaining him to a fate he did not choose. It was ever-present, breathing down his neck, snatching away his freedom and happiness, and no matter where he was on earth, he could not hide or run from it. No matter how much Sirius loved him, or how safe Remus felt in his arms, Sirius could not protect him from this. Sirius watched and waited for an answer. He seemed to be holding his breath. I'd like that, Remus replied quietly. Someday. Sirius smiled, but the ghost of something passed across his eyes, and Remus's heart ached. Because he did not know if someday would ever truly come and he suspected that Sirius did not know, either. In truth, Remus felt as though he was living on borrowed time. He'd already resolved to tell Sirius the truth about who and what he was, eventually. He'd do it sooner than later if he could work up the nerve. He knew there was no guarantee that Sirius would still want him once Remus had revealed his true self. But Remus loved him too much to deceive him. It was tempting to keep the secret for as long as he could to enjoy Sirius's blissful ignorance and pretend everything was normal. Yet a part of him, a bigger part than he was willing to admit, already felt as though he'd tricked Sirius into loving a false version of himself. You can tell me anything, you know, Remus, Sirius said, searching Remus's face. I know. As I have told you, there is nothing you can say that will make me not want to be with you, Sirius said, as though reading Remus's mind and Remus wondered briefly whether there was any truth to the rumor that the blacks were a family of gifted legilimens. I promise. Remus nodded, 
But Sirius did not know what he was promising, so Remus would not blame him if he broke it. For now, at least until after Sirius's peace talks, Remus decided on a version of the truth. I want to live with you, Sirius. I'd live with you tomorrow if I could. But my father and I have been alone for many years. I never told you how my mother died. Sirius listened quietly, waiting, as Remus's fingers twisted in his lap. She was murdered, and I almost died along with her, Remus said, as horror washed over Sirius's face. Oh, Remus, Sirius said, grasping Remus's hands and bringing them to his heart. I'm so sorry. I don't remember any of it, Remus told him. But ever since, my father has barely let me out of his sight. He even put blood wards on the house so I can't stay away too long without him. Sirius gave Remus a questioning look. But you are older than seventeen, Sirius said. Yes, quite a bit older, Remus agreed. I'm twenty-five. Unfortunately, my father does not care that I'm of age. Your father may not care, but the ministry certainly does, Sirius said a bit angrily. There are no blood wards on your house, Remus. What? They're illegal for adults, unless the ministry gives special permission, Sirius said simply. Otherwise, wizards could keep anyone they want a prisoner for any reason. A charm like that would not hold past the age of seventeen. It would break automatically, no matter how many times your father tried to recast it. Remus stared at him in disbelief. Are you sure? he asked. Positive, Sirius assured him. Part of my education and upbringing as the future Lord Black was a thorough study of wizarding law. So my father's been lying to me for eight years, Remus asked, his voice trembling with rage and his face flushing in embarrassment and indignation. I'm sorry, Remus, Sirius replied sadly. I hate that I had to be the one to tell you that. I'd rather it be you than anyone else, Remus muttered. His mind spun. Had everything his father told him his entire life been a lie? Remus had a savage urge to apparate home, pack his bags, and leave Lyle alone forever. So what if his father was sick? Lyle would just have to take care of himself, like Remus had done since he was a child, patching up his own wounds after the full moon, crying in pain and loneliness, hobbling home a wreck, running the shop by himself only for Lyle to snap at him for using wandless magic and do everything he could to keep him on a tight, choking leash, imprisoned in that house forever. He must love you very much, Sirius said, trying to be kind. But did Lyle truly love him? Or did he simply fear him? Remus heard Greyback's words ringing in his memory. There is power in the things people fear. Perhaps I would have thought that once, Remus said. But now I'm not sure. You showed me what love is supposed to feel like. And what my father has been doing to me. I don't know what that is. Sirius drew him into a hug, and Remus softened against him immediately, pushing away the nagging voice that reminded him that he was lying, too, and to someone he loved. Was he any better than his father? Tears, unbidden and unexpected, stung Remus's eyes and choked his lungs and before he could stop himself, he was crying against Sirius's chest, a lifetime of fear, deceit, worry, pain, and loneliness pouring out of him at once. He clung to Sirius and sobbed in his arms, and Sirius let him, holding him until he'd cried himself exhausted. And then, Sirius kissed him, 
softly and slowly, and Remus felt his mind go blissfully quiet. His brain registered only serious, and his lips and hands and beautiful body that made him feel things he didn't know he was capable of feeling. They sank into each other on the soft velvet settee, and burning want surged through Remus, lighting his nerves on fire and obliterating the rest of the world. When Remus asked Sirius to take him to bed, he hadn't fully understood what that meant. But Sirius had shown him things beyond his wildest imaginings, made his body spark and ignite with soft lips sliding across his skin, teeth scraping along his jaw, hands gripping his hips and pinning his wrists, and mouth encircling Remus and swallowing him down his throat. Remus had never dreamed of anything so deeply satisfying or intensely beautiful. And Sirius promised even more. As soon as Remus learned that Sirius could enter and fill him, he'd thought of nothing else. In his bed alone last night, he touched himself and tentatively pushed one fingertip inside. It felt dangerous and forbidden, but exactly right, and instead of the discomfort Sirius worried over, Remus felt only breathtaking, eye-opening desire. Remus understood pain intimately, and his tolerance for it was high. But this, this was nothing but pleasure. Remus climbed onto Sirius's lap and planted his knees on either side of his hips. Remus pressed against him, feeling Sirius hard and huge against his thigh, and whispered in his ear. I want you inside me, Remus begged, lapping at Sirius's neck and reveling at the way the hard muscles and tendons flexed beneath his lips. Please, I cannot stop imagining it. Sirius drew his head back to look at Remus in lust-hazed wonder, then tangled his fingers into his hair and kissed him with a gentleness that masked the powerful, surging want that Remus sensed simmering just under the surface. He could feel the effort it took Sirius to hold himself back from taking what he really wanted, and that knowledge made Remus's belly coil with need. I'm afraid I'll. Sirius choked, but Remus cut him off with a kiss and whispered, No. I touched myself last night, Remus told him in a strangled voice, and I wished it was you. Sirius's eyes darkened, and an undercurrent of fierce, untamed longing rippled between them. They stared at each other for a moment more before lunging together like a powerful storm surge bursting through levees, proving nature wins over man every time. Gone was the hesitation and gentleness of their first night together. They tore at each other's clothing, pulling it off and flinging it to the floor, all fingers and tongues in desperation. Sirius's body was powerful and strong, and Remus ran his hands and pressed his lips over every inch of him. He wanted to feel ravished and overcome cared for and controlled. Lay back, Sirius said in a low, gravelly voice that scratched across Remus's skin and sparked up his spine. Remus obeyed and his legs fell open automatically as Sirius positioned himself between his thighs and wrapped his arms around Remus's legs. The cleaning spell tingled like a promise, and Sirius wasted no time burying his face between Remus's legs, licking at his entrance and up his hard length with long, slippery drags of his tongue. Remus tipped his hips up wantonly, desperate for more, but gasped and froze when he felt the tip of Sirius's finger circling around his entrance. Ready? Sirius asked, and Remus moaned his assent. Slowly, agonizingly slowly, Sirius pushed a finger inside. It stung, but only for a moment, and immediately the pain gave way to a pleasure that stole Remus's breath and obliterated his senses. Sirius pressed soft, 
open-mouthed kisses to the inside of Remus's thighs as he pumped his finger in and out. Remus opened his legs wider, searching for more, and Sirius slid another slippery finger into him. He thrust into him with painstaking care and closed his mouth around the head of Remus's hard length. It was bliss, it was love, and nothing could ever feel better until... Oh, oh, Sirius. He cried out as Sirius's fingers flexed inside him and pressed a spot that sent ecstatic, electric pleasure surging through his arms and legs, widening his vision, as he spilled down Sirius's throat with the force of a tsunami. His body surged through little aftershocks as Sirius continued working him, and his consciousness blurred around the edges of reality. It took Remus a full minute to come back to himself, but when he did, Sirius was by his side, running his fingers through his hair and kissing his cheek and neck and chest. Do you feel all right? Sirius asked with a measured calm that belied his warm skin and still hard cock that pressed against Remus's hip. I've never felt better. Remus breathed, sinking into Sirius for another blissful, mind-numbing kiss. Remus wrapped a hand around Sirius's length, pumping slowly as he crawled down his thick, muscular thighs and took him into his mouth like the most decadent dessert. If having Sirius inside him was the most wonderful thing he'd ever felt, then this was a close second, and when Sirius released into his mouth, hard and gasping and clutching at Remus's hair, Remus felt nothing but joy and gratitude at being able to make Sirius feel this way. Remus's troubles were far from his mind as they lay together, happily spent and wrapped up in the other. And in his pocket, in a linen drawstring pouch, the moonstone pendant shone and sparkled with pride and love, like the mother goddess herself. Chapter 12 Tell me about what you were like in school. It was dark in Sirius's bedchamber, save for the glow of the nearly full harvest moon spilling in through the high-mullioned windows, but Sirius could still see the shadowy outlines of Remus's face as he rested his chin on Sirius's bare chest and traced soft circles on his arm. Remus's voice was hushed and drowsy, and the two of them lay in bed, cocooned together in softness and quiet, with sweet orange blossoms and jasmine vines still clinging to the walls. Sirius did not know what time it was, and did not particularly care. They lived in a place out of time just then, in a liminal space made of hushed voices and tranquil magic. Hmm, I suppose that depends on who you ask. Sirius mused, lightly running a broad palm over Remus's narrow shoulders. According to the headmaster, I was gifted but reckless. But according to James, I was just fun. Gifted but reckless sounds very accurate, actually. Remus laughed, letting his eyes drift closed when Sirius ran his fingers through his curls. Sirius loved Remus in every shape, but especially like this, relaxed and loose-limbed, tangled up with him in bed, whispering softly with languid lips and gently stroking fingers. Was Hogwarts wonderful? Remus whispered, ghosting a breath across Sirius's chest. Yes, I suppose it was, Sirius said, but his heart hurt at the wistfulness in Remus's voice. Although we did get up to quite a bit of mischief. Like what? Remus asked letting his head fall to the side so his cheek was pressed against Sirius's chest and gazed up at him with sleepy eyes. Sirius idly traced Remus's lips with the tip of his finger a few times before Remus kissed it with a contented sigh. Well, Sirius said, trying to think back twenty years. Mostly little things, you know. Nicking sweets from the kitchens, skipping class, 
I remember James and I landed in double detention once for hexing Bertram Aubrey's head to twice its normal size. Sirius. He had it coming. Sirius said. He kept trying to pick up the girl's skirts. Oh, he did have it coming, then, didn't he? He certainly did. Sirius said. I suppose the thing we're most remembered for, though, is driving one of the school carriages into the Black Lake to see whether we could take the underwater whirlpool tunnel to France. My goodness, that's exciting. Did you manage it? Remus asked. Well, yes. Sirius said ruefully. But we popped out in the Rhone River in Lyon and wound up in the middle of the canoe revolts. We were arrested for a few days, but did help the silk workers negotiate higher wages, at least. Remus dissolved into laughter eyes closed, lower lip bent between his teeth, gripping his hand and Sirius thought he never heard such a lovely sound. You've had so many brilliant adventures, Remus said, nestling his head into the crook of Sirius's shoulder where it fit perfectly. The blanket was low across his hips and the moonlight shone across his smooth, bare back, making his skin glow with an almost iridescent beauty. He looked perfect, and Sirius couldn't help but touch him whenever they were next to each other, even if it was just a soft brush of knuckles to his cheek, or the stroke of his thumb to a curl. Have you ever been to France? Sirius asked him. Yes, many times. Remus nodded. I've been all over the continent actually. Usually with my father, of course, and always for work. We never went to cities when we visited, though. We stayed in very small villages, usually in the countryside. In our trade, cities are overpriced. So I've been to Gordes, Alborabello, and Beerton, but never Paris, Rome, or Bucharest. Well, we'll just have to change that, won't we, darling? Sirius asked, dropping a kiss on the top of his head. He knew Remus dreamed of seeing the whole world and Sirius longed to be the one who showed it to him. We'll have such fun together. Remus lifted his head and scooched up in the bed so they were face to face. Anywhere would be fun with you, he replied. He cupped Sirius's cheek and kissed him lightly on the lips, then pulled away and looked at him thoughtfully before giving him a little smile and running a finger down the bridge of his nose. I know what you remind me of, Remus whispered, their lips only inches apart. What? Sirius whispered back, twirling a strand of Remus's hair. The sculptures I saw in Greece, Remus said, ghosting his fingers reverently over the angles of Sirius's cheek and jaw. But come to life. And usually with more clothes on, Sirius replied, and Remus laughed. Um, usually, Remus murmured, nuzzling into Sirius's neck and opening his mouth against the skin. But thankfully not right now. He brushed his fingertips over Sirius's collarbone and down his chest as he mouthed at a spot behind his ear, heating his skin with every little sigh and warm puff of breath. Sirius let his eyes drift closed and his hand wander down Remus's back and up the beautiful swell of his arse, squeezing the muscle gently and making Remus squirm against him. Come here, you gorgeous thing, Sirius whispered, and Remus slid his legs over Sirius's thighs until he was laying on top of him their warm limbs slipping against each other as their bodies tangled together. The blanket that covered their legs fell away, and Sirius wrapped his arms around Remus, who kissed languidly up Sirius's neck and across his face until their lips met and opened with a delicious slide of softness and tongue. Remus moaned into Sirius's mouth as his hands slid over his arse again, pulling them closer. Let me have all of you tonight, 
Remus sighed, rolling his hips and pressing himself against Sirius's hands until his fingers slipped between the cleft. Sirius let out a helpless moan of his own as he pushed his hands deeper between Remus's cheeks. Are you sure, Remus? He asked, but his choked voice betrayed his own longing. God's yes, Remus promised, then drew himself back. He propped up on his elbows, tangled his fingers in Sirius's hair, and stared straight into his face. Remus's amber eyes seemed to sparkle in the moonlight. I love you, Remus said, and I need you so badly. I want to feel you everywhere. Sirius raised his head from the pillow to meet Remus in a firm kiss. How could I ever deny you anything? He asked. From his favorite place on earth, between Remus's legs, Sirius moved slowly, working him open carefully with his mouth and fingers. He took much longer and was far gentler than was probably truly necessary. By the time he finished, Remus writhed and begged underneath him, and Sirius was harder than he could ever remember being. He moved up Remus's body, gripping his own cock and positioning it cautiously, so cautiously, and nudging gently against Remus until the blood sang in Sirius's ears. He leaned down and gave Remus one more kiss before pushing into him with agonizing slowness pausing halfway as Remus gasped and tipped his head back against the pillow with his eyes closed, his lips parted in a silent cry, and looking more beautiful than anything Sirius had ever seen. Remus was tight and perfect around him as he gasped on the bed and canted his hips upward hungrily, seeking more. Sirius was just about to slide the rest of the way in when Remus opened his eyes. They looked at each other, and the infinite passed between them without words the secrets of the universe swirling through them like magic that stole their breath and answered questions they didn't know their hearts were asking. Sirius found Remus's hand and twined their fingers together, gripping tightly as they came together as one. Remus's world narrowed and spun as Sirius pushed into him completely, stretching him wide and filling him just as he'd craved. He kept their hands tightly linked as Sirius started to move, slowly at first, with more love behind it than desire. Sirius leaned down to kiss him and Remus reveled in the way he felt him everywhere, inside and out, all at once. It was almost too much, too much love, too much pleasure, too much emotion, all tied up in one person, and Remus wondered vaguely how he ever breathed or heard music or saw color before Sirius walked into his life. He wrapped his arms and legs around Sirius and held him tightly as they moved together, faster and harder, breathing together in a panting rhythm. And when Sirius tilted his hips upward just right and reached between their bodies to stroke Remus's dripping cock, Remus came with a powerful surge that jolted through him, electrifying his heart and spine and lungs, blurring his senses, and tearing Sirius's name from his ragged throat. Remus gripped Sirius's arms, digging his fingers into the firm muscle as Sirius followed him to his finish, thrusting hard and spilling into Remus in a way that felt better than he'd ever imagined. That Sirius could fill him yet another way was thrilling and wonderful, and Remus moaned wantonly at the warm wetness that dripped between them. Sirius didn't pull out, and Remus didn't pull away. Instead they sank into each other's bodies and kissed drowsily, messily, drunkenly, blissfully lost in the other. My mother would have loved you. The moon was even brighter tonight, fatter and fuller than it had been the night before and the night before that. They lay in bed again, wrapped up together in this secret, 
nighttime world of theirs, the only two people on earth, surrounded by love and flowers and gentle, silvery moonlight. They'd spent every night together that week, and Remus's hand did not shake when he dropped the sleeping potion into his father's evening tea. The only remorse he felt was for Creature, whose Sirius had tasked with watching over Lyle while he slept for twelve, sixteen, eighteen hours at a time. How do you know? Sirius asked from his spot resting his head on Remus's naked stomach. She was beautiful and loved beautiful things. Remus whispered as he pulled his fingers through Sirius's shiny black hair, running his thumb across his temple where he knew there were strands of silver, his favorite part. And you're the most beautiful thing in the world. So it follows. Sirius laughed and pressed little, tickling kisses to Remus's hip. I'd argue that point with you, darling, he said. But I do hope she would have liked me. I wish I could have known her. I wish we both could have. Remus looked up at the ceiling, with Sirius's warm, grounding weight covering his middle, and watched the moon shadows dance over his head. He'd been thinking about his mother a lot that week, more than usual. She'd been in his dreams every night, not so much her face, but her voice and songs and sweetly glowing presence. He felt her most acutely while he was alone in the shop, trying to untangle the mysteries of the moonstone pendant. So far he'd only managed to decipher the engraving which was written in an ancient, dead language called Pictish, but it told him next to nothing. She of three was engraved in a half-circle around what looked to be a picture of a chariot. I feel her with me sometimes, Remus said into the quiet darkness. Her energy and her magic. Sometimes it feels like she's right next to me, or all around me. Maybe she is, Sirius said, and Remus hummed thoughtfully. Wouldn't that be nice, he mused. What do you know about her? Sirius asked, running a hand absently up and down Remus's thigh, pausing to softly kiss his waist. Did she have a family? If she did, I don't know them. I know only what my father has told me, which isn't much. I don't even know how she met my father, Remus replied. In truth, Lyle did not like talking about hope. It made him cry. All I know was that her people were the last of an ancient sect from the far north that practiced elemental magic, Remus said. Most of those sects have died out now, but they were commonplace before schools like Hogwarts formalized magical education and the ministry decided which spells should and shouldn't be used, as I'm sure you know. They had their own brand of magic, and I learned at her feet. Is that why my bedchamber has turned into a greenhouse? Sirius asked, a sweet teasing tone in his voice. Maybe, Remus laughed. I don't really know, to be honest. I can't control it, and I don't know why it happens. But I know that since I fell in love with you, it's been a little... Wild, Sirius asked, and Remus burst out laughing. Yes, that's a good word for it, he agreed. Remus ran his fingers down the nape of Sirius's neck and grasped his arm with his other hand, pulling him closer. Sirius kissed up his stomach and neck until he reached Remus's lips, coming together once more until they were lost again in a world of their own making, safe and happy in the moonlight. Sometimes it was too easy. Fenra preferred it when they screamed. When they ran. When they rewarded him with the thrill of the chase. When he could taste the panic sweat on their skin and the acrid terror in their blood. He was, after all, Something of a deity himself, as a maker of monsters and snuffer of breath, 
a destroyer god sowing death and reshaping flesh. The ones who ran earned their fates, one way or another, and let it not be said that Fenrir did not value hard work. He would be lying if he said he remembered all of them, but a handful stood out in his memory. His first kill, an accidental one when he was too forceful and eager, before he'd learned how to control his excitement and temper his lust. His first child, the feeling of their delicate bones breaking between his jaws and the knowledge that they'd be his to shape and mold in his image. The first time he stole a trinket, something small to remember the evening by. And then, of course, there was the one that got away. The boy who fought back deliciously after seeing his mother torn to pieces. He kicked, screamed, and raged, gnashed his teeth and brandished his little fists. He was small and fast, and too clever by half, and could have been Fenrir's prized pupil had he not tested his patience so badly. Fenrir got annoyed and ended the game in a flash of teeth and claws. He'd left the boy for dead. And why wouldn't he? The boy's mother was unremarkable in every way except for the color of her hair and how boldly she walked into the moonlight, strolling right through the middle of an open fucking field, for Merlin's sake. She hadn't even been one of the fun ones who ran. She spotted the monster too late and instead used her own body as a shield, spreading her arms wide and crouching over the child, as though that could help either of them. Fenrir felt no remorse for killing the woman or her brat son, and returned at daybreak to snatch away the pendant that hung round her neck. What was left of her neck anyway? That the pendant was made from silver and moonstone was almost poetic, really. As though silver could have protected her. As though the moon could have called to anyone but him. The irony was almost too wonderful to bear. He thought of her little over the years. But the boy. The boy was a different story. He'd crop up in Fenrir's dreams, jolting him awake at night with his wild, single-minded fury and a bloodthirsty look in his bright, amber eyes that told Fenrir he would have killed him if he could and felt nothing but vengeful pride in committing the deed. The dreams always ended the same way, with the boy's teeth on his neck and the moon hanging low and glowing in the sky. The morning after these dreams, Fenrir would summon a servant to fetch his private safe so he could inspect and reinspect the moonstone pendant rolling it in his fingers, trying to decipher its engravings, his eyes tricking his brain into thinking he saw a flash of iridescent meaning in the stone. The tarnish became heavier and thicker as the years passed on, but the dreams still plagued him, and his obsession with the pendant grew. He couldn't help feeling that the two things were connected, that he was missing some crucial link between them. Sirius Black was, as ever, insufferable. He had always been so, even at Hogwarts. He was a few years behind Fenrir in school, yet still claimed the attention and adoration of their fellow Slytherins for everything he did. Even punishments seemed to slide off his arrogant, haughty back, despite showing more than a little of the black family malevolence and aligning himself with that idiot Potter. That he rose to claim his lordship sooner than Fenrir rankled a bit. Fenrir wouldn't mind if his own father dropped dead, but alas, the man seemed to have an iron grip on life. It came as no surprise that in his new role, Black would seek to reshape his image into that of a benevolent and noble leader of the peerage. Such was Black's arrogance, thinking he could do so despite a youth spent marauding about the world and fucking anything with a pulse. 
He even had the audacity to host that vulgar ball that Fenrir was under obligation to attend after agreeing to his ludicrous peace talks. Fenrir's companion for the ball, Sava, could take a brutal fucking better than most, but Fenrir would have traded one hundred of him for a single night with Black's newest pet, who was not only the most exquisite creature he'd ever seen, but seemed to have a defiant streak that Fenrir would enjoy riding hard until it broke. Fenrir wanted to see him up close so he dragged Sava across the ballroom until they were face to face with Black and his pretty little toy. My, but his lips would look lovely choking around Fenrir's dick. Yet when their eyes met, everything changed. Lupin, is it? Fenrir asked, taking in the bright, amber eyes that had plagued his dreams for twenty years. Have we met before, boy? I don't believe so, sir, he replied, clearly nervous. But what reason would he have to be nervous? He'd defied death and held bloodlust in his heart. Yes, I supposed I'd remember someone like you, Fenrir said, realizing that fate may yet be smiling on him after all, as it often does for gods and monsters. Chapter 13 No Remus today. Sirius and Regulus sat in their father's study at twelve Grimwald Place to finally tackle the task they'd been putting off for weeks drafting the official letter to the Wizendamot declaring Sirius the new Lord Black, and Regulus his immediate heir. No, Sirius said with a pang to his heart. He'd grown so used to Remus's company over the past week, working through the artifacts in twelve Grimwald Place together during the day and tangling up in each other at night, that being without him felt a little like missing a limb. He has an important deadline tomorrow morning for another client, and needed to devote the day to it. Oh. Regulus said quietly, not looking up from his parchment. Will we see him at dinner tonight? Unfortunately not, Sirius replied, trying his best to sound relaxed and unbothered. I think he's feeling a bit guilty about leaving his father asleep with Creature all week. He's spending the night at home. Feeling guilty? Regulus nodded. Yes, perhaps. Sirius looked up at his brother. Do you disapprove of the way he's been treating his father? Sirius asked trying to keep the edge out of his voice? If Regulus only knew the full extent of the lies and manipulation that Lyle Lupin had used to tie his son down over the years. Of course not, Regulus said. You and I know better than anyone what it's like to have difficult parents. You do what you have to do to survive. Speaking of which, have you told him about Padfoot? Hasn't come up, Sirius said. But I'll show him next time I see him. I'm sure he'll get a kick out of it. Sirius and Regulus had spent the summer between their fifth and sixth years at Hogwarts, respectively, becoming anime guy, seeking a way to blunt the damage of living in an abusive home. As animals, they felt their pain less acutely and could sneak away on nighttime adventures. James, of course, could not let them have all the fun without him, and became one too. Although they did it illegally at first, they eventually registered their animal forms with the ministry, Sirius as a dog. Regulus as a cat, and James as a stag. Fucking show off, Regulus had said after the first time James transformed. You couldn't have been something more subtle. Look at me, James had shrugged, gesturing down at himself and giving Regulus a lascivious wink. Of course I'm a stag. Full moon tonight, Regulus said casually. It's lovely this time of year. The harvest moon, I believe it's called. Since when do you care about astronomy? Sirius asked looking up at his brother sharply. 
A strange musing had been drifting around Sirius's brain ever since Remus had left Black Manor that morning. It, too, revolved around the full moon. Just making conversation, Regulus replied with a casual smile that did not fool his brother one bit. Why would you make conversation about the full moon, Reg? Sirius said, putting down his quill and looking straight into Regulus's eyes. You're a terrible legilimens, Sirius, don't even fucking pretend. Regulus said with an exasperated huff. And you know I could block you in my sleep. Are you going to tell me then, or not? Sirius snapped. But Regulus did not tell him. Instead, he looked into Sirius's eyes, and Sirius felt his mind click open easily to his brother's prying. A series of images flashed behind his vision, Remus saying he didn't have much worth, Remus fainting in his arms. Narcissa worrying over the latest spate of attacks on children, the closed sign on Remus's shop door, Remus, chilled and feverish in his narrow bed, Remus's fear when he learned about Sirius's peace talks and his shock at meeting Greyback at the ball, Remus's tortured words. There are things about me. Fucking Regulus. I don't think I need to tell you why I'm talking about the full moon, Reg said softly. I suspect you already know. Sirius shook his head and, to his surprise, felt hot tears prick the corners of his eyes. But what do I know? Sirius asked sadly. Nothing he's told me. Only things I've guessed. And that you've guessed, too, apparently. When Regulus didn't reply, Sirius continued. Why hasn't he told me, Reg? Why doesn't he trust me? Regulus took a careful sip of his tea. This feels like a conversation you should be having with him, not me, Regulus said. Well, he's not here. You are, Sirius said, his voice shaking. And you're my fucking brother. Regulus gave him a bracing nod and sighed. I don't think it's that he doesn't trust you, Sirius, Regulus said. I think it's that he doesn't trust anyone, especially himself. But I don't understand, Sirius said, getting up from the leather desk chair and pacing around the office feeling agitated, like he could have torn away his own skin. He knows how I feel about him. I've told him again and again that he could tell me anything, and nothing would make me stop loving him. I mean it, Reg. Why doesn't he believe me? I'm not sure it's a question of whether he believes you. Then what? Sirius demanded. He's afraid of hurting you, Regulus said, and the certainty and somberness with which he spoke made Sirius stop pacing and stare at his brother. What do you know? Sirius asked. I saw his bow guard, Sirius. It was you, dead, killed by a wolf under the full moon. Sirius had never fully understood what the word heartbreak meant until just then. Heartbreak was, he learned, a very literal term. It was an excruciating and painful cleaving in his chest, as though someone had cracked open his ribs, clawed out his heart, and sliced it in two. Oh, Reg. He breathed pressing a hand to his throat as the tears flowed freely down his cheeks at the thought of his sweet beloved so racked with fear and shame. Why didn't you tell me? Regulus's eyes were watery, too, as he looked back at his brother. It wasn't mine to tell, Regulus replied. Sirius felt a swell of affection toward his brother. He always thought Regulus would have made the better heir. He had true honor and the temperament to match. Unlike Sirius, with his hot-headed passion and reckless selfishness. Thank you, Sirius said, for protecting him, and for telling me now. 
They looked at each other for a moment longer from either side of the mahogany line study. Then Regulus stood up, crossed the room, and did something he hadn't done since they were children. He opened his arms and pulled Sirius into a hug. I'll always protect anything you love, Regulus told him. He pulled away and gave Sirius a slap on the arm. Come on, Regulus said, striding over to the liquor cart, pouring two shots of whiskey, and handing one to Sirius. Time to buck up. They both drank, and Sirius reveled in the burn as the amber liquid slid down his throat and cleared his mind, allowing his other, shameful worry to float to the surface. You don't suspect him of. Sirius started, but Regulus cut him off. No, Regulus said flatly, and even though Sirius didn't suspect Remus either, he felt himself relax at his brother's confidence. Those attacks were premeditated, planned by someone evil who intentionally positioned themselves near children. I don't need to know Remus well to know that he doesn't have an evil bone in his body. Regulus's words sparked something in Sirius's brain. Actually, Sirius said thoughtfully, He's the exact opposite of evil. Can I show you something, Reg? Of course. Sirius put out his hand, Regulus took it, and they apparated away with a crack, landing a second later in the front garden of Black Manor. Regulus looked up at the house and his mouth fell open in shock. There, in late October, flourished a veritable garden of Eden, with twisting green vines and lush fruit trees, bushes and branches dripping with colorful blooms, and a sumptuous ecosystem of birds, bees, and butterflies that stretched across the manor's entire facade, climbing to the tallest windows, and nearly obscuring the brick. What is this? Regulus breathed, unable to tear his eyes away from the amazing sight before him. It's Remus, Sirius said simply. He strode over to the house and plucked a plump fig from a tree, holding it out to show Regulus. Would you look at this? Sirius asked. He's a miracle. Sirius brought the sweet fruit to his lips, closed his eyes, and took a bite. Remus had no way of knowing that Sirius had just bitten into a fig at Black Manor, but the second Sirius's teeth pierced the fruit's soft flesh, the pendant in Remus's hand glowed to life. He dropped it onto the table with a surprise yelp and shielded his eyes from the bright, silvery light that emanated from the moonstone. And from that light began a melody soft and strange and deeply familiar. It was a song that Remus hadn't heard since he was a child, one he'd half forgotten, but that lived deep within his bones, nonetheless. He gasped in wonder when the humming melody morphed into words, too, and he snapped his fingers to quickly command a quill to write them down. Children of Selene, bright-tressed queen, we kneel to thee at night, sprung from your womb, life, in bloom, until the morning light, flower and fruit, where love takes root, and morning dew alights. Old wisdom glows, from the caves of Rhodes, where your chariot takes flight. We serve thee, mother, and never another, waxing, waning, and bright. Yet there will come a day, when your light becomes grey, and evil will spread its blight. But the one who's twice struck, by Selene's brand of luck, will triumph and win the fight. The light pulsed strangely as the song repeated twice more, then faded and hushed back into silence. The pendant lay, beautiful but otherwise unremarkable, on the scrubbed wooden desk in front of Remus where he stared at it in awe for a full minute, unsure of what he'd just witnessed. He poked and prodded at the pendant, spoke enchantments over it, 
and even used his wand, but no matter what he tried, it did not sing or glow again. He picked up the pendant and held it in his hands, and this time, without a doubt, he could feel warmth and vibrations under his fingers. Children of Selene Selene, Remus knew, was the lunar goddess of the ancient Greeks, the titan incarnate of the moon itself. She rode a chariot through the heavens, commanded nature and the tides, love and fertility, and created the dew that fed the earth each night. Children of Selene And then Remus's memory traveled back to the day he fainted into Sirius's arms in his shop, and the strange vision and forgotten melody that visited him in that dream, too. Child of the moon, chained to the moon, she makes you, breaks you, reshapes you, answer the call, restore the balance. Do not be afraid. There has never been another like you. Remus's heart pounded in his throat, and his mind reeled as the realization hit him like one of Zeus's own lightning bolts. Child of the moon, chained to the moon, twice struck. He wasn't sure how long he sat there, staring at the pendant in his palm, but the sun hung low above the horizon, casting bright golden light across the desk, when a knock at his shop door jolted him back to reality. Sirius, he said when he opened the door, the pendant still clutched in his fist. What are you doing here? Sirius held up a basket and handed it to Remus. Dinner, he said. I won't keep you. I just, I just wanted to make sure you ate something tonight. I know you sometimes get lost in your work. Remus took the basket and looked inside at the fresh fruit, cold meats, bread, and cheese. Thank you, Remus said, gazing into Sirius's eyes, which he thought looked a little red. He put a soft hand to Sirius's cheek. Is everything all right? Yes, of course, Sirius said, putting his own hand across Remus's and drawing it to his lips for a kiss. His eyes drifted down to the pendant in Remus's other hand. Is that what you're working on? Remus's stomach squirmed at the realization that this pendant was the reason Sirius could be in danger. It is, Remus said, showing it to him. Sirius touched the moonstone gently. It glowed briefly under his fingers, and he drew his hand away with a shocked gasp. It's beautiful. Is it powerful? Sirius asked. I'm not sure yet, Remus said truthfully. I think so. Sirius looked at the pendant a moment more, then back to Remus. Well, as I said, I won't keep you, he said, and took a step forward. He gently took Remus's face in his hands and looked at him intently. I love you. All of you. Every part. Oh, how Remus wished that could be true. Still, he took comfort in Sirius's words, his thoughtfulness, and his strong hands holding him hours before his body was wrecked. He'd give anything for Sirius to be there with him, when he transformed, to spend the entire terrible night by his side, and ease some of his fear and pain. I love you too, Sirius. Remus said, leaning up to kiss him and feeling that instant sense of safety and love that only kissing Sirius brought. Please be careful tomorrow. I don't trust Greyback at all. Don't worry, darling. Sirius replied. Neither do I. They kissed once more, said their goodnights, and Sirius apparated away. They'd laid in bed the night before, the full moon just eighteen hours away and already bright, round, and powerful in the sky. 
The boy lay next to him, breathing heavily with his eyes shut tight and a light sheen of sweat covering his pale chest, as he rolled off his slender body. He'd come hard and fast but was still as distracted as he'd been before they'd fucked. He'd imagined the golden, glowing skin, the full, pouting lips, and the bright amber eyes as he wrapped his hand around the other boy's throat and pounded into him with vicious force, making him cry and whimper underneath him. Yet no matter his fantasies, the golden-skinned god was not in his bed. He was in Black's bed, a fact that made his blood boil with rage and desire. Yet he wanted Remus as far more than a toy. He recognized within him a simmering force that when harnessed could produce great and terrible things. He tried to entice Remus with promises of power, yet he did not bite. Did you believe me when I first approached you? Greyback asked Sava, who was still wincing and moving gingerly as he sat up in bed. About? About what, sir? Sava asked in erect voice. About coming into your power? Greyback snapped. The idiot boy. When I told you what I could give you did you believe me? Tell the truth, you'll not be punished. When Salva didn't answer, Greyback raised a hand and slapped him hard across the face. Answer me, boy. No, no, Salva said. I didn't. When did you finally believe me? When you saw me, sir, he replied, not making eye contact. Am I excused, sir? Greyback replied with an annoyed nod and a wave of his hand and a new plan forming in his brain. It was nearly moonrise the next night by the time Remus walked to the safe house in the woods behind his cottage, but Greyback made sure he'd be there to greet him as soon as it was time. Remus stepped over the threshold, unaware he was being followed until they were already inside. Hello, darling, Greyback said, closing the door and locking it behind him. Remus spun around and froze, apparently unable to speak, and his face and body stiffened in fear. Do not be afraid, Greyback said, taking a tentative step toward him. The moon's power surged through his veins, tugged at his skin and bones, and boiled his blood. I merely sought to give you some company tonight. Stop, Remus said in a choked voice, his fists in the air, and Greyback knew that he was feeling the moon's power, too. Remus writhed in pain, scratched at his skin, and yanked off his shirt, throwing it to the floor, as Greyback watched his beautiful body begin to twist and morph under Celine's command. Greyback took off his own clothing, too, but felt no pain at all. Only power. You should take off the rest, Greyback said calmly, looking down at Remus's trousers and shoes. Unless you want your clothes torn to shreds. He could see the familiar, defiant rage building in those bright amber eyes as Remus tore off the rest of his clothing, doubled over and screamed in agony. Greyback rushed over to him, cupped his face in his hands and drew his face upward. Don't fight it, Greyback told him in an urgent whisper. She loves you, she wants us strong. But Remus was not listening. He sobbed and screamed, kicked and punched, as Greyback wrapped his arms around his slender shoulders and pulled him into a fierce kiss. Heat surged through his blood as their lips met, and they transformed together under the light of the moon. Chapter 14 Remus was still asleep when a soft touch to his cheek and a gentle kiss on the forehead pulled him from his strange dream. A bumblebee, a cave, a silvery orb. But he was warm and comfortable and didn't open his eyes right away. Instead, 
he burrowed further under the blankets and wondered if it was serious waking him sweetly as he had done the past several mornings. Wake up, love. Remus's body stiffened at the sound of that rough voice. He was not with Sirius. His eyes snapped open, and he scrabbled backwards across the bed, yanking the blankets up over his naked body with shaking hands. Greyback stood over him, wearing only his trousers and looking considerably worse for wear than he had the night before. His nose and lips were bloodied, both eyes were blackened, his chest, face, and shoulders were covered in gashes, and a stream of blood trickled out of his left ear. When he spoke again, Remus noticed that one of his teeth was missing. How do you feel? Greyback asked in a rough, exhausted voice. Fuck you. Remus spat, as his memory flooded with the last moments he remembered from the night before, Greyback following him, cornering him, kissing him as he fought and screamed. But Greyback only smiled. I like you when you're angry, Remus, he said, dabbing gingerly at his bloody lip with a conjured handkerchief. But focus on something else just now. How does your body feel? Remus drew his legs to his chest under the blankets and stared at Greyback, wanting to shout and run away. But something stopped him. His body felt fine. Good. Great, even. He considered himself all over, from his head to his feet, across his torso and legs. He was ravenously hungry, but otherwise felt like he could run from here to London without tiring. When Remus didn't answer, Greyback gave him another satisfied smile, making a cut on his lip split open and sending a slow drip of blood oozing down his chin. He wiped his face with the back of his hand and smeared the blood across his bruised skin in streaks of shocking scarlet. Feels good, doesn't it? Greyback asked, cocking his head curiously. He took a step closer, and Remus reeled back. Get away from me, Remus retorted. His heart slammed against his ribs, and his own voice roared in his head as though it belonged to a stranger. He raised his hands, and suddenly, a creaking groan rent the air as the wooden floorboards buckled and splintered beneath Greyback's feet. Greyback stumbled and fell. The floor snapped and broke, sending chunks of wood flying into the air as the little safe house shook with the force of an earthquake. Remus lowered his arms, and the violent shaking stopped as abruptly as it had started. He stared down at his hands then looked up to see Greyback watching him from where he'd fallen on the floor, wide-eyed and fascinated. Think you could do that again? Greyback asked, his voice poisoned with morbid delight. You want to control it, boy. You need practice. Get out of my fucking house. Remus hissed, and as he spoke, the air turned frigid. Greyback's breath left his mouth in ragged gasps of heavy fog. Ice crystals bloomed around the bloody edges of his wounds, and his fingertips faded into a bluish gray that seeped up his hands like spilled ink. Don't you feel that? Greyback asked, his teeth chattering and his eyes boring into Remus. Feel what? Remus snapped. Power, Greyback said, standing up. It's yours, ours. Think of what we could do together. I could give you the world. I have the world, Remus said before he could stop himself, and the air around them warmed. Sirius. Greyback gritted his teeth and spat a mouthful of blood onto the floor. Him, he said bitterly. An arrogant, worthless mortal. He doesn't deserve you. He'll never understand you. He seeks to push us down and keep us contained. I can set you free. I've seen you, Remus. 
I've seen you hold yourself back, afraid of what you are. You spent one night with me, and already the power is bursting from your body. He gestured around at the ruined cottage and spread his arms wide, showing Remus the extent of his injuries, which covered every inch of exposed skin. This is only the beginning of what you can do. Look at what you did to me last night. You almost killed me, and it was worth every second. You were beautiful and terrifying, Greyback said. Your power is greater than you know, and I can teach you to use it. Does he even know who you are? Remus's stomach coiled in shame, and Greyback's face slid into a delighted, evil smile. He doesn't know, he breathed. You've not told him, have you? Remus didn't reply, so Greyback continued. Why haven't you told him, Remus? Is it because you know what will happen when you do? Remus stared at the bloodied man standing in front of him. If he could do this to Greyback, what would he do to Sirius? Thinking of Sirius dead at his hands made caustic bile rise in Remus's throat, fear flood his limbs, and the stench of sweet rot fill his nostrils. The floorboards began to break and disintegrate into soft, decomposing wood. Millipedes and fungus sprouted from the decay and crawled around Greyback's feet, which sank into the damp rot. Remus imagined Sirius's body, torn, mangled, and crumbling into the earth, dust to dust, and tears burned his eyes. Do not cry, my darling, Greyback said, taking a tentative step toward Remus. You're breaking my heart. Just because he only loves half of you doesn't mean I won't love all of you. Greyback's words jogged Remus's memory, and Sirius's voice rang in his mind. I love you. All of you. Every part. Something clicked into place in Remus's heart. Sirius already knew. He does love all of me, Remus said, his voice filled with the realization. Greyback cocked a skeptical eyebrow and scoffed. Are you sure about that, my boy? Yeah, yes, Remus replied, his voice trembling, but his soul convinced. Greyback inclined his head politely. Very well, he said with an easy shrug. I cannot force you to embrace your power. You must choose it yourself. So why not test your theory, then? Tell him the truth. I'll meet with him today as planned. I'll not touch a hair on his head, and he'll be none the wiser. Then, I'll send him home to you, full of his noble deeds. His voice dripped with sarcasm, and Remus shook his head in indignation. Why even meet with him if you don't believe in the cause? Remus asked. I must maintain my place in society, Remus. And who said I didn't believe in the cause? You don't think I could benefit from having a piece of ministry-protected land for my kingdom? He asked. I'm considering the long game, darling. While you manipulate Sirius. No more than he's manipulating me. Greyback laughed. I know you're a stranger to the true ways of the world, but do not look upon your beloved with starry-eyed naivete, my dear. Lord Black is a shrewd and calculating man. He knows as well as I do that this arrangement is of mutual gain. He'll look like a hero, while I build my empire. So, do as I say. Tell him what you are. But no, my darling, that if he does not react the way you hoped, I'll be waiting for you with open arms. Now, Greyback continued in a clipped voice. About our other piece of business. The pendant, where is it? In my trouser pocket, Remus said, nodding to his pile of clothes on the rotten floor. Greyback grabbed Remus's trousers without taking his dark eyes off him, thrust his fist into the pocket and pulled out the pendant. The silver chain hung between his clenched fingers, which were getting their color back after being nearly frostbitten minutes ago. What does it do? 
Greyback demanded. It doesn't do anything, Remus said, and his voice was calm and cool through the lie. Starry-eyed naivete his arse. It's silver and moonstone, it's meant to ward off werewolves. Clearly, it doesn't work. It's a piece of superstitious garbage. And the engraving. It says, she of three. It's a reference to the moon goddess, Remus said. More drivel. It means nothing. Nothing that matters, anyway. Are you sure about that? Greyback said, pointing to Remus with the pendant dangling from his fist. You wouldn't lie to me, would you, Remus? You've had it for twenty years. Don't you think you would have found something by now if there was anything to find? Remus said. It's worthless, save for the value of the moonstone itself and the weight of the silver. But feel free to take it elsewhere for a second opinion, and deduct the cost of the other appraisal from my fee. Greyback reached out and stroked his cheek. As honest as you are gifted, Greyback said. What a breath of fresh air you are, my darling. Remus recoiled from his touch, and Greyback smirked. He pulled his wand from his trouser pocket and pointed it at himself, muttering the healing spells that Remus knew so well. But nothing happened. He tried again, and although some of the dried blood disappeared from his skin this time, his wounds remained, as fresh and gaping as before. He looked at Remus with wonder and gave him a terrifying, stomach-turning smile. Your power's at work, my love, he said reverently, with an admiring bow. A small price, I suppose, to bear witness to your awesome abilities. Greyback dressed carefully, and Remus watched him wince with brutal satisfaction. Even when he was fully clothed, Greyback looked as though his body had passed through a meat grinder. Until next time, my dear, Greyback said, bending down to kiss Remus on the cheek. Good luck with Lord Black this afternoon. May your love be as true as you think it is. At these words, the safe house door exploded off its hinges and flew in pieces into the woods, ricocheting off the trees and scattering squawking birds. Greyback's head whipped around, and when he looked back, Remus thought he saw the briefest shadow of fear dart across his eyes. But he didn't speak again. Instead, he huffed a laugh through his nostrils, strode out the empty doorway, and apparated away with a crack. Remus exhaled, pressing a hand to his chest to calm his pounding heart. Normally, he might dissolve into tears at a moment like this. But not today. Try as he might to deny it, Greyback was right. He felt strong powerful, and determined to remember the dream. Greyback Castle was a fortress of black stone on a barren cliffside surrounded by battlements and tightly shut drawbridges that creaked open with cranking chains. Sirius felt as though he was stepping back in time through some medieval stronghold as he passed through the gates, walking by a small village's worth of people living within the castle's sprawling grounds, men, women and children going about their days and barely giving him a second glance. They all looked reasonably healthy, well-fed, and industrious, but hollow-eyed and bleak, as though they knew no joy as they made their livings outside thatch-roofed cottages and open-stalled storefronts. The place was huge, even bigger than it looked from the outer gates, and Sirius walked at least a quarter of a mile before reaching the tall, wooden castle door, which swung open before he had a chance to knock. Welcome, Lord Black. A plump, sweet-faced woman greeted him with a wan smile. This way, please. Thank you, Sirius said, taking off his hat and stepping inside the Grand Castle. If he thought Twelve Grimald Place was cold and imposing, 
It had nothing on Greyback Castle, with its cavernous cathedral ceiling, suits of armor and heavy weaponry, and thick, floor-to-ceiling tapestries depicting bloody battles between ancient wizards. The woman led Sirius through a series of wide, torch-lit corridors and over centuries-old flagstone that rose and buckled underfoot until they reached a spacious sitting room, sumptuously appointed in velvet and silk. There, Greyback sat waiting, an elaborate tea service spread on the marble table in front of him, looking every inch the patrician gentleman except. Sirius could not prevent his shocked gasp at the sight of Greyback, who looked as though he'd gotten into a fight with an angry mountain troll and lost. Badly. He stopped in his tracks at the sight of Greyback's bruised and bloodied visage and the cuts that slashed down his neck under the collar of his frock coat. There was barely an inch of skin that wasn't marred. Even his hands looked beaten. Don't mind me. Greyback laughed, seeing the shocked look on Sirius's face and motioning him to sit. I spent the night with someone who likes giving it rough. Likes it rough, or tried to kill you? Sirius asked, taking a seat across from Greyback and accepting a cup of tea from the maid with a nod of thanks. I'll not judge who you prefer in your bed, if you'll not judge who I prefer in mine, he said. Speaking of which, how is your sweet little sprite? I believe I told you not to speak of him, Sirius said coldly. Right, straight down to business, then, Greyback said with another laugh. You're no fun anymore, Black. You used to get up to a right lot of trouble back at Hogwarts. That was twenty years ago, Fenrir, Sirius said. I like to think I've grown up a bit since then. Oh yes, Greyback agreed. You're doing the whole, noble lord of the manor, act very well these days. I hold you in the very highest esteem. So, what can I do for you, today, Sirius? I think we can agree that the way werewolves are treated in our society is unacceptable and unsustainable, Sirius said. I'd like for us to come up with a more equitable solution together. And you believe that a nature preserve is the answer, Greyback said, as though we're animals. Sirius shifted in his seat. Count on Greyback to twist his words immediately and intentionally. Come along, Fenrir, you can hardly pretend that things are good the way they are, Sirius said, with people and families left to their own devices, forced to hide or to transform somewhere dangerous. Dangerous for us. Or dangerous for you? Greyback asked shrewdly. Both. Sirius admitted. Certainly dangerous for lycanthropes who don't have a safe place to spend the full moon. And dangerous for those who might find themselves caught unawares in a werewolf's path. I don't need to tell you about the most recent spate of attacks. Children, Fenrir. You say, attack, as though you believe they were intentional, Fenrir said. Aren't you famous for believing that werewolves simply operate on instinct, rather than malintent? Sirius felt heat rise up his neck. He was getting nowhere. Forgive me, Sirius said. Not attacks. Incidents. Not much better, Fenrir laughed. But we'll figure out the semantics later, I suppose. We, Sirius said, a hopeful note in his voice. Yes, we, Fenrir said. I appreciate what you're trying to do, and I agree that having large swaths of warded land would be an agreeable solution. Excellent. We can draft a proposal for the Ministry and... Under a few conditions, Fenrir cut him off. Namely, that I'll be the Warden. I believe that will be up to the Ministry to decide, Sirius said shortly. Perhaps, Fenrir allowed. But I'd expect you to heartily advocate for me, Sirius. Fine, Sirius agreed. I can write a proposal and I'll it to you within a day or two. Excellent, Fenrir said, shifting in his seat. 
As he did, a large pendant around his neck caught the light and shined, iridescent and glowing, against his chest. Where did you get that? Sirius asked, his voice trembling with fear or anger. He wasn't sure which, as he stared at the moonstone that had glowed under his touch not twenty-four hours ago. Oh, this. Fenrir asked with an innocent lilt, looking down at the pendant and fingering it lovingly between his dirty, bloodied fingers. I've had it for a long time, although I did lend it out recently. I got it back this morning, after I spent the night with the young man I gave it to. This prick. You're a liar. Sirius snarled, his jaw clenched so tightly he heard his teeth start to crack. Why would I lie? I told you I was with someone who enjoyed giving it rough. And I enjoyed taking it rough. Fenrir laughed. I like to think the full moon brings out a delicious side of him that only I've gotten to see. Although he agreed we should keep our little dalliance between us, so you'll forgive me for not divulging more. He's not sure who he can trust with his secrets. A strange, quiet clarity washed over Sirius, a clear-eyed madness, a single-minded fury. He kicked over the coffee table, knocking the silver tea service over with a crash of metal and glass on marble, shattering the fine china teacups into jagged, splintered pieces. The maid screamed and jumped backwards as hot tea splashed up around her legs. Sirius grabbed Greyback by his tie and squeezed it in his fist, hauling him to his feet. Sirius twisted his wrist until Greyback's face turned purple. The only part I believe is that he left you bloodied and beaten, as you fucking deserve. Sirius growled into Greyback's sputtering face as he struggled to breathe. Sirius reared back and thrust his knuckles against Greyback's throat sending him careening to the floor, where he landed hard on his arse and skidded backwards. Greyback coughed and rubbed his neck, even as an evil smile curled his lips. I'm sorry, Sirius, Greyback said softly, sweetly. I didn't realize he already told you about his lycanthropy. My mistake. Rage surged through Sirius's blood as the darkest curses twitched in his fingers. He needed to get out of there, he needed to see Remus and hold him to hear straight from him that Greyback was a lying piece of shit. And yet, Greyback somehow knew about Remus's lycanthropy. And Sirius did not. Crucio, Sirius muttered, pointing his wand at Greyback remorselessly, watching with savage pleasure as his body twitched and writhed in pain, splitting open the wounds hidden beneath his shirt and staining the white fabric a wicked, satisfying red. The maid had long since run from the sitting room by the time Sirius lowered his wand. He strode slowly over to Greyback and dropped down next to him, pressing his knee into Greyback's chest and hovering his lips right next to his ear with a hand to his throat. You will live to regret this, you evil piece of shit. He twisted his knee until he heard ribs crack underneath him, then stood up and walked out of the castle, scattering servants who cowered from the sight of him with his blood-spattered clothing. He pushed open the heavy wooden door with both hands, stepped into the cold October sunlight. Who the bloody hell is that? Lyle looked up sharply from his spot in the rocking chair at the sound of frantic pounding on their cottage door. He stared at Remus, who rushed across the room. Somehow, Remus knew whose angry fist was on the other side. Do not answer that. Lyle shouted in alarm. It could be anyone. But Remus ignored him. Remus, what did I say? How dare you? Remus turned to Lyle with one hand on the door latch. Enough, father. Remus spat, 
and his father fell silent. Lyle's lips moved but no sound came out as he gripped his throat and stared at his son in wild-eyed shock. Remus wrenched open the door. Sirius, Remus said, taking in his blood-stained hands and shirt, and the terrible, murderous look on his face. What happened? I could ask you the very same, Sirius said, staring at him with an expression Remus had never seen before. It was part shock, part disbelief, part rage. Who the hell are you? Lyle shouted from behind them. He broke into Remus's silencing hex and gotten to his feet, the blanket dropping off his lap to the floor. He pointed his shaking wand at Sirius, but before he could do anything more, Remus snapped his fingers wordlessly, making Lyle's wand fly from his hand and clatter onto the floor. Sirius placed a protective arm around Remus's shoulders, despite his anger. Sit down, now, Remus snapped. Who is he? Lyle demanded, staring at Sirius, whose fingers dug into Remus's shoulder. Why is he touching you? What? Shut up, father, Remus shouted, and the floor shook, sending Lyle toppling backwards into the rocking chair and making him faint in shock. As soon as Remus saw that his father's chest was still rising and falling, he turned back to Sirius who was staring at him as though he couldn't believe his eyes. Remus threw himself into Sirius's arms and pulled him into a ferocious kiss, the sweat and blood wet and sticky between them as he gripped at his collar and yanked him closer. Sirius answered the kiss with just as much violent desperation, his hands scrabbling across Remus's back, his fingernails scraping across his shoulders, his teeth biting at his lips with barely leashed madness. I love you, Remus panted, half crying, half raging. He shoved Sirius against the wall with a strength that made Sirius gasp. They stared at each other, furious, frantic, needing, and a look passed between them that said more than words ever could. They dove into each other again, kissing wildly, until Remus reached up to take Sirius's face in his hands. And I'm going to tell you everything. Chapter 15 Sirius took him against the wall, hard, holding Remus up with only the brute force of his thrusts, and his fingers clenched tightly around Remus's slender thighs. Remus dug his heels into Sirius's arse and twisted his hands into his hair, riding Sirius like it was his salvation, his deliverance. Sirius plunged into him again and again, punching out desperate moans, filling him like he always craved. Remus tipped his head backwards, baring his throat, offering his delicate, glowing skin to Sirius, begging him to take more. And Sirius wanted to take more. He again felt that strange and deep, primal desire to mock Remus, to leave some talisman of their love upon his skin. Even as he ordered Creature to take Lyle to Black Manor, Sirius had barely been able to keep his teeth off of Remus's throat. But how could he mar Remus's beautiful body in any way? So, he fought his desire, pushed it down, ignored that siren call that rang through his mind and gut, and instead, drove into Remus harder and faster, sliding his shoulder blades up and down against the wall and gripping his thighs with bruising force. But Remus needed more, demanded more. He slid his hand down the back of Sirius's head and pulled, directing Sirius's mouth to where he longed to feel teeth against his arched and straining neck. Sirius's tongue darted between his lips in spite of himself and tasted Remus's decadent skin, burnt sugar, sweet cream, overripe fruit, 
and Remus hissed with relief as Sirius's teeth scraped across his throat. Sirius, Sirius, please, Remus moaned, unsure, perhaps, what exactly he was begging for, but begging nonetheless, clenching wild fingers against the back of Sirius's neck and rolling his hips harder down onto his cock. With every fresh scratch of teeth, Remus's taste intensified on Sirius's lips until he was sure he could almost feel thick honey dripping down his chin. Remus's skin was iridescent, phosphorescent, shimmering, like the moon goddess herself. Please, Remus begged again, and Sirius could refuse him no more. He licked against Remus's neck, felt a vibrating moan beneath his lips, and bit down. The world exploded into bright white gold, a glittering starburst that obliterated sight and sound as they emptied into and against each other. Sirius felt the cry leave his throat but heard nothing but rushing wind in his ears, felt nothing but Remus's warm body all around him and a taste like life-giving ambrosia heavy on his tongue. Sirius's mind was nearly blank except for one thing that glowed around its edges, a mysterious understanding that he just entered into the divine. Remus's lips met his and Sirius came back to himself as they sank to the floor in a tangle of sweaty, shaking limbs. Except it no longer felt like the floor. Sirius opened his eyes to a verdant world of Remus's own making, with soft, springy moss and grass underfoot and a riot of colorful wildflowers breaking through the cracks in the cottage floor, unfurling their pretty, gilded petals like cherubs turning their faces to the sky. The air around them crackled and sparked, and Sirius could smell the sharp, electric scent of the sky before a storm mixing with rich earth and the fresh, green, floral fragrance of high summer. Everything, the flowers, the grass, the moss, and even Remus himself, emitted a soft, misty light. You're glowing, Remus said, his voice shaking and eyes wide, and Sirius looked down at himself. Indeed, his own skin radiated the same golden glimmer, but heavier and stronger even than the plants around them. They looked at each other, amazed, and Remus reached out slowly to touch Sirius's cheek with one trembling finger. He let out an astonished laugh. You look like a star, Remus murmured. A twinkling star. Remus crawled into Sirius's lap and curled their bodies together, wrapping his arms and legs around Sirius's torso and nestling his head against his chest. Sirius closed his eyes and held him, letting the soft, powerful magic wash over them like a healing balm, peaceful and cleansing. Remus had held so much back from him, keeping secrets and telling half-truths, even as Sirius opened his own heart and bared his soul, even as Greyback tried to manipulate and sow doubt between them. But Remus's magic, Sirius realized anew, had never lied. It poured out of him whenever they were together, beautiful, real, and raw, and seemed only to get stronger the deeper he felt. And now, something mysterious and astonishing had cracked open between them, and that, whatever it was, was the truth. They clung to each other for a long time, and Sirius's senses filled with Remus and his magic. The sun shone low and red in the sky before Sirius felt Remus stir against him and take a deep breath. Sirius, Remus said, speaking into Sirius's shoulder. I need to tell you. Sirius drew his head back and took Remus's face in his hands, ready to absolve him of everything. Remus, my darling, I already know. I know you do, Remus replied, his face open and earnest. And you're here with me anyhow.
That's why I want to say it out loud. Because I've never spoken the words before, and I want you to be the first person to hear them. I don't want there to be secrets between us ever again. Sirius nodded and placed a bracing hand on the back of Remus's bare shoulders. Remus took another steadying breath and let it out slowly. Sirius could feel him shaking against his chest. I am a werewolf, he said. I have been for twenty years. Since I was five years old. The attack killed my mother, and whoever bit me left me for dead, too. It's why I didn't go to Hogwarts. It's why I've never had a friend for more than a few weeks. And it's why I've been lying to you. Here, his voice broke, and he buried his face in Sirius's shoulder with a cry that came from deep in his chest. Sirius felt his anguish as though it was his own. It's why I've been lying to you. Remus tried again, still crying, but pushing himself through it. Since the moment I met you. I'm so sorry, Sirius. Please forgive me. He spoke in stuttering sobs, and Sirius pulled him close. Darling, Sirius said, his own eyes filling with tears but staying steady and calm for Remus, who needed him right now. There's nothing to forgive. But there is, Remus insisted, sitting up again and grasping anxiously for Sirius's hands, which he held to his heart, even as he continued to speak through tears. Because even though I knew I could trust you not to hurt me or to use it against me, I was so selfish. I wasn't sure if you'd still want me after you knew the truth, and I wanted to keep you for as long as I could. Hurt me or use it against me. Oh, Remus. Even if it meant, Remus said softly, his voice breaking again. If it meant tricking you and not giving you a choice about being with a monster. Remus. Sirius chided gently, squeezing his hands. Don't call yourself that. But why not? Remus asked. It's what I am. It's a part of you. But this. Sirius, gesturing around at the glowing, beautiful life that bloomed and buzzed all around them. This is what you truly are. This kind of pure magic, the kind we cannot control, does not lie. He leaned forward and kissed each tear from Remus's face as they fell until his eyes were dry. Remus looked at him with adoration and wonder. You are so good and kind, Sirius, Remus said, and before Sirius had a chance to scoff or protest, Remus pressed his fingers to Sirius's lips. Hush, do not try to convince me that you're a black-hearted scoundrel. I've seen your soul, Sirius Black, and it's beautiful. I used an unforgivable curse today, Sirius said suddenly, looking straight into Remus's pure, trusting eyes. And I felt nothing but satisfaction. Perhaps he was trying to scare Remus by telling him this, scare him into realizing that, of the two of them, Sirius was far more monstrous. Perhaps he was even trying to knock himself off the pedestal Remus seemed to keep him on. If he knocked himself off now, maybe Remus wouldn't be disappointed later when it inevitably came crashing down. But Remus did not flinch. He did not let go of Sirius's hand or look upon him with horror. Instead, he set his jaw and spoke with quiet conviction. He deserved it, Remus said, the tendons in his neck flexing, his eyes haunted with hurt and anger, and the memory of Greyback boasting about spending the night with someone who liked to give it rough came flooding back like devouring lava. What happened last night? Sirius asked, and again, he felt that protective rage simmering under his skin. I'm not entirely sure, Remus admitted, but I'll show you. 
Remus unwound himself from Sirius and moved to stand, revealing the spot where Sirius's teeth pierced his skin. But the mark was not red, bruised, or angry-looking in any way. It didn't even look like a bite. Instead, it looked like a faint, five-pointed star that shimmered around the edges, like a finely sketched tattoo drawn in golden ink. Remus, Sirius said, reaching out to touch it, and when he did, it glowed under his fingers. Sirius gasped, drew his hand away, and the glowing ceased. What is it? Remus asked, looking alarmed at Sirius's shocked face. Do you have a mirror? No, Remus said resentfully. Just one more thing my father wouldn't allow in the house. Not allowed, Sirius murmured, wondering what else Lyle was trying to hide from his son, as he conjured a mirror with his wand. He held it up to Remus's face. Look, Sirius said and pointed to the star. Remus's mouth dropped open as Sirius touched it, and the glowing light reflected off the glass, illuminating Remus's already radiant face. What is it? Is there where you? He asked, and his voice trailed off bashfully, his cheeks turning pink at the memory of his lust-fueled begging. Did you? Sirius laughed, leaning forward to kiss the spot, which was warm under his lips. Yes, and you don't need to feel embarrassed about that, darling. It's not an unusual thing to want. It's not, Remus said, sounding relieved. Really? Really, Sirius assured him. But the way it looks is very unusual. Does it hurt? It feels. Remus paused to think, letting his fingers graze over the skin where the star shimmered. Warm, but it doesn't hurt. What do you think it means? I don't know, Sirius admitted. With Remus, he'd already encountered magic he'd never seen before and he certainly wouldn't pretend to understand this. It doesn't seem dark or dangerous, though. If anything, the opposite. Remus touched the mark again, and met Sirius's eyes with awe and love. You keep changing my life, Sirius, he said. Thank you. A few minutes later, after dressing and eating a few of the raspberries that spread their wild brambles across the wall behind Lyle's rocking chair, Remus took Sirius's hand and led him outside behind the cottage and into the woods. They followed a short path through the trees until they came upon the ruins of a tiny wooden outbuilding, passing bits of a shattered door that lay in pieces among the brush. What is this place? Sirius asked. This is the safe room where I transform on the full moon, Remus explained. My father built it when I was seven and getting too strong and destructive to stay locked in my bedroom. He warded it so I couldn't get out and no one could get in. Sirius's first, horrified realization was how small it was, the size of his walk-in closet at Black Manor. It was terribly claustrophobic, with no windows and a low ceiling, and no comfort save for a small wooden bed tucked into the corner. His next realization was that the place was completely demolished. What happened to it? I destroyed it accidentally. Remus said, and he described how Greyback followed him, sneaked into the house behind him, cornered him while he was helpless, grabbed him, and kissed him violently just as they transformed. It took every fiber of strength Sirius could muster to stand there and listen to Remus, when every instinct screamed at him to find Greyback and kill him. He would have killed him, too, that very afternoon, had he known what happened last night. To think that Sirius had sat calmly in Greyback's home, sipped his tea, and chatted amiably with that brute who dared lay a hand on Remus. 
I don't remember anything else until I woke up this morning, Remus said. I was asleep on the bed, and Greyback was still there. He was grievously injured. He looked as though he'd been mauled. He said I did it. That I almost killed him. And he couldn't heal himself afterwards. The wounds, they wouldn't close. I know, Sirius said. He still looked that way when I met with him. Remus nodded and continued. But when he tried to come near me the floor broke under his feet. He taunted me about you, saying you couldn't love me if you knew what I was, Remus said. I worried about hurting you, and it made all the wood in the house rot. And then he kissed me again, and said more things about you not loving me. And the door exploded into pieces. I destroyed the whole house, Sirius. I almost killed him, and I don't even know how. They walked through the wrecked room and Sirius saw everything Remus described, the violence, the terrible devastation, the broken, rotted wood. Sirius had no doubt that Remus would have blown the roof off the place had Greyback not left him alone. Did he hurt you? Sirius asked, but he knew the answer even before Remus shook his head no. He told me he could teach me and make me powerful, that I could learn how to get strength from the full moon, instead of becoming weak and ill and I didn't believe him. But after today, Remus said, his voice trailing off. He was right, Sirius, Remus said, looking guilty. Something about last night changed me. For twenty years I've been ill the day after the full moon. But not today. He wants you badly, Sirius said, and the words tasted like bitter poison on his tongue. I know, Remus replied with a defiant spark in his eyes. But he will not get me. Sirius's heart swelled at his beautiful boldness and the magnificently wrecked house. Again, Remus's magic could not lie. And there's something else, too, Remus said, his voice ringing with relief as the truth kept pouring out of him. The moonstone pendant. It was his. He came into the shop a few days ago demanding that I find out everything I could about it. He threatened to hurt you if I didn't and told me not to tell you I was working on it. More secrets. I'm so sorry. Sirius kissed Remus's cheek and put his hand in his pocket, closing his fingers around the cool stone and silver. He pulled out his hand and let the pendant drop by the chain around his fingers. Remus's mouth fell open. The bastard was wearing it today, Sirius said. He must have guessed I'd recognize it. He's tried everything to put a wedge between us. But it hasn't worked. Nor will it ever work. But, Remus said, staring at the pendant in amazement. How do you have it? He said he spent the night with you, and I let my temper get the better of me. Sirius said coolly, gazing down at the pendant as it swung below his hand, glimmering in the pre-dusk light. Apparently you and I have that in common. I already had my hand on his throat after I tortured him and broke his ribs. I thought I'd take advantage of my fortuitous position and take something of his, since he's trying so hard to take something of mine. Remus stared up at him, and a slow smile spread across his face. Maybe you are wicked after all, Lord Black, he said, not taking his eyes off of Sirius as he threaded an arm around his waist and ran a hand down his arse. You seem like you're enjoying yourself a bit. I must admit, darling, that aside from you screaming my name while I'm inside of you, hearing his ribs break was the best sound I heard in a long time, Sirius replied. Remus groaned with desire and pressed himself against Sirius's body, leaning up and drawing him into a filthy kiss. He threaded their fingers together, and as he did, 
His hand closed over the pendant, holding it between their palms, where it warmed and vibrated suddenly. They jumped back from each other in time to see the moonstone burst into radiant light, shining a wide beam onto the blank safe-room wall where it cast an image of what looked like England and Scotland, complete with topography and little labeled regions. Is that a map? Remus asked, squinting at the picture. I think it is, Sirius said, looking down at the shining pendant and back up at the wall, just as Remus stepped toward it and reached out his hand to a spot in the far north near the sea, where a now familiar five-pointed star glimmered and shone like a beacon. Like a guide. Like home, Remus whispered. Chapter 16 So, you fucked a map key onto the kid's neck. Hell of a job, Padfoot. Must you be so crude, James? Regulus sighed as he, James, and Sirius sat by the fire in the parlor at Black Manor. It was 2 a.m., and they just opened their second bottle of whiskey. Regulus was sitting at one end of the dark green velvet settee with James's feet in his lap while Sirius sat across from them in a wide-backed wing chair. Remus had fallen asleep on Sirius's lap around midnight, the trauma of the full moon and waking up with Greyback in his house that morning having finally caught up with him. Sirius scooped him up and carried him to bed, tucking him under the covers with a gentle kiss on the forehead and another kiss to the star mark on his neck, making it glow briefly under his touch. I'm not being crude, James protested. I'm simply boiling the story down to its essence for brevity and clarity. That is what happened, isn't it, Sirius? Sirius stared into the fire, running his thumb up and down the smooth glass in his hand and watching one of the logs burn down into glowing ash. Remus had asked Sirius to tell James and Regulus what happened with the bite, but he added with a pink tinge to his cheeks to please wait until after he went to bed. Remus had already told them everything else about himself, Greyback, and the pendant over dinner, hoping that four minds were better than two. And besides, I'm tired of keeping secrets, he'd said. Sirius could practically see the relief of telling the truth radiating off of him, like early morning mists rising from dew-covered heather. Sirius was so proud of how bravely Remus told his story, his voice strong and clear, even as he gripped Sirius's hand under the table. Much to Remus's surprise, both James and Regulus were nothing but supportive, and promised that they, too, would do whatever they could to help him figure out what the pendant was trying to tell him. Sirius leaned forward to drop another log into the hearth, which crackled and hissed as flames licked up around it, slowly igniting the edges. He sank back into the chair and drained the rest of the whiskey from his glass. That is, essentially, what happened, he told James, pouring himself another measure of whiskey. The question is, what does it mean? Regulus asked, speaking more to himself than his brother or husband. I'll talk to Remus again in the morning. Perhaps he and I can figure it out together. Oi, what about us? James said, sitting up and giving Regulus a playful slap on the shoulder with the back of his hand. But Regulus only gave him a placating kiss on the cheek. You and Sirius are better in the heat of the moment. Power and instinct. Remus and I are more analytically minded. Regulus explained. James kicked him. I'll show you heat of the moment, James said, running his foot between Regulus's thighs and wedging it under his crotch. Merlin, Jamie, knock it off. 
Regulus said, grabbing him by the ankle to halt the obscene motion of his foot. And you ask why you can't be trusted to focus on the problem at hand. You're like a horny dog. Nah, that's him. James yelped, nodding over at Sirius. How does it feel to have a magic dick, pads? Fuck off, James. Sirius laughed with a shake of his head. It's true, though, James said, sitting up and swinging his feet onto the floor. He looked between Sirius and Regulus earnestly as he spoke. First you fucked an orchard out of him, and now this. Sirius shot a misplaced hex toward James, who barely needed to duck for it to miss him, thanks to the whiskey sluicing through Sirius's veins. Instead the hex hit a tapestry of Roderick the Wretched, which burst into green flames. Sirius sat back and watched it burn with a dull satisfaction, even as Regulus jumped up and tried to extinguish the fire. For fuck's sake, Sirius, Remus said this is an important piece. It's woven with 700-year-old unicorn hair, Regulus said, landing a clever immobilis charm on the flames that made them freeze in place and halted any additional damage for the moment. Oh. Well, in that case, Sirius said with a lazy wave of his wand, and the flames disappeared instantly. Sorry, Pads, James said. Didn't mean to talk about Remus like that. But James was right, of course. Remus's power burst out of him when they were intimate. It was beautiful, but now, it troubled him, too. Sirius couldn't help but wonder about the strength Remus felt after spending the full moon with Greyback. Sirius felt something in his mind click open, and the thoughts inside slipped out as easily as tendrils of smoke from the open fire. Will you stop doing that, Reg? Sirius snapped, glaring at his brother. No, I won't, Regulus said coolly. As long as you're brooding, trying to hex my husband, and casually destroying family heirlooms, I will help myself to your thoughts. Well, Sirius asked. If Regulus was already in there, he could at least share his opinion. What do you think? About what? James asked. Sirius is worried that Greyback copulated with Remus while they were transformed, Regulus said evenly, meeting his brother's eye with a bracing expression. Hearing Regulus say it out loud somehow made it even more awful. Do you really think he did? James asked, looking horrified. Perhaps, Regulus replied, and Sirius's stomach twisted. There's no way for us to know. I don't even think there's a way for Remus to know. Cruciatus wasn't enough, Sirius muttered. I should have stopped his fucking heart while I had the chance. Sirius stared into the fire and gripped his glass until his knuckles turned white. He wouldn't have been surprised if his rage boiled the liquid inside. The log he was glaring at popped and flared, making James jump as a burning ember launched itself above the fire and landed back into the hearth with a sizzle. You'll break that if you're not careful, Regulus said quietly, nodding to the glass in Sirius's hand. Sirius looked up to see his brother watching him, canny and astute as always. Sirius slackened his grip on the glass and sighed, leaning his head back onto the chair and closing his eyes. For what it's worth, Regulus said, my gut says nothing happened, judging by the state they both woke up in. Aside from Remus nearly committing the murder you're now lusting after, it may even explain why Remus tried to kill him last night. Self-defense, Sirius said, opening his eyes, the realization blooming in his voice like one of Remus's conjured blossoms. Greyback tried, but couldn't. 
The fucker bit off more than he could chew with our sweet little Remus, didn't he? James said, and the pride in his voice matched the feeling in Sirius's chest as he remembered Remus's reassuring words. I can handle myself against Greyback or anyone else. Trust me. He surely did. Sirius agreed, giving James a satisfied look. He surely did. Not long after, Sirius bid Regulus and James goodnight and walked upstairs. He stood outside one of the guest room doors at the top of the landing and quietly called for Creature, who appeared at his feet with a crack a moment later. How is he? Sirius asked, as Creature bowed low, his long nose brushing the top of Sirius's boots as always. Asleep now, Creature croaked. But he tried to hex me, sir, despite not having a wand. Did it work? Sirius asked. No, sir. Creature reassured him, and Sirius answered with a nod. Perhaps if Lyle had bothered to appreciate his son's magic and learn from it, he'd be able to do some wandless hexing of his own. And he's refusing food until he speaks with Master Remus. Creature continued. Well, he won't starve to death in one night, Sirius said. I'm sorry he's given you so much trouble, Creature, but Remus will not be speaking with him until he wants to. I hope you understand. Of course, sir, Creature said, bowing again. Anything for Master Remus, sir. You may return to Lyle, Creature, thank you. And be sure to get some sleep while you can, Sirius said. He smiled to himself as Creature vanished with a crack back into Lyle's chambers. Remus had endeared himself to Creature by asking him which black family relics he'd like to keep for his own before disposing of any of them. Creature had burst into tears and prostrated himself on the floor at Remus's feet before choosing two hideous busts of Orion and Walburga, as well as several tapestries and the ancient, fanged snuffbox that had bitten Remus a few weeks earlier, using them to decorate his already disgusting nest. Remus told him he could take more if he wanted to, but that was too much for Creature to bear. Instead, he burst into another fit of tears and had taken to calling him Master Remus an honorific he didn't bestow upon James until he and Regulus had been married for more than a year. Sirius considered going into Lyle's chambers to talk with the man himself, but it would have to wait until morning. He didn't want to wake him after what Creature had been through, and besides, he was already too angry to say anything that would help the situation. Instead, he continued down the corridor to his own bedchamber where Remus was fast asleep his hair and skin glowing softly in the silvery moonlight that poured in through the high mullioned windows. Asleep, he looked much younger and even more ethereal than when awake, and as always, the strong urge to protect him coursed through Sirius's body as though it was part of his very blood. He wanted his own kind of justice, to kill Greyback with his bare hands, to see the spark leave his eyes and feel him draw his last breath. He wanted to keep Lyle a prisoner out of spite and prevent anything or anyone from hurting Remus ever again. And yet, hadn't such protective urges driven Lyle to lie to his only child for twenty years, to keep him locked away and hidden from the world? The difference was that Sirius saw Remus for who he really was and loved every part of him, even the darkest layers Remus had been taught to be ashamed of. Remus was no delicate orchid, and Sirius knew that he did not need protection or coddling, not really especially after seeing what he'd done to Greyback. Sirius also suspected that love had very little to do with how Lyle treated Remus, 
and that Lyle knew much more than he let on about the nature of Remus's powers and what Remus could do with them if given the knowledge and the chance. If Sirius was right, then Lyle had acted out of fear more than love, and that made him even angrier. Sirius undressed and slipped quietly into bed next to Remus, pulling the bedclothes over both of them. Remus needed sleep, but Sirius could not resist the urge to press a soft kiss to his forehead, drawing a sweet hum from Remus's throat. What time is it? Remus murmured without opening his eyes. Almost three. Sirius whispered back. Are you just coming to bed? Remus asked, his eyes dragging open heavily. Did you talk to? Hush, sleep darling. Sirius said, soothing a hand across Remus's forehead and making his eyes droop shut again. I'll tell you everything in the morning. All right. Remus mumbled drowsily and snuggled in next to Sirius resting his head on his chest and wrapping an arm around his waist. I'm happy you're here now, Sirius. I sleep so much better with you next to me. Sirius pulled Remus close, that protective urge rising up in him again, more powerful than before. He'd do absolutely anything for Remus, give him whatever he wanted and defend him against anything he didn't. He'd burn Lyle's cottage to the ground if Remus never wanted to lay eyes on it again. He'd keep Lyle obedient and docile for the rest of his days under the strongest imperious curse he could muster if Remus so desired. He'd hunt Grey back to the ends of the earth and into the bowels of hell, slice him open and feed his guts to a rabid manticore if that's what Remus asked of him. But Remus wouldn't ask for any of those things and never would. He was too good, too pure of heart, and Sirius loved him for it. So instead, at the very least, Sirius promised himself that Remus would never sleep alone again if he could help it. Sirius felt Remus before he saw him the next morning. He opened his eyes to find a head of silvery gold curls nestled between his legs and warm, wet, tight lips circling his cock. Remus licked and sucked slowly, his eyes closed, seemingly lost in the taste and feeling of Sirius heavy and fat in his mouth. Sirius's hips bucked upward involuntarily at the sudden sight and feel of him, and Remus whimpered with pleasure as Sirius's cock bumped against the back of his throat. Remus swallowed him down deeper, swirling his tongue around the head with every slick slide upward. Good morning, Remus said in a sleep-rasped voice as he pulled off to give Sirius a sweet little smile. Sirius felt the tingle of a cleaning charm and startled with surprise as Remus slid his lips downward spreading him open and pressing his tongue against Sirius's rim. Oh fuck, Remus. Sirius breathed, as Remus pumped a slippery hand over his cock and lapped ravenously at his entrance before pushing his tongue inside, lavishing it with decadent attention and licking him like he'd never get enough. Sirius let his hand drift to the back of Remus's head and ran his fingers through his hair. He took a fistful and gave it an experimental tug, gentle, but insistent and felt Remus's appreciative moan vibrate against him. Sirius tightened his grip and pulled again, harder this time, and Remus writhed on his stomach, pressing his tongue harder and deeper into Sirius's body, making Sirius arch upward with pleasure and the satisfaction of guessing right. Sirius's first instinct was to be soft and careful with Remus, to hold him in his cupped hands and treat him like the tender, untouched innocent he was, as though he was made of delicate china. But the more they were together, the more Sirius realized that Remus came alive at the ragged edges of need, craving biting teeth, dripping sweat, 
and scratching fingernails as much as delicate kisses and sweet, slow lovemaking. Maybe more. Sirius had fucked him harder the day before than he'd ever fucked anyone, and that was saying something. Rage and desperate fear pushed their primal urges to the surface, and they'd answered them with a bite that Sirius would have bet his entire fortune had drawn blood. He had licked inside his own mouth, running his tongue along his teeth, expecting to taste it, but there was none, only the strange, glowing mark that he'd left upon Remus's skin. Now abed, Remus worked him relentlessly, taking him to the very edge of climax and pulling him back again, like a pebble tossed and rolling in the surf, just shy of the crashing wave. Sirius's muscles clenched as Remus licked upward from his arse and plunged his cock down his throat, tightening his lips around the head and sucking him down with deepening relish. Sirius had never spent much time between someone's legs before. He was usually on the receiving end and didn't fancy being on his knees for anyone. But as with everything else, Remus was different, and he found himself craving Remus's cock filling his own mouth. Wait, Sirius panted, putting a halting hand to Remus's shoulder. Remus looked up at him from between his thighs, intoxicated with desire, his eyelids heavy, his lips puffy and shiny with spit, and Sirius's cock twitched eagerly in Remus's fist. I want to show you something, Sirius told him, and directed Remus's lithe body upward. He crawled up to Sirius's shoulders, where Sirius stopped him and whispered his own cleaning charm, making Remus shiver with anticipation. Spin around, Sirius said, guiding Remus to turn around with a large hand on each of his narrow hips until his knees were pressed into the mattress on either side of Sirius's head and his arse was facing the headboard. Sirius pulled his hips downward and wrapped his eager fingers around Remus's hard cock, directing it over his mouth and closing his lips around it as he lifted his head off the pillow to suck Remus down. Oh, Sirius. Remus moaned in surprise, his knees trembling and his head falling between his hands. As it did, the tip of Sirius's cock brushed against Remus's lips, and it didn't take long for Remus to get the idea. He slid his knees further apart and sank his mouth down over Sirius's cock with another grateful moan and bobbed his head up and down, swallowing him deep, like he was starving. Sirius felt Remus's dick grow harder and thicker against his tongue as he licked and sucked him deeper. He could live here, Sirius thought hazily. He could pull pleasure from Remus all day, every day. He pressed a slippery finger against Remus's entrance and pushed it inside, pumping with firm thrusts that Remus answered with snapping hips and a sucking, desperate mouth. Sirius relished Remus's slender legs wrapped around his neck and Remus's cock sliding over his tongue as he added another finger, then another, driving him further down Sirius's throat with every thrust as Remus rode his hand and mouth. Remus matched Sirius's rhythm, sucking messily and urgently, until finally, Remus slid a finger inside Sirius and pressed upward. Sirius cried out as his orgasm ripped through him without warning. Remus's lips tightened around his cock and he sucked hard, then spilled down Sirius's throat a second later himself, as though tasting Sirius's cum was enough to send him hurtling over the edge. Sirius swallowed every last drop that Remus filled him with, and Remus did the same, until he collapsed onto Sirius's body in chest-heaving exhaustion. Sirius wrapped his arms around Remus's hips and kissed lazily at the insides of his thighs, running his fingers across his arse appreciatively. 
Remus dropped his head and gave one more nipping kiss to Sirius Cesar's cheek before swinging his legs over Sirius's hips, turning around, and settling on top of him. That, Remus said, was fun. Soon after, they were downstairs at breakfast with Regulus and James, who was sporting messier-than-usual hair and an angry red mark on his cheek. Rugburn, James winked at Remus, whose cheeks flushed pink as he grasped Sirius's hand under the table. Remus, I've been thinking about the map, Regulus said, sipping his tea with straight-back dignity and ignoring James's lasciviousness. And I think the mark on your neck means something. Remus squeezed Sirius's hand again, and Sirius gave him a reassuring smile, the bashful little thing. So do I, Remus replied, pushing through his embarrassment. It appears on the map near John O'Groats in Scotland, see? And he pulled the pendant from around his neck and held it between his and Sirius's palms. Again, it glowed to life and shined the map in light and shadow onto the wall. Regulus's eyes darted between the matching five-pointed stars on the map and on Remus's neck and nodded. Show me the song that the pendant sang again, Regulus asked. Remus let go of Sirius's hand, stood up, and moved to sit next to Regulus on the other side of the table. He unfolded a piece of parchment from his pocket, and he and Regulus leaned over it to read it again. The one who's twice struck by Selene's brand of luck, that must be you, Regulus told Remus. This is a prophecy. What makes you say that? James asked. Selene is the Greek goddess of the moon, Remus explained. Homer called her the bright-tressed queen. She was known to have power over nature, fell in love with a mortal, and had fifty daughters. But twice struck? Sirius asked. Lycanthropy is one, Remus said. And that mark must be the other, Regulus said. The five-pointed star. Nature, Remus said and he turned to Regulus, a look of understanding passing between them. The five elements. Yes, Regulus said, nodding eagerly as Remus sat up straighter, his fingers touching the mark on his neck almost unconsciously. And my mother, Remus said, her people were from the far north and practiced. Elemental, Elemental magic. He and Sirius finished together. Sirius felt the puzzle pieces start to click into place in his mind too. He rushed around to Remus's side and leaned over the parchment. James wasn't far behind him. Flower and fruit, where love takes root. James read out loud, grabbing one of the figs from the newly blossoming orchard outside and tossing it to Sirius, who fed it to Remus. That's our Mooney. Mooney, Remus laughed. I've been trying to think of a nickname for you, James said. He pointed to himself, Sirius, and Regulus. I'm Prongs. Sirius is Padfoot. And Reggie is Sir Whiskerkinney. That is not my fucking nickname. Regulus snapped. I don't have a nickname. I'm not a child. You have all the nicknames. Sugarplum. Mr. Meow. Scratchy McGee. Pour some chocolate boy. Greg. James rattled off. But Sirius shushed him. When her light becomes grey and evil will spread its blight. Sirius read. Looking between Remus and Regulus in alarm. Do you think that's... Greyback, Regulus said, his eyes darting to Remus. Seems that way. If this really is about me, that means. Remus said in a small voice, and Sirius put a steadying hand on his shoulder. Remus reached up and twined their fingers together. It means I have to fight him. It also means you'll win, James said with that endearing grin of his, 
and Sirius watched Remus's face relax as James worked his magic. I think I need to go to that spot on the map, Remus said slowly, tracing his fingers over the words on the parchment. Twice struck. We need to go. Sirius corrected him, leaning down to kiss his cheek, and Remus gave him a grateful smile. Yes, Remus agreed. We. Ooh, an epic quest, James said, his voice bubbling with excitement. I've always wanted to go on one of those. This will be great. I'm not sure we're invited, Jamie, Regulus said in an undertone, but James simply scoffed. Of course we are, James said. Aren't we Padfoot? That's up to Remus, Sirius said, feeling that protectiveness flare in his chest again, even if it was only James. I'll not try to convince you of anything, James told Remus, standing up and vanishing the table and the rest of the dining room chairs with a wave of his wand. But did you know we can do this? Remus gasped and clutched Sirius's hand in shock as James transformed into a huge, majestic stag that stomped its hooves on the dining room floor and crashed its antlers into the crystal chandelier. James. Regulus cried, covering his hands with his head as a piece of sparkling crystal dropped from the ceiling. That's goblin made, from the twelfth century, for fuck's sake. Change back. In an instant, Regulus was yelling at James instead of the stag. How many times do I have to tell you? You can't transform inside the house. James gave Regulus a silencing kiss as Remus spoke, wide-eyed. Prongs, he said, pointing at James. He swiveled around in his chair to gaze at Sirius. And you, Padfoot. Sirius stepped in front of him, and a moment later, was resting his furry black head on Remus's knee. Remus laughed and scratched behind Padfoot's ear while a black cat hopped onto his lap and curled up, giving the dog a superior look. Padfoot growled at the cat and nosed at him to move, but the cat only swiped his claws across his muzzle, making the dog yelp in pain. Merlin Reg that hurt, Sirius said, glaring at his brother after they turned back into themselves. And stay off Remus's lap. Territorial mutt, Regulus snorted, and James slung an arm over Remus's shoulder. Pretty handy trick, eh? James asked. So what do you reckon? I think, Remus said, looking up at Sirius, James, and Regulus in awe. We're going on a quest. Chapter 17 How is my cousin treating you? Any itch is not scratching. Desire his leaving unfulfilled. You can tell me the truth. I'll not breathe a word of it. And if you ever tire of his company. Bellatrix brushed the back of her hand against Remus's cheek as her smoky voice trailed away. She leaned forward, pressing her breasts against his chest, and put a hand to the small of his back to whisper in his ear. I shall be more than happy to provide what he lacks and lend a hand. Or any other part of me that you fancy, really. She purred. Get your hands off him, you harpy. Sirius said as he stormed into the study at Black Manor. He wore light brown linen breeches under dark leather trekking boots that rose just above his knee and a trim-fitting jacket with a leather utility belt and holster slung around his waist. Bellatrix jumped away from Remus as Sirius shot a hex at her, setting the hem of her dress alight with iridescent black flames. She shrieked and extinguished the fire with a wave of her wand, then rounded on Sirius, sending her own jinx at him. Sirius ducked, 
and her spell exploded a wall sconce behind his head, sending tiny shards of glass shooting through the room. But before they could do any damage, Remus raised a hand, and the glass halted in midair. The splintered pieces hung for a moment like poisonous snowflakes before dropping harmlessly to the floor. What spell was that? And where's your wand? Bellatrix asked Remus, brushing ash off the dark green silk folds of her dress. My wand is in my rucksack, Remus admitted, vanishing the broken glass with a flick of a finger. And I suppose the spell operates using the same principles as Arresto Momento, but instead of slowing the object you simply stop it in time. Did you think of an incantation when you cast it? Bellatrix asked, tilting her head curiously at him, as though trying to figure him out. It was a gesture that Sirius made when they first met, too, and Remus was struck by how much the cousins looked alike. No, Remus said, and Bellatrix's eyes widened. I just think about what I want to happen, then direct that desire through my hand. Similar to using a wand, really. No wonder my cousin guards you so jealously, Bellatrix said, seemingly unable to help herself as she snaked an arm around Remus's waist again. But this time, Remus sidestepped her, slipping under the safety of Sirius's arm instead. Bellatrix was terrifying, unhinged and manic, but at least her innate ferocity would benefit the task they were setting her. Bella, channel some of that hellfire into doing your job while we are away, please, Regulus said as he and James strode into the study. It's not a job, it's a favor. Bellatrix spat at Regulus. An immense favor that you shall be repaying until I decide that the debt is settled. Call it what you like, Bella, Sirius said, tightening his grip on Remus's shoulder, and Remus sank into him gratefully. Sirius's hands felt grounding and reassuring in the face of what they were about to do. As long as you keep Lyle safe and protected. Only a fool would dare try to harm him while I am in this house, Bella said ferociously, raising her chin and arching an elegant eyebrow. On that we are in agreement, at least, Sirius replied. Just see to it that you do not leave unless Andromeda or Narcissa is here in your stead. Although I'd rather you did not leave at all. Don't push it, Sirius, Bellatrix said warningly, pointing a long, blood-red fingernail at him. I'll not consent to being under house arrest until you lot deign to return from wherever it is you're going. They stared at each other like two angry dogs until Sirius rolled his eyes and looked at Regulus and James. Are you two ready? Sure are, James replied with a nod. He held two canvas rucksacks in the air while Regulus secured a pistol into the leather holster at his waist, right next to his wand. What do you need a muggle weapon for? Bellatrix asked. Because you never know. Regulus said, catching his brother's eye, and Remus saw a significant look pass between them. He looked down at Sirius's waist, saw a pistol there, too, and tilted his head up questioningly, but Sirius only pressed a kiss to his temple. Shall we? Sirius asked, looking around at Remus, James, and Regulus, and nodded toward the door. He grasped Remus's hand as he turned to lead them outside. Remus tried to summon some remorse at leaving his father in an unfamiliar house with Bellatrix Lestrange, but found that he had none. He'd had even less since their first conversation, and it had been dwindling ever since. Look around, Remus. Lyle had hissed through his teeth as his gnarled fingers squeezed into trembling fists. This place is kissed. Can't you smell that? It smells like brimstone and death. We are surrounded by the darkest magic. 
Every object in this house has a blight upon it, has bad blood and evil coursing within it. The Black family are some of the darkest wizards to ever hold a wand, and you've been spending time here, in secret. Remus stood at the edge of Lyle's bed in the guest chambers where he was staying in Black Manor, or being imprisoned, as Lyle called it, and tried to calm him. Perhaps it was the shock of the situation, but Lyle looked frail and elderly in a way that Remus barely recognized, with skin that sagged from his gaunt face like dry shreds of paper, sunken, wild eyes, and his dressing gown hanging off his bony shoulders like a shroud. He seemed deranged and overwhelmed with madness. The Black family has a dark history, yes, Remus said, but Sirius has a good heart, father. He's wonderful and kind. We're in love. In love? Lyle scoffed. What do you know about love? I know that Sirius loves me. And I love him. How do you know he's not simply using you? Using me for what? Remus laughed humorlessly. I have nothing. No money. No status. If anything, he should fear me using him. He's Lord Black, father. Have you forgotten? How could I forget? I'm a prisoner in his house of evil. And he'd have plenty of use for you, Remus. Lyle said darkly. I've seen men like him. Older men who know the world in ways that you could scarcely imagine. You're young and beautiful and innocent. And, obviously, easily taken advantage of. I've heard he's had plenty of practice. Remus felt his face warm, and started to drop his head in embarrassment. But he stopped himself. He had nothing to be ashamed of. He is not taking advantage of me, father, Remus said, remembering the way Sirius held himself back in every encounter, the way he let Remus lead the way for every kiss, every touch. Sirius has been nothing but a gentleman. Gentlemen. Lyle spat. He wouldn't be chasing someone thirteen years younger than himself, holding me captive and stealing my wand if he were truly a gentleman. The blacks are wicked, Remus, and when he breaks your heart or worse, do not expect me to welcome you home with open arms. That's not my home. Remus shot back in a low tone that felt dangerous in his chest, and a scorching flash of lightning cracked across the ceiling. Lyle startled with a shout, and his teeth clacked together. That was my prison. And you'll take care to watch your mouth when you talk about the man I love. Lyle was visibly shaken but undeterred. Let me see the supposed man you love, then, he demanded. Fine, Remus said. He pulled open the door to find Sirius waiting just outside it, pacing along the thickly carpeted hallway surrounded by chattering portraits. When he saw Remus, he hurried over to him, gripped his arms, and searched his face. Are you all right? he said quickly. I heard the lightning. They could smell it, too, petrichor, electricity, and scorched air. It hovered around them, rippling and crackling, invisible but there. I'm fine, Remus assured him. Just, my temper. Sirius's eyes darkened as he looked down at him, and Remus's heartbeat quickened. Sirius's body felt strong and solid against him, and he relished each spot on his flesh where Sirius's insistent fingers pressed into his arms. That temper of yours, Sirius said quietly, and Remus licked his lips. He felt Sirius's hips ghost across his own, and he leaned up for a kiss that ignited between them like the lightning that buzzed through the air. My father, Remus breathed against Sirius's lips. He wishes a word. Sirius nodded and kissed him again and they walked back into Lyle's room with Sirius's arm threaded around Remus's waist and his hand lightly resting on Remus's hip.
Lyle stared at where they touched with an expression that could have frozen lava. Mr. Lupin, Sirius said, offering a polite hand to shake. I'm Sirius Black, I. I know who you are, Lyle said coldly, ignoring his extended hand. Lord of this manor and this realm, and apparently someone who chooses to seduce young, vulnerable people like my son. Father, Remus cried, but Sirius stilled his rage with a gentle squeeze. It's all right, darling, he said, giving Remus a reassuring little smile before addressing Lyle. I understand why you must be angry, sir, Sirius said. But Remus is not vulnerable. He's the most powerful wizard I've ever known. And even though I would die before I let a soul harm him, he does not need my protection. Nor does he need yours. I'm his father. Lyle raged, angrier even than when he was talking to Remus alone. You don't think I know how powerful he is? No, Sirius said, a shrewd coldness gripping his handsome features. I think you know exactly how powerful he is. Remus stared at Sirius for a moment in disbelief before looking at his father, searching for something in his expression to show that Sirius's words were true. Lyle swallowed and shifted uncomfortably in the bed, and Remus was struck again by his frailty. He no longer looked like someone Remus needed to cower from or fear disobeying, and he hadn't for a long time. Longer than Remus even realized until this moment. But Lyle had realized it a long time ago. Remus knew that now. It was evident in the lies Lyle told about the blood wards on their cottage, in his angry reactions to Remus's wandless magic, and even in his refusal to keep mirrors in the house, the better to prevent Remus from seeing himself. Lyle and Sirius stared at each other for a tense moment, but Lyle stayed silent. That's what I thought, Sirius said. His voice was quiet, barely louder than a whisper. But Remus had no trouble hearing him, and neither did Lyle as he continued speaking. Now to business. You, sir, are a guest in this house. We are allowing you to stay because your cottage is no longer safe. I am happy to accommodate anything you need. You are free to move about the house and grounds as you like. There are powerful wards here. Real ones. He added with a set jaw and a sharp look at Lyle, who had the good sense to blanch at this. But you remain here at Remus's pleasure and his pleasure alone. And should he change his mind, I will not hesitate in turning you out. Am I understood? Lyle did not reply, and Remus felt his temper flare again, hot and angry in his chest. Answer him now, father, Remus said, and a low rumble of thunder rolled over their heads. Lyle startled again at the sound and looked around the room, as though expecting to be smote at any second. Yes, Lyle said finally through gritted teeth his eyes darting between Sirius and Remus. Good, Sirius said with a smile and a small inclination of his head before turning to Remus. Anything else, darling? There was so much more he wanted to scream and shout at Lyle. So many more explanations he deserved and wanted to demand. But he let them be. Eat something, please, Remus told his father quietly, nodding to the tray laden with beautiful food at Lyle's bedside. Remus looked up at Sirius, finding the reassuring warmth of his eyes, and gripped his hand. No, he said. That's all. If you'll excuse us, then, Sirius said to Lyle, polite and courtly as ever, and he steered Remus out of the room, closing the door behind him. What's wrong with me? Remus asked Sirius in bed that night as their heart rate slowed and their skin cooled in the hazy afterglow of their lovemaking. 
He twined their fingers together and ran his thumb across Sirius's broad palm while silvery light from the waning moon shone across their bodies. Why don't I feel guilty when I lose my temper toward him? He raised me. He kept me, despite what I was. He told me tales of werewolf children being offered to the elves or abandoned in the forest and left to die. He told me how lucky I was that he had not done that, when so many others had. Remus, look at me, Sirius said, shifting onto his elbows so they were laying face to face on their sides. Remus obeyed, and saw nothing but fierce devotion in Sirius's face. There is nothing wrong with you, my beautiful darling. It is a parent's job to love and care for their child, and if they are only willing to do so under certain circumstances they should never have become parents in the first place. You did not ask to be born, and you did not ask to be bitten. Reminding you constantly that you are in his debt. Sirius's voice shook slightly as it trailed away, and he drew Remus into his arms, as though doing so could shield him from the terrors of the world. Somehow, Remus thought it could. He felt untouchable here, in their little cocoon and wished they never had to leave it. Who cares about a prophecy? Why bother seeking answers when the answer to everything was right here in this soft little space? He should not have done that to you, Sirius murmured into Remus's hair. Remus sighed into Sirius and closed his eyes. He knew that if he woke in the morning and chose to forget everything about the pendant, pretend they'd never seen or heard any kind of prophecy, Sirius would agree and leave it all behind without question. They would go someplace where the name Fenrir Greyback meant nothing, where the name Lord Black meant nothing, and start anew. Perhaps the Caribbean, Sirius might say, dreamily twisting one of Remus's curls between his fingers. Or New Orleans. Or Egypt. Or all three. Anywhere you fancy, my love. But Remus had chosen this. And Sirius had chosen Remus. And they were doing it together. Ready, Sirius said now as he, Remus, Regulus, and James stood outside Black Manor in the dusky evening light beneath the long shadows of fig trees and ferns that snaked and twisted through the wild, verdant garden that bloomed and flourished all around them. Let's let Remus lead. Remus nodded and extended a hand, and the other three placed their own hands on his. He thought about their destination, and a jerk behind their navels yanked them northward. They landed on the outskirts of Bluebell's Glen, a tiny, magical village just outside John O'Groats on the North Sea at Land's End in far northern Scotland. It was a desolate place, a flat, treeless land under a wide, grey sky that looked as though it could swallow you whole. The land stretched on and on without variation until it plunged suddenly into moss-covered cliffs and towering sea stacks that rose from the cold, churning deep. The four of them stood on a bleak rocky outcropping with the wind whipping their hair and the sun setting behind them as they gathered their bearings. That way, I think, Sirius said, pointing to the distance where a few dots of grey slate roofs and thin, dark lines of smoke rising into the sky indicated the small village. They adjusted their rucksacks on their shoulders and began to walk against the frigid north wind that lashed mercilessly across the flat, grassy plain. It took the better part of a half hour to reach the place, but finally they did, arriving at a small pub where a weather-beaten wooden sign hung on an iron rod over the door. It creaked as it swung in the wind and read, The Mermaid's Tale. A wide fluke rising from a curling wave was carved underneath the pub's name. Sirius gripped the iron latch and pushed the door open, 
and the gusting wind at their backs blew in behind them, guttering the fire with a crackling whoosh in the pub's hearth as they stepped inside. The place was empty save for an enormous, bearded barman and two wizarding fishermen with faces as windworn as pieces of little driftwood. Despite being strangers, the other three men barely spared them a glance. Remus knew that coastal villages were used to outsiders, accustomed to welcoming seafarers who arrived, hungry, thirsty, and tired on their shores. They settled in at a small wooden table in the back corner next to the fire, and Remus felt the blood begin to return to his cold, tingling fingers. The barman tramped over to them, tucking the corner of a white rag in his pocket as he approached. Welcome to the mermaid's tale, can I get you a drink? He asked in a heavy, rasping Scottish brogue. Remus could see the hint of a smile underneath his thick beard and a twinkle in his dark eyes. We got an ale that will make sailors out of you yet. Yes, four please, Regulus said, and the barman nodded, his eyes passing over them and pausing on Remus for a moment. I, I'll be right back, he said, and clomped away. Think they'll have rooms for us? James asked, looking around the small, dark pub, where tobacco-stained portraits of grizzled sea captains, colorful wooden buoys, and a tide chart indicating the moon phase, air and water temperature, and wind speed marked the high and low tides with moving illustrations. Well, if not we've got the tents, Regulus said, rubbing his cold fingers together. James reached across the table to close his hands over Regulus's to warm them, and Remus felt his heart expand with gratitude as he watched the tender gesture. His father couldn't have been more wrong about Sirius, Regulus, and James, who don't have a bit of darkness within them. It did nothing to douse their light. The barman returned with their drinks and leaned across the table to drop a tankard in front of each of them. Remus had finally warmed up a bit and unwound the scarf from his neck just as the barman lifted his head to stand upright again. Oh my word, the barman gasped and all four of them looked up to see him staring at Remus and the gold mark on his neck. Tears brimmed in his black eyes, and he put a hand to his heart. Merlin and Circe above, he breathed. Welcome home, laddie. 